Good morning, everyone. I'm going to call the meeting to order. We're going to try that again. Good morning, everyone. There we go. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our members of the public. We welcome you to our policy presentations and public hearing meeting of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. Today is Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, known as Galentine's to some people. We take note that a full complement of the board is present, the chief executive officer, county council, interim executive officer, and our sergeant at arms are all here to assist. We'll be begin today's meeting with our land acknowledgement. The County of Los Angeles recognizes that we occupy land originally and still inhabited and cared for by the Tongva, Tataviam, Serrano, Quiche, and Chumash peoples. We honor and pay respect to their elders and descendants, past, present, and emerging, as they continue their stewardship of these lands and waters. We acknowledge that settler colonization resulted in land seizure disease, subjugation, slavery, relocation, broken promises, genocide, and multi-generational trauma. This acknowledgement demonstrates our responsibility and commitment to truth, healing, and reconciliation, and to elevating the stories, culture, and community of the original inhabitants of Los Angeles County. We are grateful to have the opportunity to live and work on these ancestral lands. We are dedicated to growing and sustaining relationships with native peoples and local tribal governments, including, in no particular order, the Fernandino Tataviam Band of Mission Indians, Gabrieleño Tongva Indians of California Tribal Council, Gabrieleño Tongva San Gabriel Band of Mission Indians, Gabrieleño Band of Mission Indians, Quiche Nation, San Manuel Band of Mission Indians, San Fernando Band of Mission Indians. To learn more about the First Peoples of Los Angeles County, please visit our website. We'll now move on to our scroll presentations. Supervisor Mitchell will begin with a presentation to Walk Good LA. It was a whole traffic situation trying to get here. My goodness. I want to make sure. Okay. Woo, we Madam Chair. Forgive me. I was talking in class. It wasn't the first time. You take your time. Go right ahead. Good morning. Happy Black History Month to one and all. As we observe Black History Month here in the great county of Los Angeles, I want to emphasize the ongoing commitment we're making to celebrate black history, culture, and heritage as a part 
of America story. It's my honor to acknowledge an organization in my district that's making black history every day by healing generational trauma and fighting for social justice through joy, yoga, walks, in community, through community. And I'm talking about an organization called Walk Good LA. This very young, dynamic leadership team behind Walk Good is really inspiring. This organization was founded by Etienne Maurice, along with his sister Ivy Coco Maurice and cousin Marley Ralph. They, along with a diverse and dedicated team, host free community events that provide a safe and healing space every weekend in Kenneton Park for hundreds of residents from throughout LA County. Walk Good LA was founded in the summer of 2020 during a time of civil unrest in response to the killings of black people at the hands of law enforcement. This was also during the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. This organization recognized the urgent need for mental health support and communal healing. Their response was to create spaces for exactly that through activities like community yoga, guided meditations, and more. The mission of Walk Good LA is something that truly resonates with me. They aim to bring people from all walks of life together to heal in solidarity using the arts, health, and wellness, and our community gathering spaces, parks, as their tools. This isn't just a momentary effort, it's a movement towards lasting change. So I'm deeply proud that Walk Good LA is our Black History Month honoree this year, and we commend Walk Good LA and its leadership team for their invaluable contributions. This recognition extends beyond their impactful work during Black History Month, highlighting their, their continuous efforts to enrich our present and honor our past. And on behalf of all of my colleagues, I present you with this five signature scroll in recognition of your creativity and your courage and your commitment to um, destigmatizing mental health, creating safe space for young people in particular to gather and find healing within themselves and in community. So congratulations, I appreciate you. And now for the third district, we welcome Topanga Coalition for Emergency Preparedness. Following last week's significant storm, it is an honor to recognize an organization that's prioritized emergency response for over 25 years. The Topanga Coalition for Emergency Preparedness is an all-volunteer, nonprofit public benefit corporation 
that provides emergency preparedness education and disaster status information to the Dapanga and Santa Monica Mountain communities. Here from the coalition is the organization's president, James Grasso, and volunteers Kristen Brumfield and Britt Trotter, and we thank you for the care that you show to the Topanga neighbors, and uh, we had to evacuate part of the Topanga region, and we knew that your leadership would make sure they stayed safe. Your expertise and essential efforts to understanding the risks and to prepare for all that can occur in the Santa Monica Mountains is essential. Storms, wildfires, earthquakes, mudslides, you train for it all, you prepare and you prov provide life-saving information to your neighbors. Through this work, you've gained, you've gained a great deal of trust as well, and your neighbors have an added sense of security, knowing that the Topanga Coalition volunteers are ready to activate at a moment's notice. We know uh, we can only be as effective as the strength of our relationships, and we saw that firsthand during the storms. You have intentionally built strong working relationships, not only with our office in the third district, but also with the sheriff's department, our fire department, and first responders, among many others. This collaboration results in life-saving action. And when the Owen fire burn area evacuation order was issued over a, uh, a little over a week ago, you immediately activated your website, your outreach to provide the verified information directly to residents, which we know gives them uh, not only the information they need, but the calm to know that somebody's looking out for them and working with them. Thankfully, no lives were lost during the storm, but we know that natural disasters are increasingly the norm and our vigilance is essential. That's why we're proud to honor your work to elevate the Topanga Coalition as a model for neighborhood level disaster coordination. Your love for Topanga shines through in all that you do, and we thank you for your partnership through this storm and all the emergencies that have come and hopefully will be able to survive in the future. Um, we appreciate your leadership, and I know that um, we were talking about just how important it is that to the Topanga culture that you all practice and prepare, and, um, and it is through your leadership that uh, the community stays safe. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. And next we'll welcome up the fourth district. Good morning, everyone. And I'm Supervisor Janice Hahn, and I am honoring somebody today who's um, very special and quite the trailblazer. And the reason I'm honoring Sergeant Nikki Alexander during Black History Month is that she made history.
as the first black woman to be promoted to the rank of sergeant in the nearly 135-year history of the Long Beach Police Department. She began her career in law enforcement 21 years ago and was promoted to sergeant in 2022. Just to let everyone know, the Long Beach Police Department is the second largest municipal police agency in Los Angeles County. And joining her today is Commander Shalina Benson. Good morning and welcome. Sergeant Alexander, you have certainly blazed a trail for women in law enforcement and you continue to pass your knowledge on by serving as a mentor to your fellow law enforcement colleagues. I wanted to also recognize you for your outstanding service to underserved youth um, in our district. Through the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Cerritos Area Alumna Chapter, you mentor middle and high school girls in financial literacy, college preparation, volunteerism, and leadership. You also serve on the board of the Health, Education, Arts, and Science Foundation, a nonprofit organization that provides STEAM education and other educational opportunities to minority youth. Thank you, Sergeant Alexander, and please keep doing what you're doing to support our local communities. Uh, and let me know in any way that I could partner with you as well. So on behalf of the Board of Supervisors of the County of Los Angeles, I would like to officially recognize you for your outstanding service and dedication to, the Los, to Los Angeles County in honor of Black History Month. And I'm going to have you say a few words, but I wanted to first give you this. Okay. Thank you. On behalf of the county, I wanted to uh, present you this official scroll and commendation. We'll come right over here for the photo. And I'd love you to say a few words. Oh boy. I want to say thank you for the award. There you are. <laughs> thank you for um, honoring me. I do appreciate it. Um, recognize all the hard work. Also want to recognize my colleagues that are here with me. I have some out in the audience. Thank you for your support as well. And um, also want to thank my chapter, Cerritos Area Alumni Chapter, Delta Sigma Theta. Um, we are. We do a lot of work in your your district, um, and I appreciate you acknowledging that. So. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Let's have another round of applause for, for Sergeant Alexander. Thank you. Thank you for being here and supporting us. Congratulations, Sergeant. And now we'll move on to the 5th District with a presentation to Crescenta Valley Sheriff Station deputies and Los Angeles County firefighters. Thank you, Madam Chair. This morning, I am proud to recognize an extraordinary efforts of our county's first responders. On January 30th, four deputies from the Crescenta Valley Sheriff Station and four firefighters from the fire stations 19 and 63 responded to a serious house fire on Rancho Cañada Road in La Cañada, Flint Ridge. In the face of extreme danger, both teams responded with tenacity, bravery, and strong collaboration. I've been told by leaders from both departments that this was a prime example of how first responders ought to respond to a crisis. The deputies and firefighters worked hand in hand to do their best to protect life and property. Within just two minutes of receiving the call, at almost 4 a.m., the deputies arrived on scene. 
Upon arrival, they entered the back of the house and found a young man inside. They escorted him outside and asked him if anyone else was inside, and he confirmed that his aunt and uncle were also in the home. The deputies tried to go upstairs, but were stopped by the heavy smoke, so they began to strategize on how to rescue the other family members. Because of their quick thinking and swift action, they scaled the side of the house, got the aunt out from upstairs, and transported her to a local hospital. I'd like to play a short clip captured on body camera footage to share a glimpse into that moment. Put your knee right here. I got you. Go. 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 Come here. I got you. Go. Go. Come here. Go, go, go. Come here. Come here. Come here. Let's go. I'm going to grab her. Come on. Grab me. Where's the other one? Let's go, let's go. I got her, I got her, let's go. I got her. Let's go. We got one, we got Shortly, yeah. Yeah. Shortly after this moment, the firefighters arrived and broke down the front door. As the firefighters assisted the residents, the others extinguished the mass flames. Inside the house, they found an uncle unresponsive and proceeded to render paramedic services for 30 minutes. Sadly, he passed away, and I want to take a moment to send my heartfelt condolences to the family as they grieved the loss. This tragic incident illustrates that in the face of danger, our deputies and firefighters stand ready to work together to respond in times of need. Even with these tragedies, they continue to press forward. I'd like to present these scrolls, which they each have, um, to the members of the Sheriff's Department and Fire Department who responded to this incident in La Cunada. Thank you for your collaboration during this incident and for the ongoing commitment to others in our communities every single day. As I read your name, I want you to raise your hand so people can see who you are. L.A. County Firefighter Justin Aperin. How do you, is that how you say it? Yes, okay, Aperin. Los Angeles Sheriff's Deputy Andre Canejo. Los Angeles Sheriff's Deputy Christopher Fort. LA County Firefighter Paramedic Austin Jones. Los Angeles Sheriff's Deputy Michael Landano. Landano? Ladano. Ladano. Okay. Um, LASD Deputy Eduardo Olmos. And of course, last but not least, LA County Firefighter Paramedic Christian Schenk. And now I would like to introduce our amazing Captain Hanlon um, from the Crescenta Valley to say a few words, and then, of course, Chief Maroney to say a few words as well. Thank you. Thank you, and good morning, everyone, and good morning, honorable members of the board. Uh, what these uh, deputies done today and with the assistance of the fire department is the, the act of courage demonstrated by these four on, uh, on, from the Sheriff's Department is the reason we're all proud to wear the Sheriff's Department uniform of the Los Angeles County De Sheriff's Department. I am honored and grateful to have them as members of Crescenta Valley State Sheriff's Station and as my partners. I'd also like to acknowledge our great working relationship with the Los Angeles County Fire Department. There have been numerous incidents where we have worked together for a successful outcome, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Yes, good morning. I'm Anthony Maroney, the Chief of the County of Los Angeles Fire Department. Thank you, Captain Hamlin. Thank you, Supervisor Barger, for this wonderful recognition. Just another great example of the Fire Department and Sheriff's Department coming together to save a life. So we really appreciate that collaboration and that partnership. And after viewing the video, I don't think that Spider-Man has anything on the LASD. Thank you. And for our final presentation this morning, uh, Supervisor Solis is making a presentation for the first district in honor of Black History Month. Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Good morning to everyone and buenos dias. It's an honor to be here today this morning to highlight Black History Month today and recognize the great contributions of African Americans to the County of Los Angeles and to the United States of America. Black history is being shaped each and every day and Black History Month should be celebrated every day and not just one month out of the year. Mm -hmm. Americans' history is black history. Our brothers and our sisters in the African-American community have made great and tremendous accomplishments and strides in LA County. As such, I believe we have to recognize those who have contributed to our community, the African-American community and all of us and they, we know, have overcome adversity in many, many ways. Four such individuals have joined me here today that have made a profound impact on the lives of residents in Los Angeles County, and they are the following. Sam Pratter, raise your hand, Sam. <laughs> Hugh E. Crooks, Jr. Dr. Oday Okpo. Selwyn Hollins. I'd like to start out with one of our youngest honorees, Sam Pratter. While nearly 13 years of experience in higher education as a student affairs practitioner, most of his career has been built on housing and residential education. Residential education, housing. Sam is passionate about fostering student success and has developed a very keen sense of the critically important growth and development that occurs at the intersection of living in communities where students also learn. Sam is the founder of the Los Angeles Room, 
and board, which provides temporary accommodations for unhoused college students. He has two such sites in my district, the Dunamis, Dunamis House in Boyle Heights and the Excelsior House in East Hollywood. Across these sites, LA Room and Board has brought close to 70 units of housing for transitional age youth in the first district. Sam and his work were recently celebrated on the Jennifer Hudson Show. Whoa, I knew it. <laughs> Stardom. Sam, you are an exemplary leader and we wanna thank you. Let's all give him a big round of applause. <laughs> Next, I want to recognize my appointed commissioner for the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs, who I've known for, I think, close to maybe 30 years, yes. I believe, uh, Hugh E. Crooks, Jr. <laughs> Hugh was drafted in the U.S. Army in 1967 and served in the Vietnam War. His highest rank was sergeant and was squad leader during his time in Vietnam. He also served as the Los Angeles police chief for Protective Services Division for nearly 30 years, where he witnessed firsthand the riots in the aftermath of the Rodney King verdict and assisted the community. He now serves as the chair of the California Department of Veterans Affairs Board and has been very active in the American Legion, providing resources and demonstrated his leadership for all to those veterans. We thank you, Hugh, for everything that you've done. Thank you so much for your service. I also want to recognize our very own Dr. O'Day Okpo. Dr. Okpo is the first African-American to serve as LA County Chief Medical Examiner since the department was established back in 1850. You finally got it right, which was 174 years ago. He has helped support our community at a time of grief, trauma, and the unknown by providing the highest standards of ad advances in forensic science. Through his leadership, the county's medical examin examiner's department has worked closely with families in time of profound loss and has collaborated with public health and safety agencies to reduce preventable deaths. I saw his work at a time when we were coming out and through COVID and he was so passionate and responsible to so many families, not just in my district, but the entire county of Los Angeles. And every time something occurs, an, an unfortunate death, he is there to provide the kind of service and humility that sometimes we don't all often think about. So we personally wanna thank him for his hard work. And finally, I want to recognize our very own ISD director, Selwyn Hollins. For the past 33 years, Selwyn has dedicated his career to public service. Selwyn first joined our ISD team in August of 2017. His dedication to helping others always shines through. He cares about details and sticks with the project until the very end to make sure that our county family has everything it needs to succeed. Our county family benefits from Selwyn's wealth of experience and his drive and commitment to excellence. He has helped secure laptops for our disadvantaged youth, for senior citizens, 
and for homeless individuals as well as veterans. He even created the first ever Tech Empowerment Day for students and helped them lead the county's Delete the Divide program. Selwyn, we are so lucky to have you, and we want to thank you also for your service. <laughs> Together, these four individuals have provided voices so much needed to hear our black community and, and all the residents of LA County. They have been a beacon of hope and inspiration for so many of us, and I want to thank each and every one of them. It's an honor to pay tribute to you during Black History Month, and now I would like to present the following scrolls to you. Sam Pratter. Come on, Sam, let's stand here. <laughs> we'll get one, and then we'll get everybody. Dr. Oday Opko. Selwyn Hollins. Last but not least, our very own veteran, Steve Kilkerson. Thank you. And I'll ask, we'll start with Sam, and you can say one few sure, little sure, words. Sure, sure, sure. I've got a quick, <laughs> quick little, little duty prepared. Good morning, everyone. I just want to remind you that one in five community college students are experiencing homelessness in LA. One in 10 in the CSU and UC system, and two thirds of our students are experiencing hunger. The California Budget and Policy Center forecasts that by 2030, our region will experience a deficit of one million college educated workers. If we don't take decisive action now, then our region will experience the negative impact. I want to thank Supervisor Hilda Solis for your unyielding support of our mission to end youth and student homelessness and for working hard to ensure that we can get our youth off the streets and across the commencement stage. I want to urge our honorable supervisors here to take to pull every lever and make available every resource to make sure our foster youth and system impacted youth exit the system with safe, secure and supportive housing. We can do it. Homelessness is solvable. And I thank our supervisors for leading with such passion and conviction. Thank you guys so much. Good morning. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank the board, Supervisor Elise. This is very exceptional for me, especially for this month. What's not on my bio, and most of you don't know, is my father worked with MLK when he was alive. That was number one. Number two, the honorable supervisor, the, I, I had never heard of her until my mother told me, you really need to look, look up and talk to this lady, because I think <laughs> she's going to be going far. This is over 30 years ago. I thank you. Listen, when you get to the point that you can give back, and all of you remember, there's a point in your life you need to give back. Please do it, because that's what you need to, you need to mentor that upcoming generation and help them. Thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor Lee, for this uh, recognition. And uh, my staff, I would like to thank them especially because uh, they frequently see people on the worst days of their lives. 
and greet them with kindness and level-headedness, that I'm proud to be their leader to, uh, in that endeavor. And also appreciating uh, how important it is to see someone that looks like you, to do what you're doing is so important. So I, I really want to uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to stand here to hopefully inspire the youth and to, to bring them into community service, uh, such as we do at the medical examiner's office. So th thank you so much. Good morning, and I'd like to thank Supervisor Hilda Solis as well as the Board of Supervisors for all of the support. I also want to thank my ISD team for being there. Um, when I grew up, I grew up at a time when I probably witnessed and experienced a lot of things people shouldn't. I grew up, and I, I define this, I grew up in Compton in the 1980s. The 1980s are a lot different than it is today. But one thing I did see was all the potential that people have. And to be able to be in public service, knowing that the government has a role to play is really important. And so I take this job with so much appreciation and privilege, but I also know there's still a lot of work to be done. And I can tell you, this board believes in making change. Thank you. Thank you, sir. We'll take a picture now. That's too heavy. Congratulations, gentlemen. Executive officer, please call the agenda. We will begin on page three, set matters. Set matter one is a report on the county's implementation of the people experiencing homelessness missions. Set matter two is a report on the continuum of care for mental health and substance use disorder beds. These items will be held for discussion. On page four, public hearings, items three through six. On item three, the director of public works requests that this item be continued to March 12, 2024. On item four, the director of regional planning requests that this item be continued to April 16, 2024. The remaining items will be held for hearing. Also, notice of closed session, item CS1. This was in addition as indicated on the supplemental agenda. That completes the reading of the agenda, Madam Chair. The requests for continuance are before you. Moved by Supervisor Barger, seconded by Supervisor Mitchell to approve these items. That will be the order. Executive Officer, please play the Code of Conduct. Ladies and gentlemen, may I please have your attention. The meeting of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors is about to commence. A code of conduct will now be read and we request that you comply with it to ensure the efficient administration of the meeting. Members of the public, it is your right to participate in today's board hearing and the board encourages such participation. 
However, the right of the public to address the board must be balanced with the need to ensure that public comment does not interfere with the orderly course of the board's business. All are reminded to abide by the following rules. Speakers must cease speaking immediately when their time has ended. Public comment on agenda items must relate to the subject matter of that item. General public comment is limited to subjects within the jurisdiction of the board. Public comment does not include the right to engage in a dialogue with board members or staff. Please remain respectful of the forum and refrain from uttering, writing, or displaying profane, personal, threatening, derogatory, demeaning, or other abusive statements toward the board, any member thereof, staff, or any other person. Members of the audience should be respectful of the views expressed by speakers, staff, and board members, and may not clap, cheer, whistle, or otherwise disrupt the orderly conduct of the meeting. Any person engaging in conduct that disrupts the meeting is subject to being removed from the board meeting. And finally, if you witness conduct or behavior by other members of the public that disrupts your ability to remain engaged or participate in this meeting, please notify the sergeant-at-arms or other county staff. Thank you for your cooperation. Today we'll begin with public hearing items 5 and 6, then we'll take up set matter 1 at 11 a.m. or immediately after those items, and set matter 2 at 11.30 a.m. as indicated on the agenda, followed by general public comment. Before we begin with our public hearings, Executive Officer, please read the call-in information that was also provided on the agenda and explain our speaking rules. For members of the public wishing to participate remotely, as indicated on the agenda, please call 877-692-8955 and use participant code number 443-3663. Members of the public participating remotely and in the boardroom, you will have the opportunity to address the board throughout the meeting. You will receive up to one minute to address the board on each of the public hearing items, one minute to address the board on held items, and one minute total to address the board on the closed session item and general public comment. Please note, once your time has expired, we will immediately move to the next speaker. For members of the public joining us remotely, when the board moves to the item you wish to address, promptly press one then zero to be entered into the speaking queue. Remember to turn down the volume on your device as soon as the moderator calls on you or there will be an echo. You will need to press one then zero for each item on which you, you would like to speak. To ensure we hear from both in-person and telephonic speakers, we will alternate between the two speaking queues. Members of the public who are in attendance, when you hear or see your name displayed on the screen, please come down to the front of the boardroom and staff will assist you. Please do not approach the podium until directed to do so. We will begin by calling in-person speakers and while they are coming forward, we will take telephonic speakers. Executive officer, please swear in the members of the public who are requesting to address the board on public hearing items. For those of you um, addressing the public hearing items, please stand and raise your right hand. In the testimony you may give before this board, you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Thank you. 
We'll begin with item five. For members of the public on the telephone, please press one then zero now to comment on this item. Executive officer, please read in the short title. Item five is a hearing on the proposed vacation of a portion of Athens Way and Alley North of 132nd Street in the unincorporated community of Willowbrook. A departmental statement was submitted and correspondence was received. We have several members of our staff available for questions. Should we have any? Are there any supervisors who would like to make remarks? Seeing none, executive officer, please call the members of the public who have signed up to speak on this item. Madam Chair, there are no in-person speakers signed up for this item. As a final reminder for participants on the telephone, if you would like to address item five, if you have not already done so, please press one, the zero now to be placed in the speaking queue. Moderator, may we have the first remote speaker, please? Our, our first participant is Eric Prevern. You may begin. Thank you. Um, what an, a curious little meeting and very, very nice presentations. I got the one page of all the presentations. It would be nice to see the names of the people who are being honored on the presentation sheet. Like, for example, Selwyn Holland, the former uh, guy from the city of L.A. who came over to, he was running you know, L.A. transportation. And then now he's running uh, sort of the GSD. It's called ISD at the county. Um, but this is Mark Pastrella, who is breaking out the legal document and signing off under the penalty of perjury that we're going to vacate some property in Willowbrook. Uh, my question for Pastrella is, what about the lease in Studio City at the L.A. County Flood District right next to Harvard-Westlake? It's really becoming awkward because I've made multiple requests, and big-timing public is really uncool, especially when you're making all sorts of legal pronouncements this way and that. So good luck with this but please provide the information request. Thank you. Next speaker, please. I mean, I'm sure there are no further people to address the board. It would be appropriate to close the public hearing and vote on this item. Item five is before us, moved by Supervisor Mitchell, seconded by Supervisor Hahn to approve the item. Executive officer, please call the roll. On item five, Supervisor Solis. Aye. Supervisor Solis, aye. Supervisor Mitchell. Aye. Supervisor Mitchell, aye. Supervisor Hahn. Aye. Supervisor Hahn, aye. Supervisor Barger. Aye. Supervisor Barger, aye. Supervisor Horvath. Aye. Supervisor Horvath, aye. Motion passes five to zero. Thank you very much. We'll now move on to item six for members of the public on the telephone. Please press one, then zero now to comment on this item. Executive officer, please read in the short title. Item six is the hearing on ordinance for introduction, amending county code title seven business licenses, adding division three short-term rentals registration to regulate short-term rentals in the unincorporated areas of the county. There was no departmental statement submitted and correspondence was received. Again, we have several members of our staff available for questions. Um, are there supervisors who would like to make remarks? Supervisor Solis, go right ahead. Yes, thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Um, this is a, a really critical, important item for us today. I know many of us have received calls for the last few weeks on this item. And I want to start by thanking, first of all, our treasurer tax collector, who's being seated now. <laughs> the Department of Regional Planning, the Department of Public Health, and the Los Angeles County Department Authority 
for putting together this ordinance package. I also want to acknowledge Supervisor Barger and our former colleague, Supervisor Kuehl, for introducing this motion back in 2019. This ordinance has undoubtedly been a long time in coming, and I'm glad that we're finally here moving forward with the strategy to protect unincorporated Los Angeles County's housing stock and residents and hold both hosts and platforms accountable. That's what this meeting's about. I'm deeply concerned about the growth of short-term rentals in the unincorporated areas of LA County and the impact of that growth on our housing stock. As we continue to grapple with an affordability crisis, it's imperative that our board take action to minimize the impact of short-term rentals on our supply of affordable housing in unincorporated areas of LA County. There is a significant amount of research indicating that short-term rentals contribute to increased rent and home prices, leading to the displacement of residents and community members. For example, a study from McGill University estimated that a short-term rentals have raised rents for the average renter by $810 per year in the city of Los Angeles. An $810 per year increase is unaffordable to many of our county residents, especially in unincorporated areas. And we all know that the removal of housing units from the long-term market undoubtedly and disproportionately impacts black and Latinx residents across the unincorporated LA County, many of whom, as we know, are renters. I wanna take this opportunity to also highlight data showing the alarming increase of short-term rentals in the un unincorporated parts in my district, the first district. According to a Better Neighbors LA, the number of short-term rentals in East LA in 2023 is 1.7 times higher than the average in 2019. And in 2023, East LA became the neighborhood with the most short-term rentals in unincorporated SD1 with 68 more entire homes listed in October of 2023 compared to October 2022, and a whooping 170 more entire homes compared to October 2019. Since 2019, the average number of unhosted units across the county has almost doubled, growing by 83%. And in contrast, the number of hosted units has often risen 3% in the same time frame. The largest operator in SD1 is known as Evolve, has 88 properties in LA County and 865 on their profile worldwide as of October 2023. The second largest host in SD1 operates 80 listings across LA County. This is evidence that commercial operators are taking advantage of cheaper housing stock in East Los Angeles to make a profit. I also know that many residents in our unincorporated areas host short-term rentals to increase their income. I can understand that, but I do believe it's essential that the county continue to support those residents, many of whom may be using short-term rentals to pay their own mortgages. Fine. I believe this ordinance strikes a balance between protecting our residents from future displacement due to short-term rentals and providing homeowners and renters with opportunities to use their homes for extra income. But it also brings properties that should be used as long-term rentals 
back into the long-term rental market, which will help improve our housing affordability in unincorporated Los Angeles County. And I really want to thank all of you for the work that you have done, the departments, working along with my staff, especially in the unincorporated areas, not just in East Los Angeles, but Roland Heights and Hacienda Heights. And that I represent the largest unincorporated areas in the entire county. And I know that there are both sides of the issue, but I tend to fall on the side that we need fairness. And especially uh, to send a message that we do not want people to take advantage just because you live in a poor area that somehow you can make profits and then not reinvest and feel some ownership or allow for people there to feel some ownership and dignity and humility. So um, with that, Madam Chair, um, I want to say that I support this item. Again, I want to say that it strikes a balance. These are hard things for us to do, but in all fairness, I think this is the right plan. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Supervisor Hahn. Thank you, Madam Chair, and uh, thank you, Supervisor Solis, for um, framing this. And I, I think you're exactly right. This ordinance uh, strikes that balance. And I think that's what we always try to do here in the county when we have sort of a, a, a sweeping uh, new uh, policy and ordinance. We try to strike a balance. And I think this is the first step, this ordinance, in regulating these short-term rentals in, on, in our unincorporated area. And I think it's important. I plan to support it as well. And I remember what a challenge we had, Supervisor Solis, responding to short-term rentals that were rented out as party homes in Roland and Hacienda Heights uh, when I represented those communities. And these created real problems uh, for our communities. And this ordinance will allow us to not only prevent those problems, but encourage the type of short-term rentals that our residents can still take advantage of. The, of, of. And I agree, because there are... Um, I know of many in our um, lower-income communities where you're right. I mean, the, as a host, people are renting out a room, um, and it helps them uh, make ends meet, and, and it helps them uh, pay their mortgage, and I'm glad that this ordinance um, supports that. One of the things that I heard from uh, some of my, my poorer communities is that this $914 initial registration fee, uh, it might be a bit steep uh, for some of our host uh, families who are really just renting a room out to make uh, ends meet. And um, much like kind of what we did uh, with our ordinance for our street vendors, we kind of looked at that upfront registration fee and took a position of waiving it or subsidizing it. And I, haven't, I don't have an amendment written out, colleagues, but I was wondering, um, I had two ideas and wondered if there was any appetite among my colleagues. Uh, one was to see if we could consider a lower annual fee for the low-income hosts or um, maybe phasing in uh, that initial registration uh, fee, again, similar to what we did with the, the street vending fees. Um, because I think one of the things we want to do is we want to encourage participation in this, right? And if the fee is too high, I fear uh, that um, some folks may not just pay it and continue to do. And we want them, we want everybody in the fold so that we can, um, you know, have more of a uh, input on regulating this. So I definitely support this ordinance, but didn't know if um, 
there was any appetite to, and whether or not maybe we should hear from the department, we could even carve out um, a, a different fee or a phase-in fee for maybe some of our lower income uh, communities, the, ho the host, right? Those are the ones who, it's their primary residence and they're just renting out a room to make ends meet. Would you like to hear from our staff in response? Okay. Good morning, supervisors. And just in terms of the feed, did you want some background on the feed, the development, or are you looking for what we could do in terms of what you just mentioned, either a phased-in approach or... Right. I understand it's a cost recovery. Correct. I, I, understand, I, under, I think I understand how we got there. I was just more interested in, is, is that even feasible? to carve out um, a separate or a phased-in registration uh, for certain uh, members of our community and unincorporated that, that would kind of ease them into this program uh, without kind of a sticker shock of the $900. Understood. Yeah, the goal is certainly to get everyone registered as soon as possible um, in an efficient way. We, we certainly understand there's a price point to this that as you noted, it is, is based on a, a robust um, level of resources. This is our first time in a new program, so we, we did our best to try and capture what we felt would be the administrative costs, the legal costs, et cetera. Um, again, with a focus on education, outreach, engagement, um, with a measure of enforcement as, as right. was required in the motion. Right. In terms of um, the low income aspect, we would certainly need to work with some of the partners that we have in the county, DEO and DCBA, just to perhaps glean from them some, some ways we might be able to approach that. Um, in, in terms of phasing it in, that, that comes down to, you know, frankly, a, a measure of funding and, and net county costs that would be associated with that. We do have some funding dedicated to launch the program in terms of system acquisition, bringing people on board, but it, I don't have in front of me what that, that phased in kind yeah. of NCC requirement would right. be. I, thank you. I appreciate that. And colleagues, I was just thinking the first year, right? It's kind of one of those, uh, just to kind of bring everybody in the fold. Yes. Super no, I have an idea. I mean, no. given the fact that there are corporations and all, could you do it so if you have four or more that it's based on the number of units so that it offsets the cost for those that only have a single? You follow me? Not In other words, if you've got a corporation following. that is running like 30 of them. Well, again, our, our new, uh, our 20. proposed ordinance wow. limits it to one property that you can. But I'm just saying in terms of, of sliding, because I think, Supervisor Solis, you mentioned that there's companies um, that have, uh, so I'm just trying oh, to yeah, think no, of a this way. Is a, this is about just for the host, right? This is a person who it's their home and they're renting out one room in their house to make ends meet. Maybe, uh, Madam Chair, uh, I realize this is the first reading of this. Would it be appropriate to maybe get, have them come back and maybe give us some options to see whether or not that would be viable? Is that the will of our... I was going to suggest that. I don't know that it has to be a part of the ordinance. If we talk about the ordinance, I think we could come back because I think it is important that we, we figure out the how because I wanted to make sure that it's based on individual's income, not the area, because, you know, we have some investor Correct. purchasing in low-income areas, so right. we don't want to give, so I want to make sure it's based on the person's okay. income, so that Very may good. require just a little more conversation to figure out how to meet 
our shared goal. So if that could be taken up perhaps in a future motion, so I think it can be done separately. But County, County Council, Council can you uh, advise us on whether we can take that piece out of the ordinance today if that is the will of the supervisors? Yes, Chair, I believe you can, um, as long as there's a, the will of the board to do that in motion and, and a supporting vote for it. Okay. Would you so, like to so introduce we would, so that? So we would be uh, voting on the ordinance, uh, but maybe that 914, we're uh, bifurcating that and talking about it. Yeah, and again, uh, I just wanted to see if there was any appetite among my colleagues for that, and maybe we what we hear back is not going to work, and then we move forward. To, okay. So I think the how is going to be critical. Yeah. And so I be, thought and maybe we could hear from all of us on what may if there are. I know I have a couple of proposed amendments. We can hear everyone's suggestions, and then keep track of them. Then hear from the public, and then decide. So um, we can hear comments on anything that we're suggesting up here as well. Um, Supervisor Mitchell. Okay. And Supervisor Barger, you're, you're going to wait? Okay. So um, I too want to thank our county departments and staff who worked over many years on this ordinance. Um, I know that you spoke with many residents and stakeholders and spent a significant amount of time researching other short-term rental policies in California, in our region and beyond. Uh, Short-term rental policies impact everyone, whether it's an individual who's renting their property, someone who lives next door, someone who may find it more difficult to find a permanent affordable rent rental unit because there are more short-term rentals on the market and it's taking up our housing stock. In my district, I've heard from many community members who are both supportive of short-term rentals and some who are opposed to them. So it's clear that a one-size-fits-all solution is not going to include everyone. It's likely that not everyone will be happy with whatever ordinance the board adopts today. Um, I heard many comments, and so I want to acknowledge some of the things that we heard. Uh, we heard from uh, residents in the Santa Monica Mountains region that the Santa Monica Mountains is a high fire severity zone, that allowing unhosted short-term rentals brings individuals into the community who are unfamiliar with fire risks and safety practices. I've heard concerns about the increase in short-term rentals being used for parties and other types of entertainment, resulting in excessive noise, clogged streets due to lack of parking, trash, or harassment of neighbors. I've heard concerns uh, from many current short-term rental hosts um, that they have uh, about their loss of a potential loss of income that uh, from this ordinance, many have um, many are renting out a second home or an ancillary dwelling unit on their property and have been using that rent as income. Additionally, one of the larger overall concerns about the increase in short-term rentals is the loss of, of permanent ones. We continue to have a severe housing shortage in California and units that are used as short-term rentals could have potentially been used for permanent housing. Lastly, one of the concerns that we've also heard is that half of the Santa Monica Mountains are in the coastal zone and half are not, which means the Coastal Commission must approve a short-term rental ordinance in the coastal zone and they have the ability to change that. So can staff address that question? What, what have we done uh, to understand whether, first of all, this is in compliance with the local coastal plan in the coastal zone and what, if any, indication do we have uh, that the Coastal Commission may be in agreement with us. Okay. 
morning, Madam Chair. I'm Connie Chung from the Department of Regional Planning. Um, so uh, I believe that staff is asking the board to uh, instruct the Department of Regional Planning to um, initiate amendments to the LCPs. So that would be uh, for Marina del Rey as well as uh, Santa Catalina Island and the Santa Monica Mountains. Um, so our, our process would be as a starting point to use the, um, the ordinance that is approved and adopted by the Board of Supervisors. Um, but as we all know, there, um, the uh, process with working with the Coastal Commission is an interactive one. So uh, once we do submit the adopted um, ordinance to the Coastal Commission, we will have uh, lots of back and forth with the, with the staff and with the commission as well. Um, but our starting point will be the countywide ordinance. So we don't have any indication whether the Coastal Commission may agree or disagree at this point? Um, it's really hard to tell. We have looked at, um, and, and you know, at the beginning of this process, we did reach out to Coastal Commission staff, and uh, I think there will be more interaction once we submit the adopted ordinance. Um, but we have been looking at other jurisdictions uh, to see um, how the Coastal Commission may um, may react to some of the countywide policies that we're proposing. And I think it's really case by case. And a lot of it depends on the analyses and uh, evidence that we provide uh, to make the case for um, what's the most appropriate for, for our areas. And it's my understanding they have approved ordinances um, in other areas, uh, some even more restrictive than what's proposed to us today. Is that yes. an accurate understanding? Yes. Okay. So. Uh, we don't have a, an indication on our specific language, but we know from action they have taken in other regions that they could potentially approve an ordinance. Yes, um, I, we've, we've seen examples of all across the board. We've seen um, uh, examples of when Coastal Commission has asked for, uh, uh, have asked uh, for less restrictions uh, but uh, again, I think it, it's really unique to the, the specific needs of the area, and this is where it's important for county staff to, to work with Coastal Commission staff. Okay. Um, I have, based on some of the feedback that we've been getting, I too have a couple of suggestion, uh, suggestions for amendments and have the language to read in a motion to my colleagues be in agreement. Um, the first would require that if parking is provided to short-term rental guests in an area that is a shared driveway or parking area containing an easement, that the host must obtain the consent of the other easement holders. Um, in the Santa Monica Mountains in particular, many driveways and parking areas are shared between more than one residential unit, so it would make sense that all of the easement holders for those areas would need to sign off on short-term rental parking. So it's just to make sure that parking doesn't become an issue for um, those in the surrounding area. And then the second would change the definition of hosted stay to allow a property owner to live in an ADU or another structure on the property and rent out the primary residence on the property as a short-term rental, so long as there are only two units on the property and they are detached. And I'm proposing this amendment because um, members of my community provided examples of uh, where this happens in the community, particularly when older adults who don't need to live in that larger primary residence any longer um, and are more comfortable and suited for the ADU space, um, they still would like to rent out that primary unit so they can um, maintain uh, that income 
but also live in a space that's more manageable for them and be able to age in place. So I have a motion uh, for those two amendments should my colleagues be interested in those as well. Okay, uh, Supervisor Mitchell. Question on um, the, I guess that section, that's sub A. So I've seen instances in my district where there's a main home and then two detached units. For example, a converted garage into an ADU and then an upper level. So how would this proposed amendment apply in that scenario? Or would it apply? So as, as far as the ADU provisions that we currently have in uh, the zoning code in Title 22, um, I don't believe that it would affect those regulations um, because I, I think, as I understand it, the amendment has to do with uh, what or um, what can be uh, unhosted. Mm -hmm. um, but as, right now in Title 22, we do have a restriction that um, ADUs cannot be used for short-term rental purposes, and uh, this amendment does not impact that. Okay, so, but the amendment... Given the ordinance and the amendment, the example the chair gave, um, it's a, a single detached unit, right? So it's two, prop, it's two units in the property. As you said, main house and an ADU. So in this instance, it's really, I guess, technically three properties on the unit because the ADU is above the garages. Yes, theoretically, um, depending on the, the situation, you could have more than one ADU. Uh -huh. So if there is more than one ADU, um, the host would live, if, with the amendment, the host would live in one of the ADUs, right. and then they can rent out the primary residence, but Got not it. the additional ADU. Got it. All right. Thank you. Okay. So um, there's a, a second on those as well. Okay, great. So we um, have a couple of amendments for consideration. At this time, uh, are we ready to hear from the public for feedback on the ordinance and those particular amendments? Chair, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can I just yes, clarify one thing? Yes, absolutely. Uh, just going back to Supervi Supervisor Hahn's suggestion, currently the proposed ordinance includes the annual fee of $914. So if there is a motion to look into that fee. Um, if, it, if you accept uh, Supervisor Hahn's motion, it could be incorporated into yours, so it would come back all together. The entire ordinance would come back, including your directed changes, as well as an investigation into the fee. Supervisor Barker? How, how long will that take? <laughs> I mean, seriously, because that's my concern. I mean, can we put a date certain? Um, it says, this one says, um, first reading of the revised ordinance on March 19th, so if we can stick to that. That was in your motion. Yes. But for the fee as well, because I'm anxious. We don't want you to be anxious. I know. Thank so you. Yeah. I just want to make sure that it's doable within. The, we yes, consulted with county council prior, and we're told that these two amendments could be introduced by March 19th. Correct, so and that could, could be, um, so we defer to department on the fee issue, however if that could be explored in time? Yeah, we, you know, we'll do our best uh, to work with the departments and see if we can come up with a, a structure. You know, I, I certainly would yield to county council in terms of the ordinance and what that will require. 
Okay, so sounds like we could have a path forward. Supervisor Hahn? Well, I was just gonna say, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, I, I agree. We want this ordinance to take effect as soon as possible. That registration fee seemed to be um, a, a little bit unique. And I think I heard my colleagues interested in hearing back what, how it would look and work and be feasible before they incorporated it into the full ordinance. Or did I not read the room right? Madam Chair? I, I have um, Supervisor Mitchell in queue next. To, well, before I respond to that, just I want to make sure, are we talking about pushing the first reading of the ordinance out to March 19th? I want to be clear about what March 19th means. We're pushing the first reading of the ordinance out to March 19th. That is correct, Supervisor Mitchell, okay, yes. Okay, thank you. Oh, um, okay. To so Supervisor Hahn, yeah, yeah. um, to your point, um, you know, I heard that there were other departments we might need to consult. We need to figure out how we were going to define what population would get the break on the 914. I raised the issue. We shouldn't just talk about geography. It should be income mm -hmm. of the owner because we've got, you know, um, folks that are purchasing in our low-income areas, but they are not low-income themselves, if you will. Um, so I thought that we needed to hear back from the department. I'm assuming they're hearing that for the first time today to figure out how that would work. Okay. How we would apply that most fairly and appropriately. So, uh, I mean, just legally, if we have the reading of the first ordinance on March 19th, 19th um, at that point, can you, what's, legally, can you vote on a reading of the first ordinance and by the second reading, if there was a tweak or a change? No. You have to start over. Um, I think, Supervisor Honda, it depends on the tweak itself mm -hmm. and how substantive or substantial that tweak is. Right. I don't consider this a substantial tweak just for a, a phase in or a first year. Um, look at the registration fee, but I would defer to that pack of, pack of lawyers there. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more about how it's languaged, but um, County Council can weigh in on that. I'm sorry, can you just repeat? So the inquiry before us now is if we come back on September 19th, if the fee issue- March. Sorry, March 19th, 2024, if the fee issue- Has not been uh, thoroughly, yeah, finalized, mm -hmm. but it will be before the second res, res, the second reading. If we can proceed with that first and second reading as scheduled, it depends on the take. Well, maybe we should just uh, let's just go forward and and see uh, what we can come up with that might be uh, an opportunity to phase in just for the first year uh, that. Uh, $914 fee for low-income host. So I'm clear, uh, your direction. I hope you're clear. We yeah, so you're, I'm, I'm going to repeat it to make sure I got it right. So your suggestion is that we would move forward with the amount as is today, but explore what options may be available so that way we can proceed with, um, with it on the, the current timeline, but still do our due diligence no matter how long it takes. Everybody's yes, comfortable with that? Okay. Okay. So then, um, so those are the options on the table. Um, any other comments? Oh, Supervisor Solis? So I, I, totally, I totally agree. I think the nexus for me is just verifiable. So, I mean, it's true what Supervisor Mitchell says. You can 
have property in city terrace or unincorporated areas and live outside and you're there because it's cheap, the property's cheap. So verifiable means that the taxes and all of that and really doing some inquiry. And I think you know other departments should be involved, possibly even EO to help us and, uh, and others. So I, I totally agree with that, but that's the concept that I, I see you um, putting forward. Struggling for it. Yeah, which I think is accurate for some, especially yeah. for yeah. those people that we yeah. represent in unincorporated areas that we don't want to displace them. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Madam Chair. That's all. Okay. Uh, do my colleagues have any other questions or comments before we go to public? Okay. Um, we have about 80 speakers in queue for public comment on this item. Um, so we will uh, certainly hear from every person who would like to speak on this item. Should you hear people saying what you had intended to say, feel free to um, not have to echo those comments, but of course we will hear from everyone who is here, uh, both participating in person or by telephone. Um, executive officer, please call the members of the public who've signed up to speak on this item. Will the following individuals please come forward and staff will assist you? Alan Zorithian, Alba Gonzalez, Alex Dobbs, Alicia Contreras, Anna Cortez, Andrew Zucchera, Becca Ayala, Christine Cadell, Christopher Lillian, Krista Leihart, Danielle Wilson, David Shapira, Alan Snortlin, and Emmanuel Cabrera. Please come forward and staff will assist you. Moderator, may we have the first remote speaker, please. Our first participant is Denise Overstreet. You may begin. Um, good morning. Hopefully you can hear me. Yes, we can. Good morning. Great, thank you. Um, I would like to say that we're for this ordinance. Um, many of my neighbors, we live in uh, Ladera Heights, a multi-million dollar property, so um, it's not low income, uh, but we still are negatively impacted by the short-term rentals in our area. Um, I know a lot of advocates for the short-term rental say that they should be able to rent out their house and go on vacation or away from work. Um, but what we're, what we're seeing is it's not the occasional renting. Um, the, the, that's an exception. The rule is these people are running their places like a hotel. They don't live on the property. They don't care about the neighborhood. All they want to do is make money. There are different people coming in and out on a daily basis. And this is a year-round thing, not only 90 days. Some of these short-term rentals are being advertised on Hotels.com. They're running it like a hotel. They shouldn't be able to run a hotel in the middle of a neighborhood. Um, we have experienced all the things that were uh, Thank mentioned Thank you. Earlier Your time has about, expired. Next uh, speaker, please. Our next participant is Joanne Kuchi. You may begin. Hi, how are you? We're good. Thank you. Um, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Um, Okay, I have a short-term rental in Altadena, and this is my sole source of income. Now, I read through all the people who um, don't want this ordinance, who want this ordinance to pass, and it seems like they're really talking about the illegal short-term rentals, the people who have parties. No owner or host wants a party at their house. It's just going to wreck their house. You know, we host quiet families who have to abide by all the rules, no parties, no gatherings, no noise, um, 
I've never had an, a complaint against any of my neighbors. They love the people that come. They said they're really friendly and nice and are really considerate. So, you know, I've never had any of these problems um, that people are stating. It seems like that's the illegal ones, and that should be, um, you know, those should be shut down. If you're not paying taxes, we all pay our taxes. We pay all the Thank fees. Thank you. Your time has you expired. Know, Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Karen Daniels. You may begin. Good morning. We've been Topanga residents and homeowners for over 20 years. We strongly support the draft ordinance, which balances homeowner economics with community safety. We do have some suggestions for revision. First, please remove unhosted stays entirely in our canyon. We are designated a very high fire severity zone. We run the unique risk of a rapid fire running through the canyon with limited evacuation routes. Unsupervised stays with out-of-town people run an enormous risk to us and tremendous liability to the county. Two, the maximum number of guests should be tied not only to rooms, but to the maximum number of on-site parking spots on the property. And we do agree with Senator Supervisor Horvath's uh, proposed amendment that privately maintained roads or shared driveway easements should get approval from all homeowners. This again is due to limited public parking in Topanga and to ensure that emergency access vehicles can get through. Thank you Thank very you. much for your, your time has to expired. Reach out to Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Philip Erud. You may begin. Hi, thank you for a great presentation. I'm concerned that this ordinance prohibits existing ADUs from short-term rentals. Many homeowners took the supplemental income into consideration when financing their homes. Existing ADUs should be exempt from any new ordinances and no new time restrictions should be added for existing ADUs. It's a little cruel to change the financial reality for us after the fact and I don't think the current ordinance strikes this balance. Personally, I currently have to tend to my aging parents in Europe and have to spend several months a year overseas. If I couldn't short-term rent my home during these times, the financial hardship would be unbearable and I would be at risk to foreclose my home. The ADU and time restrictions are especially harsh. I love my home and I'm a responsible host with a great relationship with their neighbors. I don't want to sell my home just because I need to care to my parents. I want to be able to return to my home once my parents have maybe passed. I think this is a cruel, cruel uh, change to the existing rules. Thank you very much for your consideration. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Estheny Castagna. You may begin. Estefany Castaneda. Hello, Madam President, members of the board. My name is Estefany Castaneda. I'm a Sentinel Valley Union High School District board member. I'm school board member and member of the LA County Committee on School District Organization, speaking on my own behalf. Before you is an item to safeguard thousands of housing units that are being systematically removed from working families in our communities. In my unincorporated area of Lenox alone, we've seen an extreme loss of housing due to the changes brought on by SoFi Stadium and incoming Inuit Dome. STRs have played a huge role in displacing our families and pushing them outside of our county and state altogether. This proliferation of unregulated STRs in Lenox and minimally regulated Airbnbs in Inglewood have destroyed our school districts. In the nearby district of Inglewood, schools are closing down, and in my district alone today, I have the misfortune of layoffs on the agenda, and declining enrollment due to the lack of affordable housing has played a large role in this. 
Our unincorporated black and brown families are already struggling to keep our students fed, and we need your help to ensure Thank they retain you. their housing. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Thank you. Our next participant is Marks Gutierrez. You may begin. Hi, this is Marks Gutierrez, a homeowner in District 1 here in El Sereno. In support of the short-term rental ordinance with no amendments, it's time to protect our housing stock and reclaim these party homes for renters. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Dan Range. You may begin. Hello, supervisors. My name is Sam Range. I'm a member of ESA Los Angeles and a renter in Supervisorial District 1. Uh, Supervisor Solis, thank you for your support for Marks at the top of this item. I urge the board to approve this item as an important step towards recognizing housing as a social resource for which the highest and most important purpose is to house long-term residents. Los Angeles housing and homelessness crises grow more desperate by the year. 52% of Angelinos are rent burdened. Last year saw the expiration of many important tenant protections and saw the county's eviction machinery spin back into high gear. Short-term unhosted rentals are a clear example of the conflict between the use of housing to shelter people versus using housing to extract a rate of profit. I urge you to choose people over profit to take one step towards ensuring all Angelinos have a home and approve this ordinance. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Our next participant is Mark Goldschmidt. You may begin. Uh, thank you, uh, honorable supervisors. I beseech you to amend this STR ordinance. Homeowners with a pool house, a trailer, or other uh, uh, habitable uh, habitation on their property, on their own residential property, should be able to rent it on a short-term basis. Your, this ordinance will open very few units for long-term rental by restricting hosted ST units on private residential properties. Laws protecting tenants' rights so favor tenants that it has become horrendously costly, time-consuming, and stressful to evict a bad tenant. There are bad landlords, sure, but there are also bad tenants, and some are happy to take advantage. For the citizen homeowner whose domestic property may be his greatest asset they possess, an evil tenant is a nightmare. As a recent well-publicized case in Los Angeles attests, and I personally know of other cases. This is so well-known, few mom-and-pop residential owners will jeopardize well-being for rental of more than 30 days. If you, the supervisors, wish to see more low-cost rental units built, change those laws so that people... Not just big corporations. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Cassandra Wiseman. You may begin. Hi. I'm um, doing this by phone because I'm almost 65 and I can't get to the meeting. I just wanted to say that I, this is the only way I am able to support myself. Is your comment complete? Anything else you'd like to say, Ms. Wiseman? Okay, we'll go to the next speaker. Our next participant is Leiter Valencia. You may begin. Yes, hello, my name is Leiter Valencia. I'm a resident of Bangda for about seven years. I am with short-term rentals on a responsible basis meaning that short-term rentals should be with a living host, not by a co-host. Co-hosts are making this a business for their revenue and not depending on Topanga itself, but as a cash cow. 
we need to restrict the amount of non-posted stays for the fire risks that we present in the canyon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Okay, we'll go in person. Go right ahead, sir. Good morning. My name is Alan Zorthian. I host because we have a paradigm that's attractive and culturally enriching for the people of Los Angeles County, from people coming from other states and from other countries. We build our space as the American dream to be shared, and hosting is one way we do this. Architectural historian Daniel Paul has stated to me that our property is a primary candidate for cultural landmark status with the state of California. Our hosting at Zorthian Ranch benefits our community by sharing values and, and aesthetic properties. We promote art, unique and regenerative architecture, and, and working with one's hands. We would lose significant income. That income enables us to be able to be active as a cultural landmark and resource for the County of Los Angeles. We have never had a complaint from, from neighbors. Um, the ordinance as written is not flexible and that lack of flexibility is damaging in the greater scheme of things. Uh, and uh, I just would encourage the board to, uh, to consider Thank that. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Next speaker. Uh, I'm Andy Zucro. I'm a resident of Topanga who opposes the short-term rental ordinance as written. This is, a this is a proposal designed for urban and suburban areas that doesn't fully address the needs and risks inherent in rural Topanga. We live in a high fire zone. We have one main road that's prone to flooding, as we all know. There's limited cell reception. And the minimal regulations in the ordinance regarding fire and flood safety, as well as educating guests on evacuation procedures, creates a great risk in our community. Furthermore, the ordinance as written will bifurcate, uh, as was brought up by Connie Chung, uh, Topanga between the Northern Zone and the Coastal Commission. This would just add to more further confusion. It seems like a recipe for disaster. So. Our community needs a specialized plan that isn't tailored for urban and suburban LA, but is unique to us. So I respectfully ask the Board of Supervisors to amend the STR ordinance with an overlay zone for our community of Topanga. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning. I'm Christopher Lillian, a resident of the 5th District for the last three years. I've worked at food service at Universal Studios Hollywood for the last five years, and I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. I'm here to preemptively thank the Board of Supervisors for voting yes on the short-term rentals registration ordinance. Having lived in this great county for almost 20 years now, I've seen a lot change. Many of those changes for the benefit of the communities, many for the detriment of the communities. Uh, short-term rentals at the amount that we've seen for so many years is one of those detrimental things that ultimately harms all communities in the long term. Ordinances like this provide some level of protection for our communities. Our communities need these protections so we can stay where we are in the communities that we love. I again preemptively thank the board for voting yes to pass this ordinance. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning. My name is Emmanuel Cabrera. I'm a resident of LA County Supervisor District 1 for 14 years. I've worked at the West End Bonaventure as a bill person for seven years. And I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. I'm here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the short-term rental registration ordinance because I know how hard it is to afford 
uh, housing in this community. I have been living in Section 8 housing for over 10 years, and it is a real struggle without having that um, program and plan, right? Um, when I first started looking for our apartment, it took us over a year to get um, the housing that we needed. Uh, so I just urge um, the Board of Supervisors that the, please protect our renters, uh, protect me and the residents of the LA uh, counties by voting yes to the ordinance without any amendments. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, buenos dias. Uh, mi nombre es Ana Cortez. Uh, vengo del distrito de, de supervisor del condado de Los Ángeles. Durante 34 años he trabajado para Beverly Hilton. Como recamarera y, y durante 38 años soy este miembro orgullosamente de Unite Here Local 11. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Ana Cortez, resident of the Supervisor County of Los Angeles District, and now for 34 years. I've worked at the Beverly Hilton as a housekeeper for 38 years, and I am a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para, para incitar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la ordenanza de nuestro registro de alquileres. A corto plazo. I am here to urge this Board of Supervisors to vote yes on our ordinance for short-term rentals. La razón que estamos pidiendo es porque mi familia y yo hemos tenido que movernos hasta San Fernando, que me toma como hora y media para ir a mi trabajo, hora y media de regreso, y mis hijos no se pueden independizar basado al costo de la vivienda. And the reason that we are here is because my family and I have had to relocate to San Fernando Valley, which takes an hour and a half going to and an hour and a half going back from work, and therefore my children aren't able to just establish themselves in that area. Nuestras viviendas accesibles como STR en lugar de tener residentes a largo plazo como a los trabajadores viviendo. At this time, the people can use our accessible residencies as um, like STR in, instead of having those long terms so that they can provide homing for all those people that work around the area. Para resolver este problema. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker. If we could hold applause, if you agree with the speaker, you can do this. Let us know that you're in support. If you don't like what the speaker's saying, thumbs down, um, just so we can keep the meeting moving. Next speaker, go ahead. Good morning, Chair Horvath and Honorable Supervisors. My name is Danielle Wilson, and I'm speaking on behalf of Unite Here Local 11. We urge you to pass the regulations that are before you as they are proposed. I want to address any concern raised about the Coastal Commission as someone who's been in actively engaged on short-term rental regulations at the Commission for more than five years. First, the Topanga and Marina del Rey areas, mostly covered in the coastal zone, have the highest concentration of STRs in all of unincorporated LA County. Since 2019 alone, unhosted short-term rentals have grown a combined 65% in these two areas. Not only is it critical that we protect this critical coastal housing stock, but we object to the argument that short-term rentals increase coastal access in the first place. For years, we have demonstrated with average room rate data up that up and down the coast, short-term rentals largely create luxury tourist rentals for the wealthiest travelers. And for years, the Coastal Commission has allowed coastal communities to pass common sense regulations like the ones that are before you today. So please do so. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. 
Hi, my name is Ellen Snortland. I'm a proud union member, and my husband and I are in our 70s. In 2008, foreclosure hit us. We panicked because we're practically unemployable at this age. Then we found out about Airbnb. It literally kept us off the streets. To cut us off from a dignified and useful way to keep our home is arguably unconstitutional, cold and crass, actually. To lump us in with huge corporate hotel chains and big landlords uh, not only puts seniors like us at risk, but disproportionately impacts widows, single women, and freelance union people who already have a hard time making ends meet. Do you think people like us are Airbnb hosts to get rich? We do it for survival. Please, at the very least, put a moratorium on this decision and have the people most negatively impacted by a yes on this considered and respected. Thank I'm providing. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Alicia Contreras, residente del Distrito Supervisor del Condado de Los Ángeles por 37 años. He trabajado en Billmore como recamarera durante 20 años y soy un miembro orgulloso de United Here Local 11. Good afternoon. My name is Alicia Contreras, a resident of the Supervisor District of Los Angeles 1. I have worked at the Biltmore for as a housekeeper for 20 years and I am a proud member of United Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instalar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la ordenanza del registro de alquileres a corto plazo. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on our ordinance for short-term rentals. Vivo lejos, me toma una hora, 20 minutos llegar de mi casa al trabajo. I live far, it takes me an hour and 20 minutes to get from work to home. Esta crisis de vivienda necesita una tanta vivienda como podamos conseguir. Insto a la Junta a proteger las viviendas en todo el condado votando sí para aprobar esta ordenanza sin ninguna enmienda. This Gracias. crisis on living, we need to be able to have as much living as possible. And I urge the Board of Supervisors to please vote yes and approve on this ordinance with no amendments. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. All right, David Shapiro, to the honorable members of the Board of Supervisors and to Lindsay Horvath uh, particularly. In Topanga, uh, we have about 400 uh, um, STDs, and they are um, unique in that they service people who come to our community to enjoy the mountains. There's no hotels in our area, and I urge the Board of Supervisors to consider amendments relevant to an overlay zone amendment that will be able to fulfill the needs uh, for effective and enforceable licensing and regulations. I'm concerned that unless that is addressed, there will be lawsuits, be more money spent, more delays. We want to see that there's a good and a fair um, uh, ordinance that's created so that everyone feels safe and at the same time we don't want to see it go to litigation and have the delay and expense of that for our community. Thank you for your listening. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, <clears throat> Hi my name is Crystal Lightheart, and I want to say thank you to all the, the um, supervisors that are here today. And I appreciate all the work that everybody's been doing and also appreciate all the people out in the um, audience as well for the hard work that they're doing. Um, I'm too, I'm from Topanga and I have lived here for 38 years. 
Um, my husband's been there for over 50 years, and we are completely different than the rest of the, what this ordinance is trying to spell out for us. <clears throat> we are, as other people have said, we are in a mountainous rural community. <clears throat> people who do most of the uh, Airbnbs or the Airbnb business that is there are single people trying to stay away from these horrendous um, rules that have been set upon us by landlords, for landlords. I've been, I'm also a realtor, I have been there where I've seen people who've spent 50, 60, 70, $80,000 to get a bad tenant out. When they call me, I say, short term it. Do not get involved with these bad tenants. That Your time has expired, next speaker. Will the following individuals please come forward and staff will assist you. Arnold Sachs, Erica Frazier, Jeff Sillinger, Galfier Lopez, Haley Magrini, Hugo Molina, Iris Craig, Jessica Sarkara, and, Jess, and John Bertoli. Moderator, may we have the next speaker, please. Our next participant is Bert Newton. You may begin. Yes, uh, hello, supervisors. My name is Bert Newton. I'm with Making Housing and Community Happen and a resident of Catherine Barker's district. Uh, we urge the Board of Supervisors to protect residents and pass the short-term rentals registration ordinance. We work with faith congregations and neighbors to make our community affordable for everyone and to stop displacement of working-class families. We constantly encounter families who are at risk of displacement or have already been displaced, moving further away from jobs in their community. The growing short-term rental industry has turned thousands of homes into tourist accommodations and in the process contributed to the displacement of some of our most vulnerable families. This ordinance will establish a strong and balanced regulation to ensure our neighborhoods are filled with neighbors who have a stake in the community, not just tourists who are here only for a few days at a time. For these reasons, I urge the Board of Supervisors to pass the short-term rentals registration ordinance as currently drafted. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Our next participant is Roy Humphreys. You may begin. Roy Humphreys, Roland Heights uh, County Ghetto area out here at the uh, Roland Heights uh, community meeting last night with Ryan Serrano, our president, uh, discussing this very same uh, topic here. We had a woman from a resident from the uh, a Walnut uh, Ghetto area of uh, uh, Roland Heights here, and noting that uh, with uh, she uh, had a knock on her door at two wit because she has uh, two or three of these Airbnbs uh, in her uh, area there. Uh, with uh, an inquiry from uh, several gentlemen, is this the whorehouse? Uh, so thank you, uh, Hills Police and the County of Los Angeles. And what is the key behind this is in timely, effective enforcement, enforcement, enforcement. You don't have that. All this stuff that you're doing is like uh, dust in the wind as we have uh, so many things. And all this can be seen on my YouTube channel. Don't forget to like and uh, subscribe. And uh, the other question is, why did you have five sheriff's units? Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Philip Irond. You may begin. Hello. Thank you so much. I would like to point out that according to the city's enforcement analysis of the home sharing ordinance, there are currently only 9,500 active short-term rentals in the entire city of Los Angeles, down from 30,600 in 2019. It seems to me that the current rules of limiting short-term rentals to primary residences 
already seem to be striking a fair balance in limiting the overreach of investors while still allowing homeowner flexibility. To me, it seems most issues brought here today stem from companies that are illegally renting out multiple properties. The ordinance should be revised to limit these bad actors instead of further punishing homeowners that rent out their primary residence. These single homeowners should not face any further restrictions, in my opinion. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker. Our next participant is Eric Previn. You may begin. Thank you. Um, I think that we do need an ordinance, but I agree that the corporate interests need to be targeted because that's what's appalling. People renting out their place, and there's an interesting one in the Marina del Rey where those those lessees, Supervisor Hong, do such a nice job of getting such a great deal. They have squeezed a young fella who rents his second bedroom, which is his boat, and they've said, nope, we're not doing that anymore. And it's awful because it is an access to the coast issue. And these people come and they spend a night. He meets them. He sets it up. It's a nice little marina overnight. Nothing wrong with that, except for that these greedy lessees would rather charge 669 over at uh, the Ritz-Carlton, which is fantastic, by the way. I'm not trying to put down any uh, Ritz-Carlton. Uh, certainly not. But $914 is obviously too much um, for this kind of a thing. And cost recovery um, for what? Honestly, I mean, you know, there's no good enforcement. We need responsible actors. And they Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Jason Batista. You may begin. Um, hello, my name is Jason Bautista, Policy Associate at High Community Development Center, a nonprofit organization serving the community of Hollywood's High Town in District 1. Um, I urge the Board of Supervisors to pass the short-term rentals registration ordinance to help combat our homelessness crisis and prevent displacement. Uh, just last month, LA County had the uh, 2024 Greater LA Homeless Count. Uh, while the results were not be released until later this year, the 2023 count found that over 75,000 people across LA County were experiencing homelessness. A part of addressing this crisis must be preserving housing for long-term use to prevent displacement in the first place. The short-term rentals registration ordinance will do just that by ensuring the primary use of housing is housing and protecting rent-restricting units for those who need them the most. Please protect our community members from the risk of displacement and approve short-term rentals registration ordinance. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker. Our next participant is Jennifer Gutierrez. You may begin. Hi, yes, uh, my name is Reverend Jennifer Gutierrez and I am the Executive Director of CLU, Clergy and Lady United for Economic Justice. I am a homeowner in District 1 and I urge the Board of Supervisors to pass the Short-Term Rentals Registration Ordinance uh, because we have a housing affordability and housing availability crisis in Los Angeles. Um, you've heard from all the uh, union members and others that can't afford to live near where they work. Um, on a very personal note, my uh, oldest daughter recently graduated from college uh, and has a full-time job and still can't afford to um, rent. Uh, and this is a crisis that we have here before us, so we need to uh, pass this ordinance as soon as possible to uh, make more housing stock available to the public. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Our next participant is Heather Santori. You may begin. Thank you. Uh, I do think that we need an ordinance in the county areas of Los Angeles. 
but I don't think that we can have it go about as is. And I have a couple of amendments I'd like you to consider. One is consider increasing the number of hosted stays to two to four listings simultaneously, as long as they are hosted and in the primary residence, and it doesn't exceed the two plus two formula per room or 12 people max. The reason why is I'm a single mom and I rent out rooms in my house when my kids stay with their dad. So I actually have a couple of bedrooms that I rent out, um, but they are hosted. So I think that the way to address the $900 um, registration, it is a lot for people who are renting out single rooms. So I suggest that you keep the home sharing versus vacation rentals difference in the ordinance, but also consider adding in when it's just a room that they're renting as opposed to a whole house. Uh, I would also like Thank you to Thank you. Consider Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Montserrat Morales. You may begin. Hi, uh, my name is Montserrat, and I am a renter and resident of District 1, as well as a community organizer with SAGE based in South LA. I urge the Board of Supervisors to pass the short-term rental registration ordinance. I have witnessed firsthand through our tenant clinics how many working class families are currently struggling to keep their homes with um, a skyrocketing number of evictions. The current lack of regulations around the short-term rentals will only exacerbate the current housing crisis. Please help preserve housing for long-term residents and approve the short-term rental registration ordinance. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Our next participant is Allie Acker. You may begin. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. I am a lifetime resident of Topanga Canyon, and we do have a vocal minority here, but I'm speaking on behalf of those long-term residents and others who would like to remain in the canyon. And so I'm, it, I'm a great concern. I think generally as drafted, it's very thoughtfully drafted um, compared to other legislation in the state. The tweak I would re request would be that on parking, whether it's less than 20 feet of roadway, that that uh, the parking be only on site because LA County Fire has made it clear to us that anything under 20 feet makes it difficult for them. And so you're just inviting disaster and I'm concerned about the liability for the county by having uh, parking issues and inviting parking issues. We have two uh, party houses next to us where, you know, at $700 a night. And, Thank you. Your time you know, has expired. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Sarah Geisler. You may begin. Oh, hello? Hi. Go ahead, Sarah. Oh, hi. Sorry. You know, I was there in the meeting in person and um, I had to leave for a doctor appointment, but I just wanted to urge the board to consider that there's still more information that you don't have. And even the information presented at the beginning of the meeting shows a lack of understanding about the market. For example, talking about Evolve, that's just a service that assists individual homeowners with management of their listings who might have full-time jobs where they're not always available or they're less tech savvy. So that's really not representative of 
of the homeowners who are renting out their home. Uh, there's also studies that show that restricting STRs too much disincentivizes new housing development, which is the only way that's going to uh, get us out of the homelessness and affordability crisis. Everybody wants to make housing more affordable, but making STRs the scapegoat and the only scapegoat of this issue is just focusing on the wrong topic. There's so many homeowners who need more flexibility on how to rent out their houses. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Julia Zorthian. You may begin. Hi, um, I've been an Airbnb host in Altadena for about seven years. We have a very unique family property um, where we have three Airbnbs on the property. Um, I lived in a trailer on the property for the longest, for about five years, and hosted the Airbnbs. Um, for us, it it really just makes us able to keep our property, and we we to do that we we use the property with community outreach, and in our case, it's really good for the community. And I think that when people are responsible, caring hosts, it can be. Um, I think that they the county needs to change the ordinance to uh, change the unhosted listings status as people who are not living on the property. When people are living on the property, you're able to maintain good relationships with neighbors and make sure that your your guests are having a good impact on the community. And I do think there needs to be a crackdown on Thank people you. buying your time a property has expired. to turn Next into speaker, rentals. Please. Our next speaker is Jamie Guerrero. You may begin. Jamie Guerrero, you may begin. Jaime, are you there? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Good afternoon. My name is Jaime Guerrero. I've been a resident of LA uh, County Supervisor District 1 in City Terrace for seven years. I'm here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the short-term rentals registration ordinance. Right now, my neighborhood of Sydney Terrace has been ravaged by short-term rentals. According to the Better Neighborhoods Los Angeles, unhosted SDRs have over tripled in East Los Angeles since 2019, and I can see that myself. My neighbors are being displaced by a revolving door of tourists that don't care about the community and bring with them constant noise and house parties, excessive trash, and more parking issues. Short-term rentals stop us from being able to build relationships with our neighbors. Because we do not have these relationships, there is a lack of safety in the community as we no longer feel connected to the place we live. We urge you to protect our housing and pass the ordinance with no adjustments. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to go back in person. Go right ahead. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Becca Ayala, and I'm a policy analyst and advocate at Better Neighbors LA, a coalition focused on preserving housing for long-term residents. We at BNLA strongly support the ordinance as written with no amendments because it will help protect housing for long-term residents, especially in the coastal zone. One in five STRs in unincorporated LA County is within the coastal zone, the vast majority of which are unhosted. Today, there are 784 unhosted short-term rentals in the coastal zone. Communities like Marina Del Rey have been hollowed out by corporate STR hosts seeking to make a profit. The average number of STRs per host in Marina Del Rey is 8.4. 
we need to ensure the registration fee is sufficient to cover enforcement for corporate hosts. We need this ordinance to pass now as proposed to safeguard the precious housing we do have for our long-term residents because everyone deserves to have a roof over their head free from the risk of displacement due to short-term rentals. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, honorable supervisors. My name is Alex Dobbs. I'm a resident of First District 1 in East LA, and I'm also a community resource pastor at Hope Community Church of East LA and a um, member of the Faith and Housing Coalition. And I want to thank Supervisor Solis for being supportive of preserving our affordable housing stock and supporting this motion and all the supervisors for supporting this. And I just want to echo just the, the need for preserving our, our long-term housing stock. I've just seen rents go up so high over the last few years. I moved down the street uh, like two years ago. I went from a 1,600 square foot two-bedroom to a, a 700 square foot two-bedroom, and my rent increased by $700. And we have on my street in Eagle and Hofner, the average rent for a two-bedroom is between $3,000 and $4,000. And um, the, my landlord is renting out a new two-bedroom for $3,600, which is extremely unaffordable for our, for our community. And we have congregants who are homeless, couch surfing, and want housing, but it's very unaffordable. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, good morning. My name is Salva Gonzalez, um, resident of LA County Supervisor District 1 for eight years. I work at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel as a housekeeping for 14 years. I'm a proud member of United here, Local 11. I'm here to urge the borough supervisors to vote yes on the short-term rental registration ordinance. We need to follow the lead of the cities for West Hollywood and Los Angeles, which have a strong on the book resident and unincorporated Los Angeles County need to reserve the same protection and the county is behind on putting this protection in place. I urge to the past the ordinance I proposed with no change. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Jeff Seelinger. Uh, I'm a homeowner in Topanga and the majority of my life I've lived in Los Angeles. I hear I'm against this ordinance and I do hear the concerns of those members in East Los Angeles and other communities. But in Topanga, it's always been kind of a vacation a rental place with cabins. And we have a cabin on our property which um, would not be suitable for long-term rental. And um, the only reason that I am a homeowner is because, in large part, because of short-term rentals. Uh, uh, when my family moved to, Los, or moved to Topanga, it was because we could not afford, we had to move and we could not afford a place even in the valley. We found a place in Topanga which um, we decided to fix up and ultimately as renters we became owners and part of the loan was based on our ability to rent out our cabin. Um, Topanga is unique, it's not East LA and uh, please consider this and thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Hello, my name is Erica Frazier, and I am a property owner and live in Topanga, an incorporated city of Topanga. Um, I am adamantly opposed to this ordinance as it is written. It ties the hands of our community, P 
period. It puts out people like myself who moved back into the community after growing up there to raise my daughter. I bought my property that does have a guest house on it with the means that I had long-term goals for affordable housing for me. I could live in my guest house when my daughter grew older and maybe she would want to live in my main home or for now, when my daughter is with her father, I can stay up in my guest house and rent out my place. Eyes on my property. That is my home. I lock up bedrooms. It has made the home ownership and long-term affordability in Los Angeles doable for me. Affordability in Los Angeles comes into rent control, and that's something that this city did not take into effect when they tore down rent control buildings. This is not the city of Topanga's problem. So I'm against this. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Buenos días, mi nombre es Hugo Molina, residente del Distrito Supervisor del Condado de Los Ángeles número uno durante 30 años. He trabajado en Fairmont Century Plaza como banquetero durante 18 años y soy un miembro orgulloso de Unite Here Local 11. Good morning, my name is Hugo Molina, resident of Supervisor District 1 in Los Angeles that has been for 30 years. I have worked at Fairmont Cemetery Plaza, Century Plaza, correction on interpreter, as an events coordinator banquet area for 18 years, and I am a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la ordenanza de registro de alquileres a corto plazo. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the ordinance for the short-term rental on that ordinance. Este mes me acaban de subir la renta un 4% y tengo hijos este, que mantener y me preocupa poder mantenerlos donde estamos viviendo. This month, my rent was increased by 4%. I have children whom I have to take care of, and I'm also fearful of where I have to take care of my children and the areas that they're living in. Y les insto a que por favor voten sí. Muchas gracias. And I urge you to vote yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Haley, and I own two, a shop in, to, in the center of Topanga Canyon and two short-term rentals on my property. I oppose this ordinance. I opened my shop right as Airbnb started to become popular in Topanga Canyon. And without the frequent support from hosts and guests, we likely will not be able to keep our doors open. I have lived in our canyon for 10 years, and I have seen how Airbnb has made room for so many local small businesses to flourish. Tourists and hosts make up about 40 to 50% of my sales. The hosts I know, including myself, are community-oriented and take pride in creating a space to share our magical canyon with others. Please think of small business owners and middle-class homeowners when voting on this drastic ordinance. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning. I'm John Bertoli. I'm also a Topanga resident. <clears throat> I'm not opposed to regulations, regulation nor many community members I've met with. Um, my, opposi my opposition is that you're using a blunt instrument when a scalpel is more appropriate. One size truly does not fit all, as Supervisor Horvath mentioned. There are vast differences between communities within the unincorporated areas. Specific components of this ordinance are too restrictive and do not meet the needs of our community. Topanga is in the heart of the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area and Topanga State Park. It is designated as a visitor-serving area by the Coastal Commission. Restrictiveness of this ordinance is contrary to the state mandate. We have no hotels, motels, holiday inns, hotel lobbies don't apply to us. Short-term rental allow, short rentals allow visitors the opportunity to experience all that Topanga has to offer and keep these visitors, help, help these visitors, and, and these visitors help keep our local small businesses viable. 
So I encourage you to consider the overlay zone that is mentioned by many other people. Thank you. Next speaker. Buenos días. Mi nombre es Jessica Saracay, residente de Distrito Supervisor del, con, del Condado de Los Ángeles durante 24 años. He trabajado en Western Buenaventura como housekeeping durante 20 años y soy un miembro orgulloso de United Here Local 11. Hello, good morning. My name is Jessica Saragay. I'm a resident of District 1 in the Los Angeles County, and I have worked, or that's for 24 years, and I have worked at the Weston Bonaventure as a housekeeper for now 20 years, and I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la ordenanza de registro de alquileres a corto plazo. And I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the ordinance for short-term rentals. He vivido con mi hermano por más de 15 años y si no viviera allí no pudiera alquilar en en la misma comunidad, todo está de 2.500 para, para arriba y demás. I have lived with my brother for now 15 years, and had it not been that I'm able to live there, I couldn't live in the same community. Everything is above 2,500, and that's a lot. Para permanecer don, donde estamos en las comunidades que amamos, Instinto a la Junta a proteger la vivienda votando sí para, para aprobar esta ordenanza sin ninguna enmienda, ninguna enmienda. Gracias. To be able to protect and to stay in the communities that we love, I urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on this ordinance with no amendments. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Will Donald Harlan, Jose Aquino, Juan Munoz, Juan Munoz Guevar, Kimberly Gustafson, Leia Bata, Lorenzo Hernandez, Luz Adriana Zabala, Luz Loza, Lynn Daughtry, Maria Camarina, Maria Teresa, Maria Zargoza, Marilise Peterson, and Martha De La Torre, please come forward and staff will assist you. Go ahead. Hi, uh, my name is Clafira Lopez. I'm a community organizer with Strategic Actions for a Just Economy. I organized in the areas of Florence Firestone and other areas of unincorporated Alley County. I'm also, I also live in South Whittier um, in uh, CD1, or SD1, sorry. Um, I'm here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on this short-term rental ordinance. Commonly, I see uh, community members that are being displaced by displacement, by, I'm sorry, by developments, and also they are forced to look for housing right after. It's really frustrating for these community members when they're not able to find this housing, especially when there's vacant properties, a lot of the times vacant for a couple of months, right? Because these short-term rentals don't have business during that time. The, with these uh, stories in mind, that's why I urge again, uh, the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on um, this ordinance. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Hello, supervisors. My name is Iris Craig. I'm a policy analyst with Strategic Actions for a Just Economy and a resident in District 2. Um, as a renter in Los Angeles, I respectfully urge the Board of Supervisors to pass a short-term rentals registration ordinance. 
As we gear up for the Olympics in 2028, we need to be taking proactive measures to protect community members and ensure a county that continues to prioritize our residents and not just tourists. This ordinance will place strong regulations on short-term rentals to protect long-term housing for tenants and potential homeowners. Uh, please safeguard our housing and community members by voting yes on the short-term rentals ordinance registration. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Yes, thank you. Good morning, Arnold Sachs. Um, the uh, adding division three, what is the first division and what is the second division? There is no explanation for that in your ordinance. Also, um, it's tie dollar sign. That's not a dollar sign. $914, that's not a dollar sign. Uh, that's a tie dollar sign. You'll notice there's a lot of confusion with the dollar signs that go on mm -hmm. all the time. And you're concentrating on Malibu, it seems like. What about the rest of the unincorporated areas in other, other districts? How about your unincorporated in your district, Ms. Mitchell? How about in your district, Janice Hahn? You have any unincorporated areas in your ex-district? The one you were supposed to give, you, on, you gave up on? Remember that, how you gave up on your district? Please focus your comments on I the ordinance. I am focusing my comment, Ms. Lindsay. Pay attention. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, we need more equality here. You talk about low-income housing. Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Hello, I'm Donald Harlan. This is concerning agenda item number six, uh, short-term uh, uh, rental ordinances. Uh, yeah, there's no uh, short-term rental ordinances here at the county for unlawfully developed real estate. Uh, there should be no policies for these unlawful developed properties except demolish them and collect a trash bond. Um, and also concerning the Airbnb company, uh, Airbnb is a criminal fraud organization. Uh, Airbnb is a fake company. Everybody in there is a criminal and a fraud. They're internet hackers. Uh, that's not a real company. Uh, and also look at the other, the fraud at Airbnb doesn't just begin and stop at real estate. There's a lot of other things they're doing that's really bad. Uh, you, need, you need to build a registry, find out who's made deals with. Thank you, your time's expired. Next speaker. Yes, thank you for listening to my comments. Um, I'm a very strong advocate for the Santa Monica Mountains. I'm in the other canyon, Malibu Canyon, <laughs> near Malibu Creek State Park. I'm a seven-year super host, 221 five-star reviews from tourists visiting in our area. I've contributed $11,000 in TOT to the county since the beginning. I'm asking you to remove the classification of ADUs as unhosted or change the definition. Mine is absolutely hosted. Being a host has been uplifting personally and financially since losing my husband suddenly six years ago. My neighbors never knew I did Airbnb until years later and I mentioned it in conversation. I keep my pricing reasonable for young adults to visit the area and go to the coast and hike in the mountains. I allow no smoking anywhere in my property because I know I'm in the highest wildfire danger area. I would never do a long-term rental, never have done, because I travel a lot for work, and I don't want people on my property when I'm not there, unhosted. I always am hosting my Airbnb. I urge you. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker.
Good morning, Honorable Supervisors. My name is Juan Munoz Guevara, and I'm with Unite Here Local 11. In addition, I am privileged to serve on the Lingwood City Council. Shout out Supervisor Han. I'm here to urge the Board of Supervisors to pass the short-term rentals ordinance as currently drafted. We can all agree that we are in a housing crisis that is in part fueled by short-term rentals. STRs not only lead to increased rents, but take up much needed housing for working families to live in. As a local elected official, I know how much of a challenge it is to bring housing units online. Short-term rentals are taking already existing units off the market. This is why I'm proud to share that there is widespread support for regulations. Over 50 elected officials all across the county representing over 31 cities have signed on to collective letters to their respective supervisors urging adoption. This includes a dozen mayors from cities like El Monte, West Hollywood, Downey, and Pasadena. This ordinance ensures that the primary functions of these homes continues to be housing and that any home sharing activities remain a secondary use. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Buenos días. Mi nombre es Lorenzo Hernández. He vivido en la residente del distrito, supervisor del condado de Los Ángeles por 50 años. Y he trabajado en el Beverly Hilton, Hilton Hotel como carpet shampooer durante 43 años y soy un miembro orgulloso del Unite Here Local 11. Good morning. My name is Lorenzo Hernández. I'm a resident of the Board of Supervisors District and that has been for 50 years. I have worked at the Beverly Hilton as a carpet shampooer for 43 years now and I'm a proud member of local of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la ordenanza de registro de alquileres a corto plazo. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the ordinance for short-term rental. Y estoy aquí para decir que dado a la crisis de vivienda, he tenido amigos y familiares que han tenido que vivir en sus carros por muchos años, ocho o diez años. Desearía que esto pare, que haya más viviendas accesibles para la gente de bajos recursos en Los Ángeles, porque esa gente que vive en sus carros agarran citaciones de la policía, citaciones de, de los uh, parking enforcement, y es muy difícil vivir en este in esta ciudad. And I am here to speak on the experience and on behalf of those family members and friends that I've had that have had to live on their cars for eight to ten years. And they, we need more accessible housing, affordable housing, as we do have in the, in the lower income community so that they can afford it. These people that live in their vehicles have also had citations, police, parking citations or citations from the police. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Go ahead. My name is Mary Alice Pedersen, uh, TOT registration uh, 946. I'm a single mom with an adult son, now 27. I had the good luck to buy a, a three-bedroom home in Altadena and incorporated from my best friend, moved to a low-cost state. I've spent the last 18 years fixing it up because the property was in poor shape, working weekends, hiring friends, buying used building materials at ReStore. It was a smart move because I lost my big corporate job in 2019 after the Disney-Fox merger and then the pandemic hit. I could have wound up foreclosing on my mortgage were it not for rental income that helped me make ends meet. 
I'm aware of the state housing crisis and make it my business to be a part of the solution. I have hosted both long-term tenants and as of 2023, short-term tenants with Airbnb. I won't have time here today to convey how much better short-term tenants are for me and how much I have to lose if this new unreasonably costly and restrictive ordinance is adopted as, as written. Airbnb is popular because it protects me. I don't have to deal with asking for money and my guests never cause damage. We do not have parties. Um, I have wonderful guests that uh, are, are scholars and interns. My Airbnb is not Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Muy buenos días. Mi nombre es Luz Adriana Zavala. Trabajo en el Hotel Fairmont Century Plaza en el departamento de housekeeping y soy una miembro orgullosa de Unit Here Local 11. Good morning. My name is Luz Adriana Zavala. I work at the Fairmont Hotel Century Plaza in the housekeeping department, and I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Pido muy amablemente a la Junta de Supervisores votar sí a la ordenanza del registro de alquiler a corto plazo, porque es muy difícil encontrar vivienda aquí en Los Angeles, California. I kindly ask the board to please support and vote yes on our ordinance for short-term rent, short rentals here in the county of Los Angeles. It has been difficult to find housing. Por ello, la mayoría de las personas que trabajamos en el hotel debemos viajar todos los días de lugares como Pandel, Lancaster, Santa Clarita y muchos más ya que no encontramos lugares cercanos para rentar, esto nos quita tiempo valioso para poder disfrutar y compartir con nuestras familias y seres queridos. Due to this, the majority of us hotel workers have to travel to places or from places like Palmdale, Lancaster, Santa Clarita, being that we can't find places that are accessible to rent here in the area. And this does, it wastes time and takes away time to spend with our family, quality time. Airbnb tiene más de 4,000 alquiler a corto plazo ubicado en Los Ángeles Por ello, tenemos menos oportunidad para las familias y trabajadores para que podríamos vivir y disfrutar. Por favor, aprobar la ordenanza sin ajuntes. Thank you so much. Airbnb has over 4,000 rental units uh, or short-term rental units in Los Angeles, and this being that it lacks the opportunities for families to be able to live and also enjoy our communities. Please approve the ordinance without any amendments. Thank you. Thank you for the translation. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Lynn Doherty, and um, I'm yet another Topengan who's here. Um, and I wanted to add my voice to the idea that Topanga and possibly other parts of unincorporated LA are, are really quite different um, and, and maybe are not being served by um, a blanket uh, ordinance. Um, I've lived in the Santa Monica Mountains for quite some time. I love the area. The area is a national treasure, and I, and I feel strongly that Airbnb allows people access to it. A lot of the people who have stayed in my Airbnb have been um, uh, LA uh, city residents who come to be in the mountains and hike and go to the beach and use the Topanga State Park, which is the largest state park in America in an urban area. Um, and I think that that's really important that we provide that kind of access. Um, 
denying, banning um, STRs in this area would be like denying Americans access to the Grand Canyon or other really um, important parts that we all share together. It's also, um, Thank remember you. the- Your time has expired. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Buenos, buenos dias. Mi nombre es María Camarena, residente del Distrito Supervisor del Condado de Los Ángeles. Durante 21 años he trabajado en Los Hollywood Hotel como recamarera. Durante 21 años soy un miembro orgulloso de Unite Here Local 11. Good morning. My name is María Camarera, resident of the Los Angeles County District for now 21 years. I've worked at Lowe's Hotel as a housekeeper now for 21 years, and I am a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la Ordenanza de Registro de Alquileres a corto plazo. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the short-term rental registration ordinance. En una crisis inmobiliaria como la que vivimos ahora, no podemos seguir permitiendo que nuestras viviendas se utilicen para obtener ganancias comerciales en lugar de ser verdaderos viviendas. In a crisis, a real estate crisis as the one that we're living in now, we can't continue to allow our residencies to be used as commercial gains rather than a living space. Muchos de nosotros estamos luchando para poder costear siquiera un lugar donde vivir, limitar los STR a unidades alojadas únicamente e incluir un requisito de residencia principal ayudará a lograr precisamente eso, proteger nuestras viviendas y a los residentes del condado. A lot of us are trying to make ends meet and to be able to pay where we live. Limiting the STRs and these rental units would only include requirements, and it would help exactly to do that, to protect our living, our residencies here in the county. Insto a la Junta a proteger la vivienda votando sí para aprobar esta ordenanza sin ninguna enmienda. Gracias. I urge the board to vote yes and to vote yes on this ordinance without any amendments. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good, good morning. Uh, my name is Martha Delatore. My husband and I are retired and he is 81 and I am 71. We depend on the income we receive from our guest house as a property for survival. Please don't lump us with corporations or people that have several STRs. I ask that you consider Supervisor Catherine Barger's um, a proposed amendment uh, for those of us that live on the property with an ADU and it is for our income. Thank you. Next speaker. Buenos dias. Mi nombre es Maria Zaragoza, residente del Distrito Supervisor del Condado de Los Ángeles. Durante 21 años he trabajado en Los Hollywood como recamarera durante 37 años y soy un miembro de, orgulloso de UNITE, United. United Here, Local 11. Hello, good morning. My name is Maria Zaragoza. I'm a resident of the County of Los Angeles. For now 21 years, I have worked at Lowe's Hollywood as a housekeeper now for 37 years, and I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Supervisores, a votar sí a la ordenanza de registros de alquileres a corto plazo, incluida la vivienda, asesoría. Supervisors, voting yes on our ordinance for short-term rental registration and accessibility. 
proteger nuestras viviendas no es lo mismo tener una persona en el mismo lote que hospedarla dentro de la misma vivienda. Se trata de ocupar vivienda que debería destinarse a alquileres a largo plazo. To protect our residencies and also having the person within the same home is different from having the person outside our home. And this would assign a specific place for long-term residency. Organizar fiestas y romper otras reglas cuando los invitados de CTR no están en la misma estructura como inquilino, propietario de vivienda. Le insto proteger todas nuestras viviendas y aprobar la ordenanza sin ajustes, ya que cada unidad es importante para resolver la crisis de vivienda en Los Ángeles. Organizing parties or breaking the rules when these guests of the STR are not in the same structure. As a, an owner and a tenant, I ask every one of you that you please also provide an approval of yes for this ordinance with no, with no amendments in the Los Angeles. Thank you. Thank you for translation. Next speaker, please. Will Melissa Dogodo, Mercedes Beatriz, Michael Capello, Michael Clock, Miguel Aaron, Noah Suarez-Sykes, Noel Marie, Noni Shore, Patricia Revolorio, Rich Magram, Rosa Marino, Ruth Dominguez, Sarah Garzda, Samantha Jacob, and Sarah Geiser, Please come forward and staff will assist you. Please go ahead. My name is Luz Losa and I'm a second generation resident of East LA and have been a homeowner for the last 28 years. Short-term rentals are out of control in my neighborhood. In the last five years, I've watched short-term rentals overrun my neighborhood. There are four around my home and run by the same host. Guests come and go, they rarely take out the trash, they use all of the street parking, they're noisy. The neighborhood I love has become increasingly more unpleasant. The short-term rentals have also made my home feel less safe. My grandson has seen guests sunbathe naked and use illicit drugs on a nearby patio. The law will help my family and our neighbors feel safer in our neighborhood, and it will also help with housing issues my neighbors are facing right now. My neighbors who rent would like to be able to buy that used, um, that used to be a thing you could do in a neighborhood. You live in there for a long time. Short-term rentals take housing away from the generations growing up. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es José de Aquino, residente del Distrito Supervisor del Condado de Los Ángeles. Durante 24 años he trabajado en Beverly Hilton como cocinero. Durante años, soy un miembro orgulloso de United Here Local 11. Good afternoon. My name is Jose Cesar Aquino, and I am a resident of the Board of Supervisors in Los Angeles, and that has been for 24 years. I have worked at the Beverly Hilton as a cook for many years, and I am a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instalar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la ordenanza de registro de alquiler a corto plazo. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the ordinance for short-term rental registration. Porque he experimentado de primera mano cómo son para nuestras cómo son para nuestros vecindarios en mi propia comunidad. He visto a mis vecinos de toda la vida irse solo para ser reemplazados por STR como nuevos invitados constantes 
que no respetan las leyes, ruidos, estacionamiento o recolección de basura. And this reason being because I've experienced it firsthand how our neighbors in my own community have left and been replaced by STR with new guests that constantly come and they break the laws or are noisy, also with parking regulations and also affect the trash collection. Quiero conocer a mis vecinos de los STR se interponen en esos para atender a los turistas como inquilinos propietarios de vivienda. Proteja mi vecindario y el de otros en el condado de Vote sí para aprobar esta ordenanza sin ninguna enmienda. Muchas gracias. I want to get to know my neighbors, but STR, it impedes that, and they have to take care of the tourists. So as a tenant and an owner, please protect my community and all those others in the county by voting yes in this ordinance with no amendment. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, good morning, Board of Supervisors. My name is Leal Bata, and I'm a research and policy analyst at Better Neighbors Los Angeles, a coalition focused on preserving housing for long-term tenants. As a renter in SD1 for seven years, I'm here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on this ordinance as soon as possible. According to our data analysis, unhosted STRs are skyrocketing. Since April 2019, when regulations were first considered, unhosted STRs in unincorporated LA County have grown 132% now totaling over 28 homes taken off the long-term market. These are 2,800 entire homes that we as county residents could be living in instead of renting them out for tourists and house parties. This Super Bowl Sunday, there was a shooting at a reported STR in the Hollywood Hills. Regulations must be implemented as soon as possible to stop this rampant growth of using our housing as unregulated hotels. I urge the board, of, uh, the board to protect housing and all residents across the county by voting yes to pass this ordinance without any amendment. Thank you. Um, if we could have it just a little bit quieter on the dais so we can clearly hear our speakers. Next speaker, please. Good morning, my name is Melissa Doggle, and I've worked at the Waldorf Astoria as a cook for the last five years. I am a proud member of Unite Here Local 11 and we just won a historic contract. I would like to thank Supervisor Solis for the support of this and the Board of Supervisors. Um, as much as we won this contract, we also want to protect affordable housing in Los Angeles. We are in a housing crisis, not a STR crisis. Like many of my coworkers, I don't feel like I'll be able to own a home. The prices of goods and services have gone up and we're having these treatments of the STRs more of hotels rather than providing housing for long-term residents. Hopefully we can make a change and please do the right thing to vote yes and support on this ordinance that I've personally canvassed for. I yield my time. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Michael Capello, a Topanga Canyon resident, homeowner, and voter in District 3. Um, I'm also a resident in the Coastal Commission zone. Uh, the supervisors need to make sure that this ordinance considers areas like Topanga as we are unique and unlike the rest of Los Angeles County. The Coastal Commission will also request the county to not reduce this stock as it allows uh, access to the coast. The Coastal Commission does stand to protect multifamily units, which we have none in Topanga. Our area is frequented by visitors across the world who flock the coast to surf, hike, bike, and spend money at our local businesses. 
Uh, and as many as you know, the, one of the missions of the Coastal Commission is to protect these visitors so that they can continue to visit our coast. The ordinance is leaving homeowners like myself and our local businesses in a crossfire in a housing stock fight. We need to make sure Topanga is protected by our Honorable Supervisor Lindsay Horvath, and we need to make an amendment that understands the nuances of our little country town. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning. My name is Ruth Dominguez. I am a resident of Los Angeles County Supervisor District in Alreta, in Arlira. Uh, I have worked at the Double Tree downtown Los Angeles as a housekeeper for three years, and I'm proud member of United Here, Local 11. I live in the city of Arlira because it is too expensive to live near my work. It takes me over an hour to commute to work. Please pass the ordinance with no adjustment. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Noah Suarez-Sykes, and I'm an organizer for Better Neighbors LA. I'm here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the short-term rentals registration ordinance, including the accessory dwelling unit sections, in order to protect our affordable housing stock. According to our data analyses, there are at least 531 STRs in unincorporated LA County that are likely ADUs, comprising a 13% share of the total STR market in unincorporated LA County. ADUs have always been intended to serve as affordable housing, regardless of when they were constructed, part of the US Department of Housing and Urban Development. ADUs emerged in California out of necessity in the 40s to combat the impacts of restrictive single-family zoning and lack of housing and job centers. LA needs to preserve ADUs because they are a crucial type of affordable housing that we urgently need right now. For those reasons, we ask that you approve the ordinance as drafted and as soon as possible. Thank you very much, I yield my time. Thank you, next speaker. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Mercedes Batres, residente del Distrito de Supervisor del Condado de Los Ángeles. Durante seis años he trabajado en el Hotel Intercontinental como recamarera. Durante 14 años soy un miembro orgulloso de United Hill Local 11. Estoy Hello, good afternoon. My name is Mercedes Batres. I am a resident of the county of Los Angeles. Now, I also have been working at the Intercontinental Hotel as a housekeeper for 14 years. I'm also a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la ordenanza de registro de alquileres a corto plazo. Los STRs están apoderando de nuestro vecindario. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the ordinance for short-term rental registration as STRs are taking over our neighborhoods. Aquí en Los Angeles es muy difícil encontrar estacionamiento y eso es muy incómodo para nuestra comunidad. Here in Los Angeles it is difficult to find parking and that is just not comfortable for our community. No podemos construir una comunidad cuando las Casas tienen una puerta giratoria de extraños que no están involucrados en nuestro vecindario. We can't build a community now that we have a revolving door of these strangers that don't belong in our neighborhoods. A proteger nuestro vecindario y el de los y del del condado votando sí 
para aprobar esta ordenanza sin ninguna enmienda. Gracias. Protect our neighborhoods and our county by voting yes in this ordinance with no amendments. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. My name is Rich Magram, and uh, I have... You I could speak right into that mic so we can hear you clearly, please. Oh, okay. My Thank name you. is Rich Magram, and I recommend that you approve this ordinance now. Uh, we live in the city of Los Angeles, but our nightmare experiences definitely apply. I recommend that you beware the unhosted short-term rentals where the owner does not live on the premises. We live next door to one, and it has shattered our lives. The noise, sleepless nights, nudity, drugs, you name it, continues. We have found that the short-term rental laws in Los Angeles are not enforced. The laws in Los Angeles are a toothless tiger the short-term rental laws are a mirage, and they're entirely unenforced. Make your enforcement of this ordinance clear, powerful, and unanswered. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Oh, hold on just okay. one second. We want to make sure your mic's on. Go right ahead. My name is Noni Shore, and I'm a Topangan. While I see the desire to make this broad-stroked ordinance to solve any issues that people might have with SDRs in L.A. County, I know this ordinance to be so ill-conceived as it will not solve most of them, especially affordable housing, and instead will cause unforeseen consequences all over L.A. County. But personally, I'm appealing to the board to please consider amending this ordinance to exclude Topanga and the SMMNRA, or at least modify its restrictions. The Santa Monica Mountains have no hotels, and yet it is a tourist destination for many who cannot afford a decent hotel room and who want a unique experience to enjoy the natural surroundings in a standalone space that is not in someone's home. So homeowners of Topanga should be able to rent out their legal structures safely and with consideration to their neighbors, whether it is their ADU or not, or, or their home, as long as they Thank have... You. Thank the, you. Thank you. Your time has expired. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Michael Clock. Thank you, Madam Supervisors, for hearing us out today. I'm also a Topangan for 18 years. Uh, before that, I was a, a tenant in uh, New York City and 16 years in West Hollywood. So I'm also, like most of the hotel workers here, very aware of the very, the very difficult uh, affordable housing issues that we have, which continue in Topanga because I am a senior citizen and my uh, Social Security doesn't even come close to paying my property tax. Um, and I agree with most of what the other Topangans have said here, but I strongly... Uh, oppose the, the ordinance with the uh, restrictions of the ADUs. That's the only way we can make a little bit of extra money. And I am encouraged, uh, Chair Horvath, that you have proposed an amendment that we can use the ADU, but not completely for the reasons that we need to. Um, I don't really want to move into my ADU where you know, I'd rather live in the house that I've been working on for uh, 18 years and uh, is basically one of arrested decay. So I appreciate uh, your time. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, Honorable Chair Horvath and the Board of Supervisors. I am respectfully asking to amend the STR ordinance with an overlay zone defined by the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation 
area boundaries that recognizes the unique geography and environment of the mountains by balancing the visitor serving needs and preserving environmental and neighborhood protections already in place with the logical outcome of bringing conformity between the local coastal plan which will not be adopting this ordinance and the north area plan instead of bifurcating communities with two different sets of zoning criteria one size does not fit all the proposed str ordinance mostly reflects the urban and suburban areas it does not reflect the rural exurban areas of the santa monica mountains working directly with the communities within the santa monica mountains citizens and the relevant community departments can draft an overlay zone amendment that will be able to fulfill the need for effective and enforceable regulations that are appropriate to this geographically unique area of visitors serving santa monica mountains within district three thank you thank Next you speaker Hello, my name is Noelle, and I have been a resident of East Los Angeles and the City Terrace community for the past decade, um, a community I deeply care about and I'm raising my children in. There are a number of things in this proposal, including the streamlining and collection of TOT that I agree um, is great, um, and that I think there should be regulations in place keeping giant corporations from snatching up housing, absolutely. But I am imploring you not to pass this sweeping measure as it stands without an option to apply for individual exceptions, um, such as the home sherry permit allowed by the city of Los Angeles and the extremely high cost of $914. I run a short-term rental out of our home in East LA um, that would be unsuitable for long-term tenants, and I opened up shop as a way to support my young children and my family, and it gives me the flexibility I need to take care of them, and I also employ mothers who use this flexibility to take care of their children. Most of the people I host are families who cannot go to hotels because they need to freeze breast milk and use a, use a kitchen, so I implore you to not pass this measure as sweeping gesture. Thank you. Next speaker. Do we have any other speakers in the room? Okay, let's go ahead. Go right ahead. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Patricia Revolorio, residente del Distrito Supervisor del Condado de Los Ángeles durante 10 años. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Patricia Rebolonio, and I have been a resident of the County of Los Angeles for 10 years. He trabajado en el West in Buenaventura como recamarera durante siete años y soy un miembro orgulloso de United Hill Local 11. I have worked as a housekeeper at the Western Bonaventure Hotel for seven years, and I am a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la Ordenanza de Registro de Alquileres a corto plazo. I am here to urge the board to vote yes on the ordinance for short-term rental registration. Porque los alquileres a corto plazo están empeorando la crisis de la vivienda en Los Ángeles. Because the short-term rentals are making the crisis worse of the housing in Los Angeles. Estamos sintiendo los impactos en todo el condado de Los Ángeles. We're feeling this impact in all of the county of Los Angeles. Vivo con mi hijo en un estudio y vivo y la renta es de dos mil dólares. Viajo una hora y media para llegar a mi trabajo. I live with my son. I still study. And rent is two thousand dollars. I also have to travel one hour and a half to get to work. Como residente y trabajador del condado, le insto a proteger nuestras viviendas y aprobar la ordenanza sin ajustes. Gracias. As a resident and a worker here in the county, I urge you to approve this ordinance with no amendments. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. 
Will Chris Carlin, Sheila Howe, Sina Heng, Simon Garcia, Snoop Cat, Sonia Ramon, Sonia Zapata, Tanya Farks, Truk Nguyen, Veronica Martinez, Victoria Vergara, Vince Martinez, Yehuda Potash, please come forward and staff will assist you. Go right ahead. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Samantha Gazda. I'm an intern for Unite Here Local 11. I'm also a junior at UCLA and a renter in Supervisor District 3. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the short-term rentals registration ordinance. Housing in the Westwood area is already unaffordable for most students. Westwood consistently ranks as having one of the highest rental rates in the state, and students are being cornered into having to share a bedroom with two or three roommates in order to afford to live near our university. Strong short-term rental rules would free up more homes for us aiming to stay and grow our careers here. Please support students by approving the ordinance as proposed with no amendments. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker. Muy buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Rosa Merino. Uh, residente del, del distrito de Los Ángeles por 42 años. Trabajo en Hotel Índigo de Recamarera por cinco años. Miembra orgullosa de Unite Local 11. Good afternoon. My name is Rosa Merino, and I am a resident of the County of Los Angeles for now 42 years. I work in Hotel Indigo, and I am a housekeeper now for five years. I'm also a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Les invito a la Junta de Supervisores que por favor votar sí a la ordenanza de registro de alquiler de corto plazo. Pues mi pago de renta es $2,800 al mes. Mi sueldo es $24 por hora. I urge the Board of Supervisors to please approve, approve the ordinance of short-term rental registration. Now, I pay $2,800 a month, and I make $24 an hour. Nuestro salario no, sea, no aumenta al mismo ritmo de vivienda, y cada vez es más difícil pagar alquiler. Our wages don't increase at the same rate as the rental increases, and so therefore it's difficult for us to pay our rent. Para nosotros poder pagar este costo de vivienda, tenemos que dividirlo en cinco personas para poder sobrevivir. For us to be able to pay that amount in rent, we have to divide it in five people to make ends meet. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Record profits. 2019, 2022, 2023. The hotels should be paying you more. You guys are getting underpaid. It is not the short-term rentals who are your problem. You guys are fighting for the hotels, not for yourselves, okay? Do not fight for these guys who are making record profits on please your, direct your Please direct your comments okay? to the board. And you guys are stomping on the U.S. Constitution. People have died to stop you guys from doing what you're doing with the short-term rentals. I have hosted Show, I've hosted sheriffs, I've hosted police, I've hosted firemen, I've hosted ambulance workers at my short-term rental, and I am proudly 420 friendly, where no hotel will allow you to smoke as much fucking weed as you want, but you can do it at my house. Back off our houses, here's a constitution you guys are fighting and stomping on, and my forefathers stood 
died and fought for it. Thank you. Next Back speaker. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Miguel Aragón, residente del Distrito Superior, visor del Condado de Los Ángeles número 5. Durante 14 años he trabajado en el Hotel Indigo como housekeeping durante 4 años y soy un miembro orgulloso de Unite Here Local 11. Good afternoon. My name is Miguel Aragón, resident of District Number 5 in the County of Los Angeles for now 14 years. I have worked in Hotel Indigo as a housekeeper for four years, and I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instar a la Junta de Supervisores a votar sí a la Ordenanza de Registro de Alquileres a corto plazo. Tuve que mudarme de Los Ángeles a Lancaster para poder pagar mi alquiler. Ahora viajo dos a tres horas al trabajo todos los días y tengo menos tiempos para pasar con mi familia. I'm here to urge the voter supervisors to vote yes on the ordinance for short-term rental registration. I've had to move from Los Angeles to Lancaster to be able to pay my rent. And now I travel two to three hours to work a day, which then limits my time with my family. Antes, cuando yo vivía aquí en Los Ángeles, al menos pasaba un día a la semana con mi familia. En cambio, ahora se me hace muy difícil. Aparte de eso, duermo menos de ocho horas. Before I lived here in Los Angeles, I, would able, I was able to spend at least one day with my family, one day a week with my family. Now, I can't, and it is difficult, and as it is, I barely sleep eight hours a day. Esta ordenanza haría que haya más viviendas disponibles para trabajadores como yo cerca de nuestro trabajo, proteger nuestra vivienda y aprobar la ordenanza sin ajustes. This ordinance would allow for us and people like myself, employees like myself, to be able to get affordable housing. Please protect our living and approve this, this ordinance without any amendments. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning or good afternoon. I'm Board of Supervisors. I'm here to ask you to please do not approve this um, ordinance. Um, with a pin stroke of 31 pages, you're basically asking all residents who live in the city of, or county of LA, which is, consists of 10 million people, to basically say two things, no on short-term rentals, or, or one or two things. And, and, and basically is to allow them to earn some monies. Um, I understand that there are needs for housing, but this is not a housing issues. Um, parents and seniors who are living in LA County um, rely on these incomes to make, you know, meets their expense. And just like within the last few years, tax went up, insurance company went up skyrocket, and Board of Supervisors here is not stopping them from increasing all these expense. Gas, or cooking gas. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Sonia Cepeda, um, residente del Distrito Supervisor del Condado de Los Ángeles. Durante 22 años he trabajado en Los Hollywood Hotel como recamarera. Durante 22 años yo soy un miembro Orgulloso local 11. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Sonia Cepeda, resident of the Supervisor District in Los Angeles County, and now for 22 years. I have worked at Lowe's Hollywood Hotel as a housekeeper for 22 years, and I am also a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para instar a 
a la Junta de Supervisores a votarse a la ordenanza de registro de alquileres a costo plazo. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the ordinance for short-term rental registration. Es difícil la inseguridad y los parking en la calle. Para, hay que esperar una hora para poderse parquear y llegar a descansar a casa. It's difficult. Security and parking in the streets is difficult. And also, we have to wait about one hour to be able to park once we arrive from work to home. Insto a la Junta proteger las viviendas en todo el condado, votando sí para aprobar esta ordenanza sin ninguna enmienda. Gracias. I urge the board to protect our neighborhoods and also our county by voting yes on this ordinance with no amendments. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, hello, my name is If you could speak right into the mic so we can hear you hello, clearly, Hello, my please. name is Joe Quinn. I am, um, have a resident in uh, Altadena. Uh, my husband and I are working class people. We work really hard to buy this home. We trying to give this one as our retirement because we do not have 401k nor anything. Well, we rent it out for, short, uh, for a long-term tenant. They not only not racket the home, they're not paying rent for 11 months. We now have to wait for, to, to get money to pay for the bank. Um, the neighbor complain, noisy, all of that. So now we actually have neighbor thank us for not having this noisy resident, that, um, tenant that can't even remove them. Um, so I'm here to hoping that say no to this ordinance and, and allow not to do, uh, make a living and uh, not wasting the government when we get older. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, everyone. My name is Sonia. I live in East LA for 12 years. I'm a community cleanup and city terrorist since 2018. I am a landlord and I also have a long-term rental, which creates community. I am here because I live next to a short-term rental with an unresponsive host as you can hear, there's many concerns when there's unhosted places. We need a balance. We need accountability for those unresponsive hosts on STRs. Unhosted STRs create opportunity for guests to be on vacation mode, disrupting our community. Please pass this ordinance and create a team to enforce it. Please remember that our neighbors are working class and we have a lot of people that are retired that do not have a voice or nowhere to complain or to these unhosted places. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Yehuda Potash, and I am an intern at Better Neighbors Los Angeles, a coalition of hosts, tenants, housing activists, hotel workers, and community members focused on preserving housing for long-term residents. I am also a senior at the University of Southern California and a renter at SD2. When my class graduates, we want to be able to find housing we can afford so we can stay in the area. But right now, that may not be a reality. In LA County, according to the National Low Income Housing Coalition, workers in Los Angeles would have to work 2.5 minimum wage jobs in order to afford a two-bedroom apartment at the fair market rate, or make $42.73 an hour. Every day, we do not have regulations will continue to exacerbate this problem. Strong SGR regulations would make more housing available to us that live here and want to build our careers in this great county. Please stand with students and pass the ordinance with no adjustments and as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. The reason America is having the problems it's having is because we're too spread out. There's uh, little towns and cities in between the cities that are necessary 
And prior to 1776, the British put into the names of the cities the spelling, say like um, there are certain letters that are not real letters in the alphabet, like the letter C is the top of an S, the letter J is the tip of a G, the letter H is not a real letter and anything after T. So the illegal cities, meaning like you're not supposed to live there unless you have a job there, okay? So the British had us put, Americans put into the names of those cities the illegal letters so that we could recognize that you're not supposed to live there unless you have a job and you're supposed to be there. Do you have so, comments on the ordinance, this ordinance, sir? Um, well, I hear you guys talking about how there's not enough money or you're voting on a money issue. And since it's up for a decision, it means that there's not enough money necessarily. So the reason why there isn't enough money in the country is because we're too spread out. Thank you very much. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Tanya Farkas. I'm a long-term resident and homeowner in Topanga, and I'm not paid to voice my opinion. I oppose this ordinance because it will impact many homeowners on an existential level and especially does not serve Topanga or Santa Monica Mountain. We are in coastal region. We are a community of homeowners in a rural neighborhood setting. We cannot offer affordable housing and do not take away of it. Homeowners who live on their property should be able to rent out their guest houses or any other dwelling as hosted stays. We need amendments in our area and also include guest houses or other dwelling to be included in being allowed to be rented out as short term. These alternative dwellings do not take away from the long term rental market. Party houses are not the norm in our area. Most guests are single couples or like people who travel with um, pets. Coastal does recognize the setting as a specific setting in our area and the service. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Victoria Vergara. Soy residente del Distrito 10 del Condado de Los Ángeles durante 40 años y he trabajado en el Hotel Bonaventura durante 35 años. Soy miembro orgullosamente de Local 11. Good afternoon. My name is Victoria Vergara. I am a resident of the County of Los Angeles now for 40 years, and I have worked at Weston Bonaventure as a housekeeper for 35 years, and I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para insistir a la Junta de Supervisores para votar sí a la ordenanza de registro de alquileres contra corto plazo. I am here to urge the board to please vote yes on the ordinance for short-term rental registration. En este momento, en el Condado de Los Ángeles, según la Coalición Nacional de la Vivienda para Personas de Bajos Ingresos, los trabajadores en Los Ángeles tendrían que trabajar en dos a cinco empleos con el salario mínimo para poder permitirse un apartamento de dos dormitorios al juicio junto del, del mercado o ganar 42.073 por hora. At this time, the National Low-Income Housing Coalition in Los Angeles has also said that low-income persons would have to take 2.5 to, uh, 2 jobs or a wage of 2.5, this way that they're able to even afford a two-bedroom apartment. At this point, they would have to make $42.73 per hour to afford it. Las regulaciones STR estrictan pondrían a a disposición de los que vivemos aquí más viviendas y más facilitarían el pago del alquiler y lo instamos a proteger nuestras viviendas y aprobar las ordenanzas 
que sí son justas. Gracias. The STR regulations would also allow for us to be able to afford our living, our residencies, and to pay our rent. We urge you to vote yes on the ordinance with no adjustments. Thank you. Thank you for the translation. Go ahead. Uh, good, good afternoon. My name is Vince Martinez, a resident of uh, LA Supervisor District 2 um, for three years. I've worked at the Hotel Indigo as a front desk agent for five years. And uh, I'm a proud member of Unite here, Local 11. Uh, I'm here to urge the board uh, to vote yes on this ordinance. Uh, STRs ruin the sense of belonging in the community. And my personal rent is uh, in the process of being raised, and it's already hard to afford. Um, STRs displace workers like me from uh, being able to afford housing. Um, we, we need uh, these protections in order uh, to stay in the communities in which we love. Um, we urge you to protect housing and pass the ordinance with no adjustments. Thank you. I yield my time. Thank you very much. Let's keep quiet in the audience if we can. We just have a few more speakers to go. Please go ahead. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Verónica Martinez. Trabajo en Westin Bonaventure Hotel por 19 años y soy miembro de local 11 por 19 años. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Veronica Martinez, and I work at the Western Bonaventure Hotel now for 19 years, and I am a proud member of local, Unite Local 11 for 19 years. Estoy aquí en la Junta de Supervisores para votar sí a la ordenanza porque no se puede vivir y pagar renta con el mínimo, y no ganamos 45 la hora. I am here at the Board of Supervisors to say yes to this ordinance, please, supervisors, because we can't live and pay rent with a minimum wage. We, we don't make $45 an hour either. Y es importante votar sí a la ordenanza sin ajustes. And it's important to vote yes with, to this ordinance with no adjustments. Thank you. Next speaker. If you could speak right into that mic so we can hear you clearly, please. Thank you. Soy residente del distrito del condado de Los Ángeles. He trabajado en el Hotel Índico por siete años y desempeño el trabajo de houseman. Soy orgulloso de estar en la unión. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Simon Garcia, and I am a resident of the County of Los Angeles now for 20 years. I have worked in Indigo Hotel as houseman for now seven years, and I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. Estoy aquí para pedir a la Junta de Supervisores que voten sí a la ordenanza de registro de alquiler de corto plazo porque es muy difícil encontrar vivienda. I am here to urge the Board of Supervisors to vote yes on the ordinance for short-term related registration as it is difficult to be able to find housing. Y en este momento viajar hacia mi trabajo es como una hora y media. Algunas veces tomo el metro, que es más difícil todavía porque ahí en el metro hay muchas personas que en realidad no tienen casa. So right now I, I am also taking, or it, it's taking me an hour and 30 minutes to be able to get to work, and sometimes I take the metro, but taking the metro, there's also people there that don't have housing or don't have, they're homeless. Y hacen el viaje muy difícil. And they make that trip very difficult. So, esto me quita tiempo para, para estar con mi familia. 
That takes away time from being with my family. Y pues les pido de que por favor uh, consideren uh, uh, para consideren este votar sí en esta uh, petición. And Gracias. I ask, please, that you consider voting yes on this petition. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other speakers in the room? Okay, we have two more on the phone. Moderator, please go ahead. Oh, shoot. Young. Our first participant is Scott Young. You may begin. Yeah, good morning. My name is Scott Young. And we moved to Altadena approximately 30 years ago. We've owned the house for 30 years. Um, 20 years ago, we moved out because of our family was growing and we decided to rent the house. After having central, several renters over the years, we decided two years ago to turn it into a short-term rental. And after putting in tens of thousands of dollars, restoring it to its original glory, it took us over five months to finish all the work, obtain all the legal paperwork, and start our short-term rental. The house is beautiful. We maintain it very well. We have guests and friends and family that come throughout the year to stay there. But unfortunately, we can't afford to keep it unrented for 90% of the time that we don't use it. I feel Thank you. Like Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. The burden of providing. Our next participant is Simon Van Mervine. You may begin. Dear members of the board, I'm Simon Van Mervine. I'm a Topangan and an Airbnb co-host. I would like to recap some of the sentiments expressed here today. As you have heard, many hosts are not entirely against this ordinance. But some regulations are in order, but not as it's written as of now. This ordinance will have a very small impact on the housing stock. Currently, there are 1,076 active listings. That is only 0.5% of the housing stock in LA County unincorporated. Yet, we are able to afford, like, uh, sorry, we're able to allow people to stay in affordable uh, rentals instead of the unaffordable hotel rooms as well as many housekeepers are employed through the Airbnbs that are in Topanga. We would urge you to strike a balance between unhosted corporate hosts and small singular hosted short-term rentals. Streamlining a DOT collection would also help, as well as adding neighborhood accountability. The measure as of now is fiscally Thank you, insolvent. your time has expired. So Next speaker, please. We have, Madam Chair, but there are no other remote speakers to address the board. Okay, thank you very much. I, for clarity, uh, before I turn to my colleague, I just wanna read what the amendments are that are before us uh, for my colleagues. So uh, it would be to direct County Council to A, revise section 7.96.030.K of the ordinance to allow a hosted stay to include short-term rentals activity, whereby the host remains in an accessory dwelling unit located on the property or in another separate structure located on the property, provided that there are only two residential units on the property 
and they are detached. B, revise section 7.96.060.N of the ordinance to require that if on-site guest parking includes an area with a shared easement, written consent must be secured from all easement holders by the host. C, make any additional necessary revisions to effectuate the above amendments. D, return to the board with a first reading of the revised ordinance on March 19th, 2024. It would be amended um, in this way, which were my amendments, and as amended by Supervisor Hahn to explore options available for subsidizing the initial registration fee for low-income hosts during the first year. Those are the amendments before us. Uh, Supervisor Barger. Thank you. I just want to ask a few questions just based on public comment. Um, the cities of Los Angeles and Pasadena allow ADUs built pre-2017 to be used as short-term rentals. Why was that excluded or what? what is the difference? Because I'm a little, they're trying to explain to me what I'm trying to figure out why it was excluded and what the difference is. Um, our understanding is that the um, it's particular to ADUs and uh, there was um, a major change to the state ADU law in 20, effective January 1st of 2017. So um, our understanding is that um, the reason they excluded anything um, approved before 2017 is probably there, there weren't any, uh, there wasn't guidance in the, the state law related to um, ADUs as we know them today. So why did we exclude it? Um, I, I think it, it didn't seem necessary for, for us. Um, I think for the purposes of city, and I don't want to speak for City of LA and, I'm, and Pasadena. I'm just curious about us. I just am trying to understand why we did. I, I mean, I, yes. I still don't get the difference, but go on. Yes. Um, well, ADUs technically uh, were, it's a new housing type. Uh, we did have something prior to that. We had what we were called granny flats or second units. Those required conditional use permits. So I think uh, based on the county zoning code, it, it did not seem that necessary. Helps. That helps. And then my second question is the issue brought up, I mean, someone I think touched on it and it came to me that we are doing our homeless count now and we know that seniors are the largest population that are ending up either near unhoused or unhoused. <clears throat> is there a reason why we did not carve out um, a provision for seniors? There were no carve-outs specific to any particular group, Supervisor. Okay. Okay, because I think that it's interesting that if you talked, I mean, and I don't know, I'm just based on the public comment, that there were seniors that came forward and said that's the way of staying in their home. Um, but to Supervisor Horbath's amendment, I guess that would cure that. That's the intention behind one of them. Okay, thank you. Um, I just have a, a few follow-up questions based on what we heard from the public today. Um, first, what are the enforcement mechanisms for this ordinance? How will it be enforced? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, DeAndrea Barajas, Treasurer and Tax Collector. Um, we will have dedicated staff that will enforce the um, ordinance. We will have the use of a third-party vendor um, hotline that uh, will allow residents to be able to f file complaints. 
which then our staff and working with our partner departments, we will then act on following up investigating those complaints. Okay, so it'll be complaint driven. There will be a dedicated line. Complaints will go into that line and be investigated by the uh, county staff. Yes. Okay. Um, and this ordinance would not apply to the incorporated city. So any city that has their own ordinance, those terms would still apply. This Correct. doesn't supersede. Correct. And we heard a lot about hosted versus unhosted. Can you tell me how many hosted nights? Is there a limit to the number of nights um, for a hosted rental as defined by this ordinance? So for hosted, there is no limit. Unhosted, there is a limit of 90 nights per calendar year. Okay, and there was an example provided of someone who had a business and then two short-term rental properties on the same property as the business. Could those short-term rentals be considered part of, in a, a bit, be considered or operate as a business and not a residential um, use? So that way they could continue to operate as short-term rentals? I think it depends on the zoning and uh, if commercial uses are permitted on, on the property. So in a case where a business exists in a commercial zone and there are two short-term rentals on that property, they could be rented as a business? Uh, well, part of the Title 22 ordinance is to identify where the zones are allowed, I, I, or which, where, sorry, where short-term rentals are allowed in which zones. Um, but. I mean, provided that zoning does allow for these uses, it, it should be permitted. Okay. But that, that's what we'll be working on in the Title 22. Okay, so whoever had that concern, please follow up, because I think it sounds like that might be a permitted use. Um, another question that came up was, um, did we accommodate for the 20-foot roadway um, regulation that LA County Fire has in place that was mentioned that there's a LA County regulation um, for the roads in the 20-foot roadway area. Does this ordinance account for that regulation? I just want to make sure we're not considering an ordinance that's in incongruous with what our, our fire code and our fire department say. Um, yeah. Do you want to? Supervisor, this Ordinance doesn't address or change the fire code in any way. We can go back and review the comments uh, since we're going to be revising the ordinance anyways. And if there needs to be any change in response to that comment, then we'll bring it back to you. Okay. I just want to make sure we're not considering something that would violate what our of fire course, department is. Of course, one code versus the other. Sure. Thank you, Supervisor. Um, and so uh, there, was, uh, there were multiple mentions of individual owners versus corporate owners. How does this ordinance treat those categories differently, or does it? The fact that the ordinance requires, as written, the use of your primary residence then whether you are incorporated as an LLC or not, it still has to be the primary residence of the entity. So it's not as described by some of the public comments that you have multiple short-term rentals that corporations are renting out for STR. It has to be the primary residence. So again, even if it's an LLC, it's not an LLC that can have multiple short-term rentals. They would have one 
which would be the the primary residence of whoever that you know entity of the of the LLC. Okay, so somebody who um, an LLC that does not have anyone in their business occupying that property could not then sublease any of the other units. Correct. Okay, and. Um, there was also mention of, are we treating rentals of just rooms versus a whole house or unit differently in this ordinance, or are they all considered the same? They're all considered the same. Okay. And why did we choose to consider them the same as opposed to considering them differently? At this time, I can't um, speak to. Are there any other ordinances that treat renting a room differently than tr than uh, renting an entire unit or an or a whole house? Um, there is an example in the zoning code where we do distinguish between uh, the renting of rooms, mm -hmm. um, and there are limits to that. Um, in the event that uh, boarding house, for instance, is not an allowed use in the zoning code. Uh, but the zoning code does treat um, guest houses and ADUs differently, uh, with the main distinction being that ADUs have kitchens and, and guest houses do not. Um, so I hope that answers your question. So there is a distinction in the code, but we're not treating them differently in terms of how they're rented? Not for the purposes of the Title VII ordinance. Okay. Um, there were multiple concerns raised about um, potentially removing unhosted um, rentals entirely from any zone that is designated in a high fires severity zone. Is that something that was uh, considered in the drafting of this ordinance? Repeat that question, I'm sorry. Um, so there were many uh, speakers today who requested that we consider removing entirely the possibility of unhosted renting in any area that is designated a high fire severity zone. So did we consider that in drafting this ordinance? We did consider fire zones, um, not necessarily excluding them entirely, but re uh, requiring posting of, of emergency, you know, information as it related to evacuations, um, to then educate those that are, you know, renting the the property to understand how to be able to, you know, safeguard and that. So you didn't think those zones needed to be treated excluded? differently? No. Okay. We just provided more and requirements for signage and compliance with uh, information. So what, ha so what happens in the case when, should the Coastal Commission disagree uh, in, in any way with what we, um, if, should we pass an ordinance? Um, what if they disagree with our ordinance? How will we proceed with reconciling? Because it seems like we might need to consider some areas differently should that be the case. Um, that will be part of the negotiation that happens between um, staff and, and the Coastal Commission. And uh, there will be touch points along the way where we do report back to the board on the, um, the outcome of the Coastal Commission hearing. Um, but I think ultimately uh, it is, um, we're, the Coastal Zone is under the jurisdiction of the, um, of the Coastal Commission. So uh, we will um, do what, we will work directly with the staff to, again, um, have, uh, be on the same page 
in terms of the, the county's policy and um, the direction that the commission wants to take it in. Yeah, because I'm sensitive to, it makes complete sense if the Coastal Commission rules differently, then those areas should be treated the same. So I just want to make sure that, should that be the case, we have a, a mechanism to modify an ordinance to account for that. Yes, we, we will have to um, amend the, the LCP uh, based on the, um, the outcome of the Coastal Commission hearing. Okay, and the amendment that I, uh, that there are two amendments I proposed. Um, the second one would allow someone to live in their ancillary unit and rent their primary unit. It, it, that is allowed, so I, I know there were some people who mentioned that they wanted to be able to live in one of their units and rent out the other one, so that, that amendment allows for it so long as somebody's living on the property in one of the units. Um, I think as written, yes. Okay. Okay, so I just want to make sure I'm addressing at least some of the concerns that I heard raised. Um, I know that somebody had mentioned that they were in support of uh, an amendment by you, Supervisor Barger. Did you have an amendment? Okay, so I just want to make sure I didn't miss that. And then there were uh, renters who, or there were property owners who expressed that they had... Um, Ba unpaid back rent, and I just want to mention that this board has approved a fund for people to access many millions of dollars that the county is providing, so if you are interested in accessing that funding, we can provide you with that information. Um, Supervisor Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, what is the timing for the Coastal Commission hearing decision? Do we know? Um, we estimated at least a year, but it could actually be a couple of years. They, they actually even have the ability to push it off for a year. Um, so what we will be doing is uh, developing the LCP amendments concurrently with the Title 22 amendments. And um, that next step would be to submit this, um, the adopted LCP to Coastal Commission staff. So does that mean that we implement or execute our ordinance and then it could potentially change when or whenever Coastal Commission makes a ruling if it differs from what we've implemented? Technically we can't, uh, and County Council can certainly jump in, but technically we can't implement and enforce that policy until it's certified by the Commission. So then our ordinance would go into effect in all unincorporated areas of LA County with the exception of areas governed by Coastal Commission. That's, That's correct. correct, Supervisor. And those are the areas you all listed earlier. Marina Del Rey. Um, Santa Monica Mountains Coastal Zone and um, Santa Catalina Island as applicable. Got it. Um, this is new. This impacts unincorporated areas, not the areas you just talked about for a while. It doesn't impact cities who already have policies. So it's, it's a lot of moving parts. Um, my, uh, our chair asked about um, your reporting. My question is outreach. What is the plan to communicate if the ordinance should pass on the front end so people know left from right, up from down, whether it applies to them, host, unhosted, short term, long term. It's a lot of new expectations, new um, definitions. So what is the outreach plan so people understand on the front end? Well, we, we conducted pretty robust outreach in getting to this date, and we plan to, we've acquired a lot of um, 
list of associations, of uh, homeowners association, town council associations. We will reach back out to those um, associations as well as um, participating in various events, community events to share the information. Uh, we have lists of you know various uh, emails and we'll do email blasts and work with the supervisor's offices. So we, we've come across, accustomed to doing pretty robust outreach and plan to do the same. And then I'm assuming that there must be like a PR and media efforts as well, because this is, you know, it's not just, you know, it, it's also for those who like intend to rent. I mean, so it really needs to be broad and vast in terms of, of how we share this update. No, we agree. Okay, all right. Thank you, Madam Chair. Supervisor Solis. Yes, I just had some follow-up questions too. I think someone from the audience mentioned um, Section 8 housing and there's prohibition, right? So could you explain that? Because I think there was someone who raised that, that that's uh, prohibited. In the, in the spirit of trying to ensure that we maintain the availability of affordable housing, um, Section 8 housing and other rent-restricted properties are prohibited from um, being utilized as short-term rental. And also uh, with enforcement, is DCBA con considered one of these uh, agencies or groups that will be involved in your outreach and enforcement? Yes, we, we, work, involved? we work very closely with DCBA, DEO, um, as well as you know regional planning. So we collaborate together to be able to provide outreach. I would even include OIA, Office of Immigrant Affairs, because they do much of this work as well. So we capture uh, the different languages and uh, are, are cognizant of that because we have a lot of immigrant owners and I think we really need to be very robust. So whatever we can do there. I'd like to know later on what kind of funding sources you all are gonna have available and if that's sufficient to do this because this is a monumental and there's gonna be a lot of confusion, no doubt. I wanted to go back to the question that was raised about uh, the number of people that could actually uh, use uh, these rooms. So can you go over that again? Uh, I understand that there are restrictions for occupancy for two guest bedroom plus two with the maximum occupancy of 12 guests. Can you explain that to our public? So let's look at a four bedroom house where we have a host on site. So the maximum would be two per bedroom, which would be three bedrooms, so that would be six plus two. So maximum eight could rent the short-term rental for a, a hosted stay. So anytime you have um, the number of bedrooms, it would be uh, two people per, that, per the bedroom, plus two, but not to exceed 12 in total. So that just raises a question for me because these individuals may not may not all be related in terms of family. So when people come and rent or utilize these spaces and whatever, I'm just always very cautious because in East LA, we have so many issues with density and lack of available parking. And that becomes a very big issue, especially for homeowners that live ne next door to these properties. And the fact that um, there are constant uh, collisions, <laughs> if I could use that word, Sometimes even with our own uh, collection of our, of our garbage trucks, garbage trucks being able to enter into some of these very narrow streets in the unincorporated areas, and I'm thinking in my mind right now, places where I know in uh, 
city terrace. And these are very hilly areas, and the uh, curbs are, are some places non-existent and um, very dangerous. So I'm hoping that we're also thinking about what that means on the part of the county, because it's going to require more calls that are going to be made for us to do things to protect the other uh, right-of-ways and uh, easements. And that's also a discussion that DPW, uh, I would hope, would also, is, I would hope, be engaged in these efforts as we move forward. Because if we're going to formalize this, I think that's what's going to also have an impact on our, on our county services and our budget. That's just something I'm recalling from what I know happening in my district now. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Supervisor Barker. Yeah, just in follow-up, because I, I, we get clarification, like when you want to clarify this, can you put together a frequently asked questions sheet for us so that we can disseminate that into our unincorporated areas as well? Because I appreciate, um, uh, Chair Horvath, your clarification on um, the definition of uh, unit located on the property or in another separate structure located on the property. I think people need to understand that and then um, Supervisor Mitchell and I were talking and hosted there is no limit, unhosted there is a limit. So I think it would be very helpful to get clarification um, on some of the frequently asked questions which I think we all know what they're going to be in terms of definitions and um, percentage or number of nights etc. Um, so that we can get a clarification. Then I just have one question. So does that mean that part of Topanga is going to be covered and the other part's not? Under the Coastal Commission, right? Okay. That's correct, Supervisor. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I'm over here. Okay. But, um, yeah. Correct. Any of the LCP amendments will not go into effect. So the short-term rental ordinance will ha won't have any impact in the coastal zones until those LCP amendments are certified by the California Coastal Commission. So Marina Del Rey, all, all areas? Correct. Okay. Thank you. Madam Chair, yes. If I could just add, the fact sheet information can be made available on the unincorporated areas website too. Yes. Thank you. So I mean, I am on this ordinance. Um, I th I think there are two primary things that I consider. First, the availability of ho housing stock, which was mentioned, but mo most importantly, um, safety. And um, we heard concerns through this process uh, uh, from people who are operating unpermitted units. And that is a safety issue regardless of whether this ordinance passes. We can't have people operating unpermitted facilities anywhere in unincorporated Los Angeles County. It's a safety issue, especially if it's in a high fire severity zone. So any, any unpermitted structures um, regardless of this ordinance, we would have the ability to enforce um, against any unpermitted structure. So for anyone for whom that's a consideration, um, this ordinance, quite frankly, doesn't even matter um, because that, per that uh, structure is not permitted. But I am also concerned about the fire and uh, disaster safety uh, considerations. And that's also why I'm interested in an ordinance because I think we need to know how many people, who is in that area, should, God forbid, should there be a disaster, how we prepare to respond to some of the structures that may be operating as short-term rentals to ensure we have the appropriate and right kind of response in the time of an emergency. So I think making sure that we have some sense of that through regulation is important. Um, so I, 
I am interested in moving forward um, today with the proposed, um, also with the proposed amendments. I'm glad we're considering um, the potential for subsidizing for low-income renters and or low-income hosts, and um, and that uh, this ordinance will not go into effect in the coastal area um, until such time as the coastal commission reviews it. So there won't be um, sort of a stop start in, in that case as well. Um, I, I know that doesn't make everyone um, who has spoken with us today um, happy, but I, I do appreciate everyone who has come out to share their perspectives. I think it helped me and, and all of us understand a little bit better what it's like in each of your neighborhoods and what you're concerned about. And I think we should continue taking those concerns into account as we draft the ordinance and then ultimately implement it to make sure that there aren't any unintended consequences for which we can um, make adjustments. Um, so that's where I'm at today. With that, I will, it would be appropriate to close the public hearing and vote on this item. Item six, as amended, is before us, moved by Supervisor Hahn, seconded by Supervisor Solis to approve the item. Executive officer, please call the roll. Supervisor Solis. Aye. Supervisor Solis, aye. Supervisor Mitchell. Aye. Supervisor Mitchell, aye. Supervisor Hahn. Aye. Supervisor Hahn, aye. Supervisor Barger. Aye. Supervisor Barger, aye. Supervisor Horvath, aye. Supervisor Horvath, aye. Motion carries five to zero. Thank you very much. We will now be moving on to our next set matter. If you are not, if you will not be staying for the next set matter, please depart quietly because we do have more business to attend to. Um, if you are staying, please also join us quietly so we can hear the presentations. I can hear, please be quiet as you are exiting the auditorium. If you are exiting, thank you very much. We do have two more presentations we have to get through. We'll now move on to set matter one. Again, please, if you could please leave quietly. We'll now move on to item, uh, set matter one, report on the county's implementation of the people experiencing homelessness missions. For members of the public on the telephone, please press one then zero now to comment on this item. Sheree Todorov, our executive director of the Homeless Initiative, chief executive office will make a presentation. Good afternoon, supervisors. It's very exciting to be with, your, be with you today to share a report of our one-year anniversary of the Emergency Declaration for Homelessness. Um, I want to thank you so much for your unanimous support of the Emergency Declaration motion. And just want to really, at the beginning of this, recognize the opportunities that were presented to the county through the declaration. Not only the opportunity to align and adjust our focus, but also the opportunity to build a faster, more nimble infrastructure with delegated authorities, an opportunity to grow and accelerate the implementation of our new framework, as well as the goals of the Blue Ribbon Commission on Homelessness, and an opportunity to work with our partners more deeply and in ways through our innovations. In today's presentation, you're gonna hear about the Homeless Initiative's evolving role, an update on the system-wide impact of our collective successes over the 2023 calendar year during the state of emergency, as well as examples of how the Homeless Initiative is transitioning efforts around prevention, mainstream services, and the homeless response system to focus on keeping people housed, increasing flow through the system to permanent housing, 
and connecting people to county resources. Before I want begin, I want to quickly recognize our partners in this work. The impacts that I will be sharing today would not have been achieved without them. Um, I want to acknowledge um, LASA and Dr. Adams-Kellum, the Chief Executive Officer and her entire team for all of the work that they have done and partnered with us on under the emergency declaration. Um, many county departments, including the Department of Public Social Services, Mental Health, Health Services, Public Health, Children and Family Services, Public Works, Animal Care and Control, Military and Veterans Affairs, um, Economic Opportunity, Aging and Disabilities, Consumer and Business Affairs, Park and Rec, Fire, um, our Sheriff's Department, um, our Internal Services Department, our um, uh, LA County Development Authority, um, and also want to acknowledge um, within the CEO um, the support and leadership of our Chief Executive Officer, Fizia Davenport, um, and the CEO team, and really direct ongoing support to support what we're doing through our Asset man Management Branch, our Budget Team, um, Office of Emergency Management, and our Anti-Racism, Diversity, and Inclusion Initiative. It has been an all-hands-on-deck. All of our county partners and departments have stepped up, um, and we have many successes to share with you um, while acknowledging that we still have a lot of work to do. To help introduce the next slide, I'd like to also recognize our partners in countywide communications. Um, as you know, how we share and talk about our efforts is an essential part of our successfully preventing and addressing homelessness. And um, countywide communications has been a great partner, including in the creation of this video. LA County's state of emergency and homelessness is one year old. This seismic shift has accelerated service delivery, cut red tape, and sparked critical change for LA County and our communities. Our four new strategic missions are already changing lives and getting people housed. Here's how. Encampment resolutions. Pathway home, the county's signature encampment resolution program is quickly moving people and their pets into interim housing, removing unsafe vehicles and returning community spaces to their intended use. Housing. We're expanding interim housing by slashing red tape and using every tool in our toolbox, including purchasing home key properties, leasing hotels and motels, preserving affordable housing and building new housing. New programs are helping voucher holders find apartments faster by removing biases and offering more choices. By partnering directly with landlords, we can lease an entire building in just one week. Mental health and substance use disorder services. LA County outreach teams have expanded helping us build trusted relationships with encampment residents and provide mental health and substance use disorder services throughout their journey to housing. Eviction protections. We can't solve this problem without keeping families from falling into homelessness in the first place. We have extended tenant protections passed during the pandemic, limited rent increases for rent controlled units, paid back rent for hundreds of tenants with the county's rent relief program, and expanded eviction outreach, education, and defense programs like Stay Housed LA. 
Since declaring a local emergency one year ago, our strategic approach has changed, but the mission remains the same. Increased staffing, renewed focus, and better cross-jurisdictional outreach have strengthened our ability to respond effectively. LA County is charting a new course to end homelessness, and we're ready for what's ahead. The Homeless Initiative and our partners have worked quickly and thoughtfully through the implementation of the state of emergency. This has been a deeply collaborative effort. I'm gonna take a moment to quickly share some of the changes that have occurred within the Homeless Initiative through the implementation of the emergency response. As previously mentioned, the state of emergency presented an opportunity for the Homeless Initiative to accelerate the implementation of its new framework, which was approved by the board in April of 2022, and lean, into quick, and lean in quickly to its evolving role of driving a clearly defined vision and collective response. The most effective response to a crisis in a county the size of Los Angeles must be coordinated, systemic, and strategic. Such an effort requires focused leadership that is empowered to oversee, steward, and coordinate the complex network of jurisdictions, departments, and programs. The state of emergency has established this focus. The Homeless Initiative is integral not only in driving a clearly defined collective vision toward solutions, but also in advancing equity through our implementation practices. This provides a significant opportunity for the Homeless Initiative to embed emerging practices to advance racial equity across policymaking, planning, funding, and service delivery. The Homeless Initiative, in partnership with ARTI, is enhancing our efforts to rigorously monitor and report on the equitable impact of these activities and leverage our authority and the flexibility established in the framework and the emergency declaration. The goal of these efforts is to implement an overarching equity framework that is integrated into HI-funded departments, agencies, and service providers' overall approach and day-to-day -day practice to ensure the county's commitment to equity is actualized. Additional details on this partnership, strategies to date, and the work ahead were recently elevated in Attachment 5 in last week's board letter related to the Homeless Initiative's funding recommendations for fiscal year 24-25. Some of these efforts are highlighted here on this slide and many are already underway. I spoke earlier about the Homeless Initiative and our evolving role, but we are not the only county entity that has grown and used the state of emergency and the delegated authorities and the expedited processes to quickly scale our impact. Delegated authorities allow us to expedite contracting and hiring, purchasing and grant acceptance, generating more resources to more effectively address this crisis. This slide elevates some examples of where we and our department partners are leveraging these authorities for a rapid response and how the county is using these opportunities to cut red tape. Our expedited processes have seen a 77% reduction in hiring times for county roles that have a nexus to the emergency declaration. And not only are hiring times down, but the number of hires made using these authorities is steadily increasing as demonstrated by the approximately 200 hires made in the last two months of 2023 alone, totaling more than three new staff each day. Another example is how the delegated authorities have allowed departmental partners to quickly accept funding and grant awards, enabling new funding to be used quickly. Highlighted here are several major funding awards granted to the county during, the, during calendar year 2023. And the grants in the lower part of this spreadsheet are ones that were accepted using the emergency declaration process, which sped up our ability to accept the funding and implement the services.
To achieve mission number two of the emergency declaration, housing, we must increase both interim and permanent housing at a scale that drives flow through the system toward permanent housing solutions. This means being able to quickly transition people from interim housing into permanent housing as soon as it becomes available and provide supportive services for those with the most acute needs. The numbers on this slide reflect the number of people moved into interim housing countywide during the first year of the emergency declaration, uh, calendar year 2023. Um, there were over 37,000 placements, new placements in interim housing, which is a 15% increase from the prior calendar year. Um, just for um, awareness, the top number is the number of new placements in interim housing, that number with the yellow highlighted box, and the bottom numbers are the number of people served by each department last calendar year, including those that were already housed at the end of 2022. So you will not be able to add those up to the total on top. They're different um, numbers. I do want to mention that this um, is likely an underestimate of the total number of people served in 2023 as placement data for that calendar year is still being reconciled. We will release updated numbers when they are available, but we do expect it to go up. I also want to say that these numbers reflect all interim housing placements captured in LASA and county department data systems, and they do include the city of Los Angeles. So they are including the city's new investments in interim housing as well as the county's, and it captures the city's interim housing expansion under their Inside Safe initiative. These permanent housing numbers are also reflective of the city and the county. Um, these numbers reflect the number of people permanently housed throughout the county, um, throughout the system in 2023, which is um, almost 24,000 new placements in permanent housing in calendar year 2023, which is an 18% increase from um, 2022. We also expect that these numbers are an underestimate as we are still capturing all of the 2023 placement data. The driving force of homelessness is a lack of affordable housing. In Los Angeles County, we are currently experiencing a massive housing deficit of over 500,000 affordable homes. The previous slides have talked about how the homeless services system has helped rehouse our unhoused neighbors and support them in finding stability in that housing. These next two slides are intended to highlight the intentional investments the county has made to expand rental subsidies and to create and preserve affordable housing, knowing that these are key to preventing and ending homelessness. Some of these subsidies and housing outlined in these slides are supporting those who are formerly experiencing homelessness and others are supporting low-income people at risk of falling into homelessness. We can see that there were over um, almost 6,300 individuals experiencing or at risk of homelessness who are housed in um, LA County Development Authority public housing um, in the calendar year and um, almost 3,500 formerly homeless individuals were permanently housed with LACDA tenant and project-based rental vouchers, which is a 32% increase over the prior fiscal year. Um, I want to talk about unit acquisition for a minute. Um, in a competitive rental market, many people experiencing homelessness with rental subsidies in hand, they have a way to pay rent, struggle to lease up because of discrimination and other barriers. The Homeless Initiative funds unit acquisition efforts that incentivize private property owners to reduce barriers for people experiencing homelessness to access their units using housing subsidies. Once units are secured through these efforts, people experiencing homelessness can lease up and use their rental subsidies. This maximizes the county's multi-million dollar investment in rental subsidies, as well as our use of um, federal rental subsidies. 
Unit acquisition also benefits property owners. It provides a stable source of income, guarantees consistent customer service, and offers varied options to maximize participation. A core component of our effort to address homelessness is to bring more units online. The county uses a variety of tools to increase the housing stock for people experiencing or at risk of homelessness, including the $100 million per year investment in the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, which has supported the significant expansion of affordable and permanent supportive housing unit development countywide. This slide captures a number of new units brought online in 2023, as well as the number of units that are in the pipeline by the end of the calendar year. Um, in 2023, in LACDA's pipeline, um, over um, 2,000 units were completed, which is a 67% increase of the number of units that were completed and came online in the prior fiscal year. One of our greatest successes in the development of new permanent supportive housing has been our partnership with the state of California on the Home Key program. In calendar year 2023 and into the early part of 2024, the county has been awarded eight new home key projects, totaling almost 600 new units. Across all three rounds of home key, LA County has successfully been awarded 31 new sites and more than 2,100 units. Pathway Home is the county's encampment resolution program in 87 of the county cities, um, excluding the city of Los Angeles and in our unincorporated areas. It's an innovative program designed to promote system flow while moving people off the streets and into permanent stable housing while also returning public spaces to their intended use. This slide displays our Pathway Home dashboard which tracks our progress since Pathway Home was launched in August of 2023. We have had 10 operations with um, 440 people coming inside to interim housing, um, 206 unsafe RVs have been removed from the streets, and 56 people have moved into permanent housing. Um, that number permanently housed is actually um, a bit higher than that, and we look forward to updating that soon as well. Inside Safe is the City of LA's encampment resolution program. The next slide will detail the growth of county resources, some of which have been used to support Inside Safe. But for the moment, I'm going to provide a high-level overview of what the county what county support looks like during Inside Safe operations. The county is an integral partner during the planning and response phases of every Inside Safe operation, and we remain in partnership with the city and their Inside Safe participants throughout the housing stabilization process. This partnership includes county participation in city planning and operational meetings and aligning county operated and contracted resources to, to support the city. This includes outreach teams, interim housing and permanent housing resource as well as county department resources. As we come toward the end of this system-wide impact section of the presentation, I'm gonna to speak to the third mission, which is mental health and substance use. There's been a significant increase in specialty outreach teams. These include DHS multidisciplinary teams, as well as DMH home, homeless outreach and mobile engagement teams, known as home teams. We've seen a 62% increase in the number of MDTs, and we have doubled the number of home teams. These teams um, engage some of the clients with the more complex health, um, mental health and substance use conditions experiencing unsheltered homelessness. In late 2023, we also saw the early stages of the new interim housing outreach program teams, also known as IHOP. These teams are a cross-departmental collaborative partnership between the departments of mental health, public health, and health services. These teams include licensed clinicians who go on site to interim housing locations and who assess the needs of people experiencing homelessness within interim housing and connect them to behavioral health services, caregiving services, and other resources. These teams also provide services on site in interim housing. 
The funding for these teams comes from the Housing and Homeless Incentive Program, or HIP dollars, which came to us through a partnership with Medi-Cal Managed Care Plans, LA Care and Health Net, and also through a MHSA innovation grant. The county's partnership with Medi-Cal Managed Care Plans also includes the launch of the DHS Housing for Health Interim Housing Caregiving Team. This program is designed to support clients entering interim housing who need support with the activities of daily living until they're able to secure state-funded in-home supportive services. The team provides medium, short to medium-term personal caregiving service to these clients through this transition and assists them with connecting to ongoing personal caregiving services. I um, just want to really speak to these. We are really embedding a much deeper layer of service to support our interim housing providers because we know that they are increasingly having clients who have higher level of need. So we are seeking to respond to that. Um, the Department of Mental Health and Public Health have also brought online 921 new substance use disorder beds and mental health beds. Um, I want to add that these beds have been brought online since June of 2022, and this count is between June of 2022 and December of 2023. The beds include residential treatment beds, inpatient treatment beds, and beds for clients enrolled in outpatient treatment programs. Additionally, DMH has brought online 133 new enriched residential care beds. I'm actually, um, the slide says um, DHS, it should say DMH, um, so I apologize for that mislabeling. Um, these are more commonly known as um, boarding care beds or also adult residential facilities or residential care facilities for the elderly. We are going to hear more about these beds and the pipeline of these beds in the next set item presentation today. In October of 2023, the board adopted eviction prevention as the fourth mission of the emergency declaration to prevent more people from falling into homelessness. Stemming the number of people facing eviction and ensuring they stay housed is key to this work. Stay Housed is the county's eviction prevention program and since its creation has supported thousands of tenants as demonstrated on this slide, including providing legal services to almost um, 22,000 households. Additionally, programs administered by DCFS, DPSS, DMH, and LASA have prevented over 11,000 um, other people from becoming homeless in 2023. Um, eviction promotion, um, need to add the Department of Health Services to that list as well. In addition to the county's eviction prevention work, the county is deepening its efforts to strengthen prevention and safety net programs. The Homeless Initiative is launching community listening sessions with a number of communities and stakeholders to hear from them about how the county can most effectively um, prevent homelessness. We have undertaken resource mapping to assess countywide prevention programs and available funding. We are working with county departments to better guide county residents to mainstream services and prevention resources and are investing in predictive analytics to identify households at high risk, highest risk of losing their housing and connecting them to resources to help them stay housed. As we are wrapping up here, I'd like to take a moment to illustrate how the fiscal year 24-25 budget approved by your board last week intentionally focuses on and funds innovative approaches to prevent people from falling into homelessness and promote system flow by moving people experiencing homelessness from encampments to permanent housing. This budget was designed to support the five pillars of the new framework, coordinate, prevent, connect, house, and stabilize. I want to revisit an example of this here. In our last update in December, we shared the story of William Escribana, who experienced this system flow, flow through Pathway Home. Just before the Thanksgiving holiday, William, who you can see in these pictures, and 19 others moved into permanent housing. 
William was among the nearly five dozen people surviving in RVs in East Gardena, West Rancho Dominguez, who accepted the county's offer of interim housing during the first RV-focused pathway home in um, August. William stayed at a hotel operated by a county's nonprofit service provider where he was connected to benefits and received supportive services, including housing navigation. Just before Thanksgiving, he and his beloved dog moved into a permanent home in a master lease building in unincorporated Los Angeles County using a time-limited subsidy. William's journey from encampment to his own apartment, his pathway home, took exactly 90 days. William's story is an opportunity to see how strategies, partnerships, and collaborations, often presented as individual programs or innovations, are being intentionally married to increase flow through the system, supporting clients from the street to permanent housing. This example represents the Homeless Initiative's new framework in action, and I want to draw our attention back to the funding recommendations that were approved last week and how they are being implemented to achieve these goals. Depicted here is a snapshot of portions of our recently adopted budget. These funding areas depicted demonstrate how the Homeless Initiative is continuing to implement the new framework's focus on supporting a full circle system that puts the client's experience at the center and aims to fund programs and housing in a way that moves clients toward permanent solutions. As shown in this slide, we continue to scale the system across many areas to address the needs of people experiencing homelessness, but by investing even more heavily in the permanent solutions, we are focused on stopping bottlenecks and increasing system flow toward permanent housing, coupled with the supportive services that people want and need. We can see that deep investment in permanent housing and the scale that we are achieving here by the significant increases in housing navigation, unit acquisition, housing subsidies, and supportive services, as well as some expansion in interim housing. All of these are intended to align flow through our system from unsheltered homelessness to interim housing and then into permanent housing. Um, just want to um, once again um, thank the supervisors, thank all of our, our colleagues, our departmental partners, our continuums of care, our many stakeholders and service providers who have come together over the last year to really start and have actually changed the way that our system is operating. And we continue to partner on further alignment to achieve an even greater impact. Um, and the um, emergency declaration, as declared by your board, um, had a tremendous impact in allowing us to be able to align our resources to cut red tape and to move faster um, and to make some significant progress in achieving our goals that which we are now able to continue to accelerate and amplify so thank you supervisor mitchell thank you very much um, and congratulations on one year um, i appreciate this report back I'd, I'd ask that it be included for us regularly because i think it, it serves a twofold purpose to help make sure the board is clear and where we are on the numbers, but also um, those who watch the board meeting and the public, because I think it is really important that the public um, understands the numbers and the impact that we're having based on the emergency declaration and based on the locking of arms and our focused attention um, as a county. And I think it was like your upcoming work slide, you talked about uh, public-facing dashboards are soon to come. Mm -hmm. So I think these kind of presentations are important because I think the public, um, if they don't feel it, they need to be able to see the numbers. Um, I hope they're beginning to feel a change, but they need to see the numbers of the impact that we're having. So congratulations to you and all of the uh, collaborating um, and delegated authority um, departments for um, the work a year out. Couple of questions. Um, one, because it comes up often from 
our city partners. Um, your slide said that 75% of inside safe um, beneficiaries, if you will, have received county services. Um, what why not the other 25%? And could you give us a high level of what those services are? Because we hear a lot from our county, our city partners, that where's the county? So could you clarify that 75% for me? Yes, um, thank you. Yeah, we've been partnering very closely with the city. Um, also, starting at the, when clients are unsheltered at that outreach stage to try and connect to county resources, as well as when they come into the Inside Safe Interim Housing, where we're hosting service connection events to further connect clients to interim to county departmental resources. Um, the, the number that you're referring to, 75% um, of Inside Safe clients um, connected to county services. Um, we are looking at a period of time um, a bit before and a bit after the client is um, uh, involved in an Inside Safe encampment resolution. Um, and we are looking at services by our Department of Mental Health, um, Public and Social Services, um, uh, Health Services, and we are um, seeking, we're also looking at um, uh, county funded services such as our um, time limited subsidies and, and other services at the county funds. Um, and we're seeking, we'll be, um, we're working to add in um, substance abuse prevention and control services as well. They're not included yet. We're dealing with a little um, data and uh, technical issue related to that, but that'll be added to the dashboard. So health services, are people getting any kind of preliminary health screen? The, um, when clients come into interim housing, typically what happens is a service provider there does an assessment of the client's needs and seeks to connect them to whatever services they may be eligible for. We're always seeking to connect clients to their established primary care medical mm -hmm. home so they can mm -hmm. remain that continuity of mm -hmm. care with that mm -hmm. service provider. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have one, then we're seeking to get them connected to one as quickly as possible. However, services are also provided out in the field. Um, and so there are, um, in particular, our department of health services has launched mobile clinical teams that are really robust clinics, um, full clinics on wheels um, that are going out to unsheltered locations, but are also going to um, our encampment resolution interim housing sites mm -hmm. and doing clinical services on site at the interim housing. That I get. The real question was around inside safe. Yes. People who once they get into an inside safe site, yeah. do they have access? And it makes sense yeah. if they are being connected to their pre-existing health care provider, because we should be providing that service if they are already a member yeah. of a Medi-Cal plan or whatever, and they should be getting it there. Yeah, and the, medical, the, the, the mobile clinics are going to the inside safe locations as well. Excellent. So tell me about the 25% that yeah. I would say we're not serving, yeah. and who are they and why aren't we? And so um, it may be some clients for whom there's not a particular county resource that's the right fit for them right now. Okay. That seems like, you know, we would generally expect that to be a small number given that we have people who are literally experiencing homelessness. Um, and it may be some clients who are not at that point in time um, uh, ready to engage or participate in county services. Um, what happens in that situation is there is ongoing engagement with the client um, in an attempt to um, get them connected to whatever resource they may be eligible for. So I, you know, regularly hear concerns about response times. We've talked about this before um, from, um, as well as sometimes the quality of the response for municipal services and programs from my unincorporated area constituents. Um, 
Is there a way that we can show how all of these efforts are improving the services and programs to those constituents in those unincorporated areas? I think there is. I think there is a, um, a further sort of refinement and breakdown of this mm -hmm. that could also focus specifically on the unincorporated areas to um, share that story more specifically. Yeah, I think that would be helpful, particularly as you build out your public-facing dashboards for those residents to be able to track and, and understand how this work is directly impacting their lived experience as residents in unincorporated areas. Um, I'm wondering if it's too premature or if we can begin to figure out how we build a system that we can track. Um, if we're beginning to track which option proves most successful in keeping people housed, be it vouchers, subsidies, you know, I loved the master leasing experience we had in an unincorporated area in the second district. But, but, you know, since at this point we are throwing everything we can at the challenge against the wall, how will we know which of these various creative options um, over the long term we should perhaps pivot and focus more on because they are proving to be more successful in keeping people housed over time? Yeah, so we, um, we do track housing retention, uh -huh. um, and we can track housing retention across different housing types. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that provides us information on um, where we can have the greatest impact. Um, we also would um, be tracking, and, and especially as we're expanding into um, scaling up like master leasing, for example, um, tracking the cost associated with the different types of housing interventions and sort of doing that sort of cost-benefit impact mm -hmm. analysis as well. Mm -hmm. um, our, our work in the master leasing space is newer, so that will take a little bit of time to mature to track retention and housing stability as well as cost. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually, we do have an evaluation that's intentionally built into that new innovation that we're okay. doing, so there will be an evaluation. I just think that's important. While, while the numbers on your system-wide impact multiple slides, um, the, the numbers I saw are certainly hopeful. Um, over time, we want to make sure that we are continuing to invest our energy, your energy, into strategies that um, are proving to be the most successful. Cost, the, the cost-benefit analysis, absolutely, but certainly in terms of keeping people housed. Um, and I think I'll be more than happy to have a conversation offline, just really wanting to, to figure out how we are truly tracking outcomes. I appreciate we're counting beds, we're counting people housed, but really wanting to make sure that the long-term through line is really measuring outcomes in a significant way, making sure that, that, that the navigation systems are serving people truly countywide, that all of these services are truly um, with an equity lens meeting the needs of people um, across the county. Congratulations on year one. I look forward to um, the, the you know, soon to be delivered products that you listed in your kind of upcoming work slide, particularly those public facing dashboards. Um, not only does it you know, lend for transparency, it really helps the public understand um, what is happening, uh, whether the encampment on their block has been addressed or not, to know countywide, to be able to see numbers and see progress. The video was amazing. I hope we can link, link that video on all of our own home pages because I think it was a great um, visual as well as the data 
um, way of showing people the work that the county is actually doing. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Madam Chair. Supervisor Hahn. Thank you, um, uh, Madam Chair, and thank you to my colleagues for allowing me to jump the line. Uh, thanks, Cherie, for this report. Um, yeah, it's been a year. It was, it was a little bit over a year when I stood uh, as the chair of the board then. I stood with Mayor Karen Bass uh, as she declared uh, in the city's emergency response center, and she declared a state of emergency for homelessness. And I loved that uh, press conference because it had us there, right? It's kind of the first time we had you, Cherie. We had our CEO. We decided to embed ourselves um, kind of in their emergency operation, and that felt different um, than had ever happened before. And then it was, uh, you know, only a, a few uh, days later, um, uh, Supervisor Horvath and this board decided to declare our state of uh, emergency for homelessness, which the Mayor, Mayor Bass had asked for all, you know, kind of uh, 88 cities in the county to do this, a similar thing so that everybody had this sense of urgency. And I think that's what uh, we've all been uh, hoping for. I think that's been some of the previous frustration was just didn't feel like we were addressing this with the urgency um, that it needed. Like if, if this many people, if 60,000 people were displaced because of a fire, a flood, or earthquake, it was that sense of, man, it would be all hands on deck uh, until everybody uh, found uh, shelter uh, pretty much that night. So I do like uh, the feeling that we're uh, addressing this with a sense of urgency. I like that it's all hands on deck with our county departments. Just listening to you, Cherie, rattle off all of our county departments that are in this. And I think that's the other thing that's important for the public to know. We are like everybody in on this one. I don't care what department you're in in the county, you probably have some angle uh, where this homeless crisis has impacted you or you could help out in addressing us. Um, I really also want to give a, a shout out to HOST, uh, our sheriff's uh, deputy unit that uh, I have worked with very closely as we work on uh, some of these encampment programs. So lots of great data. Lots of great increases in all sorts of beds and navigation and outreach. And I agree, as Supervisor Mitchell, this is good that the public is hearing this because I don't know about my colleagues, but people I hear from in my district are not feeling positive. They're not feeling like it's all this great stuff we're doing. And everywhere I go, Every question I'm asked starts with, what are you doing about this homeless crisis? So it's clear that, and I know, I, I know the stats that we're housing so many every day, but more people are falling in. I know that, but I do think the public is, is still very frustrated at our, what they think is our inability to uh, address this in an urgent way. I'm just going to focus uh, my question on the, the Pathway Home Program. Great wonderful, too bad it took us so long to figure out um, that what really mattered to these homeless encampments was that they all go together. Like we spent a lot of years trying to pick one or two people out of an encampment and give them a nice place and they're like, we don't, I don't wanna leave my, my friends. I don't wanna leave my neighbors. They're little communities, they're little villages. So it's really smart, our pathway home. And I know it's a lot of work. Right? There is so much work before that, initial, that final day, 
And one of these pictures I saw was uh, of Major, who I, I spoke to directly. I actually drove him to the, the hotel that we had secured in Linwood. He'd been living under the 105 freeway for a very, very long time. And so these are successful. You know, you get the hotel rooms, you do a lot of outreach, and then on that day, you have the van there, and you tell everybody, it is moving day. We are taking you, we are taking your belongings, as many as we can, and we are moving the entire village, encampment, neighborhood, community into um, a, a motel or hotel. But we've only managed to do 10. <laughs> so my question would be, in this spirit of emergency, in this spirit of cutting the red tape, bureaucratic landmines out there <laughs> everywhere, what would it take? I feel like we need to do one of these every week. Then I believe we would begin to see that, that uh, major change in the landscape of encampments. And again, I can't speak for my colleagues. That is what my constituents talk about all the time. It's the encampments. I'm afraid you're going to talk about oh, we don't have the hotels. That's OK. You can talk about that. But, um, this is one of those things, we should do one of these a week. Uh, then I believe uh, we would really be getting to make uh, the, 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 a dent in people you know, living in these encampments. And by the way, these encampments are not healthy or safe. They're not safe for the people who live there. They're not safe uh, for, particularly for women uh, in these encampments. So they're unhealthy. We can't let people live in these encampments. It's not a, it's not a good alternative for your life. We need to move them inside. So my only question is, what would it take to do one a week? Well, um, I, I have some almost almost there good news for you, um, which is that um, thank you to the board for um, approving the funding recommendations last week because it did fund Pathway Home through fiscal year 24-25 um, um, and gets us, um, you know, on the path. We're, look, we're looking at like right now, like every week and a half, getting on that pace. So that's the pace we're striving for right now. Um, and we are, um, we are getting our hotels um, lined up in different regions throughout the county where we plan to be in long-term agreements with them so that we can use them to support encampments within that region over um, through, um, through, at this point, through the, our funding, which is through 2425. Um, so we, that scale is happening. That was really good news. Uh, let us know how we can continue to support that effort because that is a winning strategy. And as many of us said, let's double down on what works and let's throw out what doesn't work. But this one works. Let us know regularly how we can continue to support that. Thank you, Cherie. I didn't expect for you to say that. Supervisor Barker. Thank you. And I'm, I'm going to follow up before I start my comments, Cherie, on that because I agree with Supervisor Hahn wholeheartedly. A week and a half is unbelievable. But one of the things I was talking to Mayor Bass and, and Chair um, Horvath when we sit on LASA is the fact that we do the housing first model, but we do not front load the services as well. It could take anywhere from two to three weeks, which causes problems, which is why many communities tend to push back on um, motels. So as you are rolling these out, what guarantees are we giving that day one the service providers will be on site beginning to do outreach um, with the, um, uh, the 
the individuals that are being placed? Yeah, so, um, so we have um, in the pathway home model, um, we not only is there 24-7 um, staffing at all of the interim housing that we're using for pathway home, so those motels all have 24-7 staffing, but we also have intentionally funded case managers on those sites as well. Um, so we know the case manager, they're not the clinical, you know, mental health professional, so I'm acknowledging that, but they are the individual on site who, um, when we are not there with a clinical team, are able to know if a client needs assistance or resources and help secure them for that client. Um, we start the process of trying to connect clients to county resources while they're still unsheltered. So those teams are doing the assessment while they're still in the encampment. There's sort of weeks of prep time leading up to the um, actual encampment resolution where we're seeking to connect to resources during that time. Um, we do often those first couple of days. So one, anybody who needs an urgent access to service, we are like on that and supporting the interim housing provider with that. There's also a little bit those first couple of days where that settling in is the most important thing for the client. Um, and they're much better able to engage in services um, a few days later. Um, so our, our service connection events are typically held like about two weeks after. Um, but in between then, we are seeking to assist clients with connection to resources that they need before that happens. Okay, I wanna, yeah, I mean, I just, I just would say that, that one of the things that we hear is in areas where it's two weeks, yeah. there can be disruption in the community, unintended. Yeah. Um, and so I would just have us rethink think that because I'm all in and you know I'm proud of the fact that I've got two coming online in my district but don't think that it was not hard yeah. um, convincing the cities that they are going to be good partner or they're going to be good neighbors that we are providing services and you know it's it's one of those things where I believe it um, but I want to make sure that across the county we are in fact doing that um, because it, and I, I can only speak from my district there's pushback and it's based on stories that they heard out of Orange County when they housed a lot of the unhoused in a motel. And this, the story when they, when they left was, you know, millions of dollars cost to, you know, to repair the motel because they, you know, were holes in the, the walls and all that. And it's just not the case across where I don't think that's our experience. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make sure. And then um, on the slide where you talked about the gentleman that's now in time, is it time specific housing? It's, it's called a time-limited subsidy. Um, what that is is a rental subsidy that typically supports a client for a couple of years um, with the goal of either them achieving some um, income to support their own housing or being transitioned to a different um, type of housing resource if they're going to need long-term support. Perfect. I, you know, these type of stories I, I really think are important for us to get out um, because that is people assume that we're just like warehousing people. But in fact, in this case, we're helping him to become self-sufficient in a couple of years, but we're giving, giving him that time, kind of like when Supervisor Mitch and I were talking about the um, guaranteed income. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that is to, not a handout, that's a hand up to help them get to where they can be self-sufficient. And I, I feel like that's missing with people that think we're just warehousing homeless. Um, I don't know if you can answer this, on the section eight front, I'm coming back from D.C., listening to HUD, um, talking about one of the, the impediments to getting people to accept Section 8 housing is the fact that w until it's approved, there's a period of time um, that they don't get paid. And I know that Supervisor Kuehl was very instrumental, and I don't know if it was, was Supervisor Solis, I can't remember who the co-author was, to see about the county bridging that so that we can get it Section 8. Where are we on that? 
Um, we um, are able to fund, um, it, it's called different things, but basically sort of like a holding fee, for example, to retain a unit for a client until um, their Section 8 is able to, that goes through the entire process. Um, the master leasing and the unit acquisition program is actually something that really changes the game for that as well, because we end up Hold it. We we have oversight of the unit. Um, we have oversight of the tenant selection process, um, and we are actually seeking to make spaces available for people with federal vouchers lease up because we don't want to leave any of our federal vouchers, you know, underutilized. Good. Good. If you could just give us, or, or I'm sure the, the board wants an update, just because I want to make sure, because that was acknowledged by um, HUD as being an impediment and was talking about it, um, and I just think it's important for us to be cognizant of the fact that we still want Section 8, we want to get those yeah. vouchers out there, and that there are those out there now, especially um, uh, up in my district, that would m maybe be willing if they knew there was some way to bridge that. Yeah. And then last but not least, I, I also am going to thank you for your work. Um, I know, and, and Chair Horvath, um, we see you at LASA, and I think that the most important thing for me is you understand by declaring this emergency declaration, it was at all hands on deck. We already were doing things, but we, we, we needed a little more cutting the red tape. And I've been so impressed with the fact that while we're doing it, you want to make sure it's being done. We can talk about it, but make sure that it's being done. And when we talk about the prevent, prevention, that was not part of the, that was the fourth PEH mission that was added later. My question to you is, because I'm talking to staff, and, I, and I'm not, I don't mean to put you on the spot with FESIA, but I'm just going to. Um, we're discussing the broader emergency declaration and how prevention is being structured and built out with the CAO under you. Um, number one, do you have the staffing to focus on the prevention, and how are we doing that? Um, because I think it's important for us to recognize that the goal ultimately is to prevent people from ending up on the street because I appreciate all the hard work that's being done, but I'll make sure that we are providing you with the resources, especially since this fourth um, mission is now in play. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, you know, with, with the board support, we have um, expanded our prevention staffing. And so it was less than a person um, in the past um, who had been dedicated to prevention. Um, we now have three full-time positions dedicated to prevention, and we have hired a new um, senior manager over the unit that has experience um, in prevention and eviction prevention work and uh, supporting uh, tenant protections work. And so she will bring additional um, expertise into this space. And so as we are defining our prevention agenda and as we are um, bringing our new staff up to speed and having our new manager um, settle in, we are our um, staffed um, the right our our um, staffing is right sized at the moment, um, but I will certainly we will bring it forward when that situation changes. Fezia is nodding. See, that's that's teamwork. <laughs> yeah, and then last th this is my last. The host team out here under Lieutenant Kittens out here in the the corner. I just want to publicly thank them. I know I'm funding four dedicated teams in my district, and they have really capitalized on the emergency declaration and have housed individuals that were housing resistant, service resistant, and quite frankly, I went out with them and was so impressed with the fact that with the LASA outreach team, they know these people by name, they know their challenges, they know their life experiences, they even know what to bring, um, whether it be clothing or food or you know, um, uh, soap, um, based on the relationship they have, and that's how they've gained um, the trust of many that they've been able to get off the street. So I want to thank you and your team, 
Lieutenant, um, for all the work you do with the LASA outreach team. It's pretty amazing. Thank you. Supervisor Solis. Yes, thank you, Sherry, and, and thank you to all the departments and our CEO, because I really do think since you took over the helm of this, uh, un, you know, just daunting fight, uh, you've really changed the reputation of the county of Los Angeles, especially as it applies to Measure H funding, LASA, and really being kind of our troubleshooter, the person who helps to bridge uh, whatever those gaps are out there. And they exist still, but I know that you've done a tremendous effort personally on the ground, and, and now it's paying off. I love that um, you're just tenacious, which is what we need, because this uh, it's true what Supervisor Han says. There's a lot of people who still don't believe that we're making a dent, but I think uh, your passion and the fact that you can collaborate with other people and other jurisdictions has really been helpful. Uh, we need to clone you, in my opinion. We need to have, we need 50 Sherry's. <laughs> we do, um, and I mean that because I, I feel that there are still some cities out there, and you know how my district is. It's still problematic for them to understand the role that they should be playing. And I don't want to reward people for not doing the right thing either. But at the same time, I don't want to overwhelm the ones that are doing well. And you know, I won't even mention their names. They're doing, they're doing wonderful work for us and helping us in a region, not even their own city. They're going beyond that. Um, but how, how can we help? How can we help you in that manner? What, what are some of the things that you've learned that you could share with us and how we can get our cities to, to start to, uh, you know, really take a, a much stronger stance on this? Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor, for that question. Um, and thank you for your kind words as well. Um, you know, it's, we have, um, as you have, we have all experienced, we have deeply invested in our municipal relations team and building out relationships with our cities and also in our unincorporated areas. Um, we are really focusing on those um, conversations and communications and opportunities to work with those local jurisdictions um, to, um, to uh, help partner with us on housing. So I think that would be like the number one thing is every single thing that we can do at any time to create permanent housing for anybody, um, which a part of that is like new development, but also something that's well within cities, not, not control, cities ability to influence mm -hmm. is working with their property owners to help make um, existing rental properties in their units more available to people experiencing homelessness. Um, so bringing people into our master lease program, into our unit acquisition program, everything that we can do to help create um, housing that is affordable for people um, is like the number one priority. We have a tremendous investment in interim housing. It's very important. Um, we still have so many unsheltered people as we know. If we had flow through with, with 20, 25,000 beds in this county of interim housing, um, if we had permanent housing exits for people, um, we would um, we would be able to bring the unsheltered people inside pretty quickly. Um, and so it's, this is really a flow issue and it's about affordable housing and being able to exit people to permanent housing. So everything that we can do to double down on developing housing, preserving affordable housing, and opening up our existing private sector rental market to housing um, is gonna be really um, essential, um, as well as continuing to advocate for those um, federal subsidies and programs that support like the rental subsidies and section eight and project-based vouchers. You know, something that just dawns on me is um, 
really trying to get Emilio Salas out too, to some of our cities. Mm -hmm. Does a great job for our unincorporated areas and, and city of LA and, and perhaps other cities. But I think just on a bigger level, going going out there, show you know, presenting yourselves together, and how we can leverage funding that we get from the feds, especially the vouchers, the HUD vouchers. I just learned there are many cities, probably out in the San Gabriel Valley, that are not utilizing their vouchers appropriately because they don't think it's sufficient. But if we were to couple our resources, we'll say, hey, we have a facility. We can move that. Trust us. We can do it. Some, some cities are doing it right now. I know Almani. Uh, mm -hmm. did that with Baldwin Parks' vouchers because they didn't want to build housing or they didn't want to build a structure. But if we start to collaborate and get that number, we could, we could really make a dent, I think, in areas right now that are really uh, in need of, of this assistance. So that's just something I learned this week going out to NACO, uh, NACO and um, other ways that we can try to enhance our services. I love what, what you did already with the winter shelter. I think we need to have more access to park to our parks, gym, gyms for the winter shelter because we're not through yet. I think there's more storms that are coming in, and even in the summer, that's something we should be contemplating as well, because of the heat. But we're, we get it. We get a double whammy here. So I, I think you had mentioned to me, Sherry, you were talking with. Uh, Norma Garcia, Parks and Recs, and there might be some opportunities there. We want to continue, yeah, to work with our Parks and Recs um, colleagues to see what the opportunities would be um, and also explore. Um, we know um, that there is heavy community utilization of their facilities as well. And so with awareness of that. Not everywhere, sure. I know. Everywhere. I, yeah, yeah, there's certainly opportunity. I mean, there also may be the opportunity for more like um, we're exploring um, and, and looking at opportunities like related to um, more sort of like sprung structures that might be able to take advantage of county space as well to be able to bring up um, uh, shelter for inclement weather very quickly. Right. And we're also, we're starting to, um, what we're used to is our winter shelter program. So WSP or augmented winter shelter right. program might become like our weather shelter program, yeah. right? Year round. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Whether it's hot, cold, or, or in between, yeah. And, and something, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but something I do agree with uh, Supervisor Hanan is the, um, you know, clearing out the encampments and how readily, because we, we can't wait for you to get to East Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I feel, I feel like, you know, you, you had to start up, you had to start somewhere, but now you have a, you have a, a template yeah. and you know how to do this. So if there's any funding gaps there because of staff, because I know we're competing for staff to do these types of jobs. So I, I think there is an urgency and if we talk more about it offline, we can maybe try to figure some things out here. Because I'm very hopeful that, that we can, if what happened in Supervisor Mitchell's district can happen everywhere. So I, I just want to say that. But thank you again for all your support and for CEO and for really putting our face out there in, in a, I think, in a positive light compared to other cities that may say they're doing it all. But guess what? We're doing a lot and we need to get credit for it. And that's one thing that we need to urgently press for. So people understand, not that we want to take a bow, but that we need to say, yes, these are the things, as you've outlined, in a, in a very uh, simplistic way that people can really understand, whether it's a dashboard or just having you be interviewed, uh, you or our CEO, and what have you, just explain how we've collaborated, because it, it is a story. So I thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Okay. Thank you. Supervisor Mitchell. 
Thank you. Just as I listened to Supervisor Solis and Han, um, and glad to hear that it will be um, moved more quickly. We, we can, you know, one site per week and a half. And, and it was a ramp up from our RV motion that, you know, it took us a year to figure the motion out, frankly. Um, and so I'm glad we are now where we are. So my question is, um, you know, what do you need from us? What's next on the horizon? The RV motion was critical. That was a kind of a missing piece. Um, you, you know, what next from, from the policy setting perspective do you see on the horizon or do you need from us? The next version of the RV pilot that led to Pathways Home. So, you know, what is the next big kind of gold ring or area that we haven't kind of opined on or set policy on as a board that um, you need? Um, so, you know, I keep on going back to permanent housing. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, every sort of potential policy and advocacy and space in which um, we are preserving existing affordable housing, um, building new affordable housing, and um, uh, opening up our rental market um, with some, wrapping some additional resources around it in order to be able to um, have um, lower income people be able to be more stably housed in our rental market. Um, we, um, there is, um, you know, we're, we're, we have, um, we, we've talked about this, we have such a large number of people in our county um, who are severely rent burdened, mm -hmm. um, and we are continuing to have that inflow um, into um, homelessness. And mm -hmm. so certainly everything that could help people stay in the housing that they're in. Um, I know that the um, eviction prevention work, there's been deep investment and it's scaling up. Um, we need to, um, there's a plan about that scale up and the investments that are needed over time. Um, my office will certainly be looking at that and ways to support that. Um, but I think that we do want to make sure that that gets fully scaled up um, and supported um, and, and work with our, our all of our um, cities as well to participate in that um, and maybe be a partner and also whenever possible contribute in some way to those efforts. Um, I think above and beyond that we have some learning from our um, eviction prevention work and our predictive analytic work to see how refined we could get to help identify people at high risk of losing right. their housing before they get that eviction. Right. Um, and the challenge here um, is the, the scale of that. There are so many households that fall into that, um, that, that category at high risk of housing instability um, that to be able to implement like a financial assistance program to serve them and a resource program to serve them and to connect them to the county benefits um, is a, uh, an almost, um, it's, it's not a, there's, there's not a sustainable solution there if we're not able to further refine who we're targeting. Right. So it's really being 
able to focus on who we're targeting with that. That is also something that HI is looking at very closely, working with our departments that are starting, that are doing the predictive analytics work, trying to learn from best practices across the country to be able to come back and have a conversation about how we can make investments that are, um, that we have the ability to be able to be very targeted with to help people a little bit further upstream. That's very helpful, um, particularly when we consider the ramp up time, what it takes, you know, from the RV pilot just to design it, pull all of those departments together, as you said, the time it takes prior to the day that we actually go out with all the departments. It's, it's such a, it's so time intensive, so I get that, but I, I appreciate those other examples, you know, some of them, you know, kind of we control as the county, some of them are partnering, like, you know, how to build more affordable housing, we'll have to do that. Um, I think, you know, Supervisor Hahn mentioned a good example at our last La Casa meeting, where she's looking at the um, elimination of um, mobile home parks in her district. And that's another area, if we can intervene early and shore up, where we won't lose um, the affordable housing stock we have. So I was looking for like holes that we may be missing um, um, because the RV encampment piece just, you know, it overwhelmed us. And so if there's anything we can get in front of so we don't have that experience again, I think would be helpful. So thank you for those examples. Thank you, Madam Chair. Yes, I also want to thank Cherie for her leadership and the entire team at HI. Thank you for um, ushering us through this emergency um, and thank you to uh, the coordination that you do with all of our departments for the role they play in, in this response to crisis. Um, in your report, you stated your commitment to leading the coordination of independent cities and other stakeholders in the emergency response and the work of your municipal relations team to create more partnerships and programs to better integrate the county's response with these cities' efforts has been impressive. And I know that um, our cities are wanting more, and I know that you're stepping up to do that, but you are starting to build that infrastructure, and so I just really wanted to acknowledge that. And I also wanna remind us, as we're talking about other cities, um, if we have housing options, we can bring people inside. From, uh, from our last conversation about the implication of um, court cases, those don't apply when we have housing options to bring people inside. And so um, I just wanna constantly encourage our local government partners to think about affordable housing options and where they can be located in their community because that is the way we're gonna get out of this crisis. In the presentation, you defined HI's evolving role in the county's homelessness response as consisting of several goals, and I wanted to highlight two. Driving a clearly defined vision and collective response, and to coordinate, align, and steer county departments and other partners to address homelessness and support the emergency proclamation. I, I think these are fundamental to our emergency response and especially the role that HI plays in it. So um, can you tell us how you would talk about your global vision? How would you define it? Yes, um, thank you. Um, so um, 
you know, at the top is to bring all of our county resources to bear to be aligned and moving in the same direction to be able to have the maximum impact on keeping people, um, preventing homelessness um, and uh, resolving homelessness for people who have lost their housing. Um, and we have county departments um, that um, have all stepped up um, and they all control a range of resources. Um, we have done a lot in order to align those resources and to connect the dots. We still have more work to do. Um, so I think that that is a very high priority for my office to continue that alignment with our county departments to have the maximum impact with all the resources that we do have. Um, in addition to that, um, as we've been talking about here, um, the partnership with all of our jurisdictions, um, cities, as well as unincorporated areas is essential. Um, we need to do this work together. Um, even just our encampment resolution work has to be done in partnership with that local jurisdiction. They are at the table and working with us um, on those resolutions. Um, we need to, I, I say this so often, so I apologize that it maybe is moving into broken record phase. Um, it's all about the permanent housing and housing affordability. I mean, we need to double down and do everything about housing affordability, um, keeping people in the housing that they're in, um, and and the scale of what that needs, the, the scale that needs to happen in that regard is really, really large. There, We have a huge hole to climb out of, um, and... Um, and, it, and we can't do it alone. This is like, this is a, you know, a state and federal conversation as well. Um, we need tremendous investments to um, shore up existing housing and to create more affordable housing. And um, to that vision, how are, you how are you defining success in achieving that vision? Like what are, what are the metrics yeah. that people should be paying attention to? Yeah, um, so, um, it, so it's permanent housing placements, but that's just a piece of it because we need permanent housing placements. Um, we need flow through our system. So we need to reduce the amount of time that between when somebody becomes homeless and when they come into interim housing and when they're permanently rehoused um, and prevention. So it's like prevention, flow, and permanent housing. Um, we need to see a decrease um, in homelessness in general, and we need to see a very big decrease in unsheltered homelessness. And um, I know that we there's been several references to the dashboards, and yeah. I know we're all excited to see them. Um, how else are you sharing that information? I know now, having gone through, I, I was warned by Supervisor Han that every chair gets an emergency. So um, we, in addition to the ongoing emergency with homelessness, we just went through the storm, and um, you know we did daily, uh, sometimes multiple press conferences. We were engaging people in that way. So how are you communicating? Um, with people about this. Yeah, thank you. Um, at an ever-increasing pace. Um, so I just want to acknowledge the board for your investments in the Homeless Initiative, which has allowed us to build out more data analytic capabilities as well as communications um, capabilities. Um, that has made a big difference in our ability to um, share information countywide in many different sectors, um, as well as producing a number of different toolkits and other resources to make available um, for all of our county departments and partners, um, your offices as well. Um, on the dashboard front, we are um, we have added um, some new um, dashboards that are ever growing and evolving to our website. Um, we will be adding more. Um, we we are working um, at the next important piece of work that we're undertaking right now that we will start seeing um, 
uh, some in the you know in the next quarter we'll start um, seeing it and starting to look at how we can use it as a tool is um, countywide key performance indicators. So we know that um, LASA has been able to develop some metrics um, to look at some of the things that I just talked about, like flow and movement from unsheltered to sheltered to permanent housing. Um, those key performance indicators we are wanting to capture on a countywide basis and include information not only out of HMIS but from our county departments as well. Um, and so we are working with our CIO um, and um, developing out InfoHub in partnership with our county departments in Lhasa to be able to do that. Those are going to be like the sort of high level metrics that we're going to all want to be paying attention to to see what impact we're having um, and to help inform where we need to make adjustments. And is Lhasa coming up with those KPIs or are you? Are. We have actually, we have um, collectively county departments, loss and other stakeholders have worked together on developing that initial set of KPIs. Loss is producing them just out of HMIS right now. We're going to start also producing them out of um, InfoHub so we have a countywide view on them. I think all of this is helpful. There are so many ways that we get asked questions about our efficacy. So it's important to me to understand how we should be measuring and communicating because I think um, how we talk about, uh, to Supervisor Mitchell's point, outcomes, I think is really what people want to hear. They're, we can data people to death with all the good things that we've done. And if they don't feel like things are changing in their neighborhood, it doesn't matter how much data we give them. And we've seen this consistently in other spaces too. Um, so how, how do we... I think making sure that we're measuring the things that actually are meaningful to people. Um, you know, how are we spending the dollars to what end in which neighborhoods and what are those measurable outcomes for me, I think is how we want to talk with all of our constituents about the success of, you know, so if we can frame how we're working with departments, um, in that manner, so we can tell that story, I think that will help not only, our county feel the success, but engage our community partners and how they can be part of it. Um, I, I know it's clear uh, from Pathway Home that that's been prioritized, and I think there's a lot of success, and I think um, the way that you have built in services and making sure that there's a housing throughput, being very thoughtful and intentional in, with that has been excellent. So I'm really excited to see um, all that Pathway Home will deliver and to hear that it's going to be happening more frequently throughout the county. Um, and homelessness prevention can, can uh, reach so many more numbers more quickly. And so I'm, I'm interested to know how Pathway Home was prioritized as opposed to prevention or is somebody else holding prevention? Because I know there's, you know, HI is mighty, um, but, you know, even hearing that you have a team of four to address prevention when we're thinking of tens of thousands of people, you know, I know that you said it's right-sized. To me, that is a little concerning. So help me understand how you as HI are, are prepared to do this and what more you need from the board to, um, to continue that work. Yeah, thank you. Um, right size for the moment, and we will come back. Um, but, um, you know, prevention is something that is being held in a number of, well, first of all, the county 
and all of our departments acting as a safety net is like we, we, we are contributing, we're playing a role in prevention, like every single county department in some way is touching prevention. Um, and then there are resources that are really focused on helping people um, who are low income achieve some type of um, benefit or resource. Um, those also are prevention um, resources. And then we have, and but they're not specifically focused on like homelessness prevention, but you know, just improving lives and creating stability for people. And then the county also has specific um, funding streams that are really focused on homelessness prevention and housing stability. Um, we are, our work with our county departments is sort of on all of those levels. Like the, the first thing is um, having are the citizens in this county um, being able to access and receive whatever sort of resource or benefit they may be eligible from that the county administers, um, those health services, mental health services, substance use services, income services, education, you know, um, economic, um, aging and disability, like there's lots of different resources out there um, to, to be able to have maximum utilization of all of those resources um, is, a, is, is one step in sort of creating some stability for um, people in our county, for a subset of people. Um, we need to, the next level of that is um, doing the deep dive on really prevention um, focused resources um, that are more sort of targeted and dedicated um, to understand how all of those are currently being used. We've captured the, the dollar amounts, we've captured the departments that are administering those with our, um, with our sort of uh, resource mapping work. And we're now meeting with departments individually to make sure that, we that we've interpreted this information correctly um, to then inform how we can come, is there, what the opportunities are to braid and leverage these resources in a way to have the greatest impact and to target them to the individuals who are most likely um, to lose their housing. Um, I feel like that's the next big body of our prevention work. Um, and then I also think like doing the, the next level of analysis of um, what does beyond our current analysis that's happened in eviction prevention um, and, and some building out of the uh, cost associated with being able to scale that. Um, there is a whole other level as we were, you know, talking about, about before you get that eviction, like the prevention um, of the people who are about to, um, who are at high risk of losing their housing. That's where we have like, that's the hardest space. That's where we have the least amount of data to inform decision-making and investments. Um, that's where uh, we're collecting um, information now. We have um, programs that are underway that will help inform that. Um, but I think like um, being able to, um, that is our next big body of work. And we, we need to do more work, more analysis, and get more information to inform that. Um, but that that is where I feel like we have um, the most sort of um, unchartered territory, I guess. Yeah, I, I have a similar experience to Supervisor Hahn in my district often where people will ask, you know, why should we continue funding all of this if we're not sort of seeing the results in our neighborhoods? So, you know, between local, state, federal, as well as philanthropic grant-funded efforts and programs, how are you measuring the efficacy of these programs to make sure we're not spending money on things that don't work and we're investing in the things that actually do work? Yeah, um, that's that's a really good question. You know, we do do um, 
our annual um, evaluations we'll be having um, the um, uh, the next one will be coming out. Um, actually, we'll be briefing it at um, the homeless policy deputy meeting um, next week. That is one form of, uh, that's one way in which we look at the impact. Um, it's also through our um, quarterly reports and all the data that we capture through that. Um, but I would, so, you know, to, to answer part of your question, um, the we are putting the money, the vast majority of the funds are going directly back into the community and are funding interim housing and permanent housing. Um, we have brought, you know, well over 100,000 people inside um, into permanent housing, um, more than that into interim housing. Um, it is making a difference, but because we haven't stopped the inflow, that difference can't be seen or felt by the residents of this county. Um, so we are continuing to see, you know, unsheltered people in the same or even greater numbers. Um, and, and what you don't see is the, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who have been touched by, you know, the investment and the, and the Measure H dollar and who have come inside and who are no longer on the streets. And certainly if we didn't have that, like the magnitude of homelessness that we would have in this county and the number of people that you would see who are unsheltered would be possibly multiple times over what it is right now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we know that, and I think being able to demonstrate to people the amount of work and the kind of work we're doing is, is critical, mm -hmm. especially as we're thinking of, you know, talking with people about how we continue funding these services so they understand the value, um, you know, whether it's Measure H or all of these other funding streams. I, I think people really need to understand that in order to feel that they can continue to participate in that. Um, and, and I think also uh, to your point about... Um, a critical component of prevention is a, everyone's ability to access all of the services. We have to de-silo them then. And so how we centralize them, whether it's through your department, your uh, the homeless initiative, or some other entity, there has to be a, um, a, bringing to, a coming together of those services and centering the people who need them because they are not going to be able to access. And we all get frustrated by underspend in all of the departments when we know that there are so many people in need. Um, I know we haven't really even dug into today like the substance use issues or the mental health issues. So I'm sure that will be reflected in the dashboards that you're creating because those are also critical components. But I think we, we have to to figure out how we bring the services to the people where they are and make sure that, you know, everything that they qualify for is sort of a one-stop shop experience. Um, otherwise, we're, we're going to continue to have that underspend. So sounds like there's um, a lot on the horizon and we'll be excited to see, you know, how you're prioritizing, especially prevention, because that will help us get to more of the numbers um, that we're talking about. And thank you for what you're doing to resolve the encampments. I know your, uh, I know homeless initiative is both and. So, um, but making sure that we're leading on all those fronts is critical to solving it. Supervisor Barker, thank you. And to follow up on that, I mean, about the silos, that that was one of the when Special Police and I brought in the motion on the birch. It was because of the frustration from especially cities not feeling that they were being heard. But another outcome was accountability. Who is making sure that the departments do what they're supposed to do? And I think the vision, at least my vision, is that the authority is given to Cherie and the HI to make sure that every moving part is moving in the right direction and that they are, in fact, coordinating within each other. Um, because to your point, um, Chair Horvath, 
that's that's accountability. No one was really holding anyone accountable, or at least it wasn't felt. So I wholeheartedly agree with you. But if you look at the Birch report, that was kind of buried in there. One of the the issues that was brought up, and which brings my next. One Williams is in the audience, and I want to publicly thank him and his team because the cities, and I know I speak for my cities, are so grateful that you have been a partner. And I think that that your ability to gain their trust is what's making some of the discussions regarding housing take place in communities that otherwise were service resistant. And that comes because of the relationship that you and your team have built. So I just want to publicly thank you, Sheree. You've got a great addition there, and I know you know it. Um, but that was the other issue. Cities did not felt, feel like they were being heard. And now they feel like they've got a partner that hears them loud and clear. So thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Seeing no other supervisors in queue. Executive officer, please call the members of the public who have signed up to speak on this item. Will the following individuals please come forward and staff will assist you. Arnold Sachs, Chris Carlin, Daniel Garcia, Donald Harlan. Please come forward and staff will assist you. As a final reminder for participants on the telephone, if you would like to address set matter one, if you have not already done so, please press one then zero now to be placed in the speaking queue. Moderator, may we have the first remote speaker, please. Our first participant is Hector Ramirez. You may begin. Yes, thank you. My name is Hector Ramirez. I live in the city of Chatsworth. I'm a person with a disability. Um, and I really want to thank this particular report and update. Uh, we know that in Los Angeles County, more unhoused neighbors die of the cold out in the streets in LA than in New York and San Francisco combined. So having that combined action of this is particularly important given the fact that the majority of those individuals that are unhoused in the streets are individuals with disabilities, particularly deaf, hard of hearing, substance use disorder, and definitely psychiatric disabilities. Uh, Los Angeles County has an epidemic of a lack of accessible housing for people with disabilities. Uh, the rent is just too high. It's too high for us to be living in our homes, to be living with our families, uh, to live in the places where we work or close to where we go get services. And then we get classified as uh, treatment resistant populations because we can't live near the places where we get the care. Uh, we definitely want to uh, recommend uh, that in this particular initial, in the RTIs, that monitoring you, and time has expired. that services Next speaker, please. from the Department of Mental Health are tracked Next speaker, this. please. Our next participant is Patricia Malcaster. You may begin. Hi, this is Patricia McAllister. I hear this all every year from this uh, supervisor uh, panel there. I think we need new people there. We need to get uh, Ms. Catherine Barger out of there and get someone new in. Um, it has nothing to do with her. There's no per personal attack. You guys are not doing your job. Just like the guest just said, how can we house people when you keep bringing them in? You open the border, you got these border crossers coming in here, you tell them you're going to get them a job. Once you give them a job, they're going to have affordable housing. See, I know what's going on. There's a lot of stealing going on, a lot of stealing. This money is being misappropriated. And I want people to stop mailing in those ballots because that's how they steal. And please don't, don't vote for measure one, uh, talking about homelessness. They're not going to spend a dime for homelessness. And I like to say to Ms. Solis, she has skid row. That's part of her district. And she has done nothing. And we let her sit in there almost 12 years and have done nothing. We got 60,000 black people on skid row. 
and 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 there's no housing. Thank you. Okay. Your time has expired. Them to blacks, them to next speaker, illegals. please. Our next participant is Paul Hennessy. You may begin. Paul, are you there? Paul. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. I think there's a big uh, uh, elephant in the room here, and, and I urge um, an amendment to this. Um, a lot of people are put into homelessness um, due to medical debt um, or uh, not being able to work by being uh, disabled from things like long COVID, which are on the rise. So um, I do encourage um, expanding um, you know, testing treatment centers for COVID and long COVID, um, encourage masks and healthcare, um, isolation uh, policy to be updated to uh, 10 days instead of one, uh, and really uh, actually putting forward for community care. It addresses the root problems of issues like homelessness, um, one of the many reasons, but uh, yeah, no one should have to go into homelessness or face this because of medical issues. Thanks. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Mel Bailey. You may begin. Mel, go ahead. Mel, are you there? Okay, we'll go to the next caller. Madam Chair, there are no other remote speakers to address the board. Okay, we'll go in person. Go right ahead. My name is Daniel Garcia, and I live in Chafford. Uh, my main concern, my main concern, uh, is room keys and section eight vouchers. For room keys, for room keys, and no available data on whatsoever on how many room keys are accessible for people with disabilities, especially wheelchairs. No data whatsoever. I want to know how many people, how many people have a Hebrew key that are accessible for people with disabilities. Especially, they are, they are, they are, they are, they Number one, that's number one. Number two, the number two, the number two is the issue. It's the problem, the problem is not, it's not about the, the, uh, the giving the wave, the, the, the problem, the problem is, how many people have been... Thank the, the, you very the, the, much. Thank you. Your time has expired. Thank you, sir. Next speaker, please. Okay, you might find me off topic and you could tell me and then I'll just say what I want to say at the end in the six minutes thing or whatever. Um, okay, so are, can I ask, are, are any of you doctors or are, are any of you doctors on the board? We can engage in a back and forth, but if you'd like to speak on the homelessness item that's before us, you can do that. Well, it has to do with that. Everything ties together. Okay, so, well, um, you guys are talking about mental health. Mental health is a term that only psychiatrists can use with other psychiatrists, or else if you guys are all like the same profession, you can talk about it, but you can't talk about it with the public like a layman, because a layman doesn't know what mental health means. A layman doesn't know what mental illness means. Those are terms that professionals use with other professionals. You have to be in that profession in order to even talk about it. Um, so like nobody has schizophrenia, nobody has bipolar depression, nobody takes depression medicine. Those things are not able to be talked about by anybody except for professionals. Um, 
Okay, and then I'm going to talk about equality when I have more time next. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Yes, thank you. Another fascinating, dumbass conversation by the BOS. That's board, period, O, period, S, Board of Supervisors. The periods are very important. Remember that. Without the period, you have nothing. You have la-la land. I appreciate this discussion on homelessness. Back in 2001, when James Hahn was the mayor, he came up with a plan where it cost $15 billion. You spent over 10 times, 20 times that amount in less time than that. When did it become homelessness? When did this problem become homelessness? When did it become nicenessness? When did everything add an NESS to it? When did this shit start? It was never that before. You had Obamacare, you had Affordable Care Act, you signed up 15,000 people. General Jeff and General Dogan went out and signed up 15,000 people on Skid Row. What happened to those people? Where are they at? What's going on? Thank you, your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Okay, we have one more caller. Go ahead, moderator. Our next participant is Roy Humphreys. You may begin. Okay, recognizing normally the problem and uh, that uh, we must uh, look at birds of a feather fly together. And do you want any of these people in your backyard? And in, as to uh, uh, Roland Heights here, we have this, uh, we need to have this encampment. Just, I've said that again and again. Until you establish a countywide, citywide, with this city is included, to have transient campsites so you can pick these people up say they got a place to go you meet the court requirements and get a movement i.e the Otterbein 1532 project over there where eight of the ten people refuse stuff then they pick their stuff up and get it and if they find them someplace else guess what in the end result if they fail to comply they get to go to a jail and that's where you need to have a uh arpaio type uh, uh facility for the arrestees and on, on that property. And uh, we need to step up to the plate on this. It's not a nice thing. It's not pretty hotels, motels, and all that. Your time it's has expired. Next speaker, please. Madam Chair, there are no other remote speakers to address the board. Thank you very much. This report is received and filed. Hearing no objections, that will be the order. And we'll now move on to set matter two, report on continuum of care for mental health and substance use disorder beds. For members of the public on the telephone, please press one then zero now to comment on this item. Um, I believe Cherie is staying with us for this presentation as well. Um, she will be joined by Dr. Elisa Wong, Director of Mental Health, Dr. Gary Tsai, Director of Substance Abuse Prevention and Control, Department of Public Health, Dr. Christina Galley, Director of Health Services, Dr. Clemens Hong, Director of Community Programs, Department of Health Services. Um, so I know we have a lot of people available uh, to engage us in this conversation. I believe there's a presentation first, and then we will have comments from the board.
Good afternoon, supervisors. Um, we're here to talk today about the bed status report and just giving you all an update. What we tried to do was um, make the categories much more clear in terms of what kinds of beds we were talking about and what departments were responsible. So here's a chart for you to look at about um, the different kinds of treatment beds versus housing beds. So on the left-hand side, we have everything from crisis receiving and stabilization to acute inpatient and subacute, which are our locked facilities, and then crisis residential and extended residential. Then to the right are housing beds from licensed residential care to our interim housing and our permanent supportive housing. Next, these are the different departments that are involved with the different kinds of um, populations that we are housing. So you'll see on one side we have um, looking at is the client transitioning from jail at the time of placement? If no, then for serious mental illness, Department of Mental Health has primary responsibility. DPH, SAPC has responsibility throughout. DHS and health plans for physical health conditions. And then if there are no or non-clinical placements, then DHS Housing for Health, LASA, and others like probation and DCFS take responsibility. If they are transitioning from jail at the time of placement, then we have DMH for the LPS conserved and AOT populations, DHS ODR, and JCOD. I apologize ahead of time for this busy looking chart, but it, it, it has been very busy when it comes to beds lately. So the first, um, this is for the Department of Mental Health. The first row, we're looking at the existing access beds as of December 23rd. So in, in terms of urgent cares, we have 168 total chairs. And then in acute, we have 2,887. Subacute and state hospitals, 1,262 average. You see crisis residential, enriched residential, and so on. And finally, for permanent supportive housing, 5,545 existing beds. The, now, in terms of the beds that we have recently added, this is since May last year, just through December last year. We added eight beds to crisis receiving stabilization. So those are our um, crisis stabilization units or formerly known as urgent cares. And 118 acute inpatient beds, 25 for the subacute. We added 64 crisis residential treatment. These are often what's used as like stepping down from hospitalization when somebody's not ready to go home yet. And then for our rich residential services, we added 12 beds. Then enriched residential care, there's 550 beds added, 133 added for interim housing, and 334 permanent supportive housing units added. And then beneath that, you can see what the target populations are for each one of those housing categories. Okay, next, the left side chart is a repeat of what we had already shown in terms of the number of beds recently added from May through December, but it gives you a little bit more detail in terms of the types of beds specifically, the types of programs, rather, for each bed category. 
The right side are those beds that are being built now that we expect to come online between January to December of 2024. So you'll see that we are adding a significant number of beds again this year. And what we're especially excited about is being able to add 859 units of permanent supportive housing. So we thought it was important to talk a little bit about some of the barriers and challenges because we've kind of gone on this journey of creating housing, creating beds, but we, you know, we showed you where we were, where we are now, where we're going. But I think we really have to keep in mind some of the um, barriers and challenges that we face as we try to do this. So number one is multiple and sometimes competing federal, state, and county priorities that demand the department's attention and resources. And I know our board is very aware of a lot of these competing demands, such as jail depopulation, um, the, the state of emergency for homelessness, um, our recently implemented care court from last year, um, you know, are a lot of different specialty populations that we have. And that's in all in addition to our just standard seriously mentally ill population that's throughout our county. And I think the complication about this is a lot of times, you know, I hear, well, you know, if you don't, if you have too many priorities, are you really creating a priority? But the reality is that we have competing priorities because so many things are important and it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that something is not important if we pick one top one. But I think at any given time, we have to balance what the greatest area of need and the greatest area of impact and what our available resources are. The next we have our IMD limitations and uh, I really want to thank the board for all the advocacy you folks have done on behalf of pushing forward our needs for IMD changes. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, I, you know, there's IMD exclusion where if we ha we cannot claim Medi-Cal for mental health services if there are more than 16 beds in a facility. Um, and what this does is it makes us have to create much more complicated uh, configurations of facilities. For instance, you know, in trying to put up 128 beds in one restorative care village, we have to get eight different providers. We have to build eight different banks of elevators, have eight different outdoor spaces. So this really not only increases the cost, but decreases the number of providers we can get on board. There are a very small number of spaces that will allow for these kinds of facilities. So it limits the ability for us to bring capacity online. Um, I should also mention, though, when we're talking about capacity, um, you know, a lot of what we're doing in these slides is talking about how we track and monitor the number of, of treatment beds and housing beds we have. But we have to keep in mind, especially at the higher acuity levels, when we talk about the number of beds, we have to keep in mind capacity, too, because we can say we have 100 beds at one facility, but if they're not accepting our clients who are justice-involved or who are recently homeless, or who maybe have a history of fire setting or something like that, then even though we have a contract for that number of beds, we haven't increased the capacity until we've been able to get dedicated beds. So the Department of Mental Health has spent a certain amount of funding on contracting for specifically dedicated beds so that providers would take our highest acuity folks. 
Okay, so number three, there's an increase in volume and the complexity of DMH clients. And I think this kind of plays into what I just mentioned previously. When you have more and more people flowing into your system, what do you do when you have the competing priorities, the challenges in getting around IMD limitations, and the fact that many of our providers don't take our folks who need the help the most? So, you know, we've had to dedicate more and more funding to make sure that there are incentives in place for providers to take the clients who need the help the most. But I think also it, it means that we really have to take a system-wide look because any part of our system will impact another part of our system. So it's not about just adding capacity to beds and housing, it's about providing the appropriate level of care for people wherever they are so that they don't fall out of the system and then come back in higher acuity so they can stay well and stay in the housing that we get them into. So I think those are all important considerations. Then with BHSIP round six, there has been a delay with the governor's budget coming out. We found out that round 6B, which we we're planning to fund even more beds with, has been delayed till 2526. Okay. So next I will hand it over to Dr. Gary Sai. Thank you, Dr. Wong. Um, so Today I'll be presenting on the uh, DPH, Public Health Substance Abuse Prevention and Control, or SAPC uh, bed data. I have three quick uh, slides. Um, this slide outlines uh, our current existing bed capacity, which is the top row across our uh, crisis, acute inpatient, crisis residential, as well as interim housing sites. And so our current bed capacity is a bit under 4,000 beds in total. Uh, in terms of the beds in development, uh, we have a bit over 1,000 beds that are in development that span across the uh, continuum of treatment beds that I had highlighted as well as the uh, interim housing beds. Uh, there are a number of exciting opportunities that are helping to support this uh, substance use disorder treatment expansion. Um, one of them is the uh, BHSIP that uh, Dr. Wong had referenced. Um, there have been prior rounds where our contracted agencies were awarded, um, and the, we do anticipate that they'll be bringing beds, new beds online um, throughout this fiscal year as well as into the future with an anticipated total of over 500 new substance use treatment beds in fiscal year 24, 25, and beyond. Um, we also have um, opportunities to expand our interim housing options specific to recovery bridge housing. Uh, as well as the recovery housing. Um, there are opportunities through the behavioral health bridge housing funding through the state. Uh, we're anticipating increasing recovery bridge housing beds by 400 beds in total, 300 funded through uh, BHBH, 100 funded through opioid settlement. Um, and we anticipate that this, uh, by the end of this fiscal year, we'll be able to add uh, approximately 250 recovery bridge housing beds. Similarly, on the recovery housing side, uh, we plan on adding uh, 150 new recovery housing beds um, with about 100 funded through BHBH, 50 funded through opioid settlement, and about 100 recovery housing beds coming online by the end of uh, this fiscal year. And then lastly, uh, we just wanted to highlight some of the services that help support access to these beds because certainly the capacity is important. We also want to make sure that uh, individuals with substance use disorders have access to those beds. 
Um, one of those services is the Client Engagement Navigation Service, or SENS. These are primarily in-person services that work with people experiencing homelessness and others um, at various co-located sites, including interim housing, shelters, uh, unsheltered uh, encampments, courthouses, probation offices, et cetera. Um, our SENS staff have supported both the uh, LA City Inside Safe as well as the county's pathway home operations and participate in the various Service Connect days. Additionally, we're in the process of expanding substance use services at probation's juvenile detention facilities, expanding our field-based harm reduction services, including uh, the distribution of overdose prevention kits, uh, expanding our field-based as well as in-home substance use treatment so that we're able to meet people physically where they are, uh, including medications for addiction treatment services. And then there's an opportunity through the Mental Health Services Act innovations funding to support IHOP, which I know um, Sheree had mentioned in her prior presentation as well. This will support additional SEND staff as well as clinicians to support co-occurring services in residential substance use settings. And with that, I will pass it on. Good afternoon, Supervisors. For the health services beds, uh, on the chart in front of you, the blue bars represent the bed capacity within DHS, uh, particularly in both the ODR and the Housing for Health divisions that we presented to you back in May. And then the orange bars on top of those blue bars is the new bed capacity that we have added since May as of the end of the year uh, on 1231 to uh, 2023. And as you'll see, uh, the vast majority of the capacity that we've added within DHS is on the right hands part of the slide uh, in the housing bed type. Uh, you'll see the numbers of new beds that are added, which are detailed below, and then also the number of beds that are currently very um, actively in development. So there's a contract that we're working on that's pending. Those are the numbers at the very bottom of the slide that we anticipate at this point being able to bring online by June 2025. Uh, and you'll see in total, please note that the, the legend changes as you march across the slides. DHS has a much smaller number of treatment beds that we directly operate and a much larger number of enriched res residential care beds. Uh, now currently at just uh, short of 1,000 for Housing for Health and 350 or so for ODR. And uh, same for interim housing, about 2,600 for Housing for Health and almost 2,000 for ODR. And then a much larger number of beds that are operated and managed by uh, Housing for Health uh, at just, and we've now surpassed 20,000 beds uh, and then about 2,500 beds for ODR. Those bed counts for the permanent supportive housing include both uh, beds that are funded through federal rental subsidies as well as through the flexible housing subsidy pool. And those are the ones that are uh, where the intake is directly managed by Housing for Health. They don't include the DMH or JCOD funded beds that are operated by Housing for Health, but they do include the beds that we receive funding from Measure H uh, that Cherie spoke about a few minutes ago and we'll cover in a few minutes as well. Uh, when we look in the future, uh, as we project things forward, I think it's important to see where we're going from here. Uh, this is the slide that's specific to ODR, and then the next slide will cover Housing for Health. Where we are today is that dotted brown line, and we have a gradual increase in interim housing beds that will continue to take place largely in the FIST population over the coming months and a couple of years. Uh, however, our permanent supportive housing beds will stagnate as of June 2025, as we don't any longer have additional funding to bring on more permanent supportive housing beds within ODR, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. 
For Housing for Health side, uh, this data is uh, based on the current available funding and does include the funding that was awarded as passed by your board last week in the Measure H plan, and it shows the projected increase in permanent supportive housing beds within Housing for Health with anticipation that we will be able to get uh, just past the 30,000 mark as of June 2026. I wanted to highlight just one of many uh, project sites that we've been able to bring online. This is one located in Wilmington that opened in October of 2023. This, uh, they're really beautiful one-bedroom homes that are for seniors uh, who have experienced homelessness. There's a number of services that are available on sites that are detailed on the slide. And it's just a really nice example, I think, of one of the project-based sites that's being brought online. And then our last slide uh, is looking at how we might be able to ramp up capacity and what some of the barriers are for further being able to ramp up capacity as we move through in the future. Uh, there's a few different categories of things. So one is, is funding, and, and thank you uh, to the board for all of your questions that we've received in the past about when do we need more funding to be able to continue the expansion. Uh, so for permanent supportive housing, that's an ongoing need, and I think Cherie uh, really spoke to that quite eloquently in the previous presentation about how that's one of the primary bottlenecks is the need for increased investment in permanent supportive housing within the Housing for Health sphere to be able to efficiently move people out of interim housing. For ODR, uh, we anticipate as I be needing additional funding to be able to ramp up further permanent supportive housing beds for uh, the second half of 2025, and we plan on submitting in the supplemental budget for the funding that we need so that we can continue that ramp up of permanent supportive housing and no longer have that flat portion of the curve that you saw on that previous slide. The second category of needs is really the need to address uh, the rate stagnation within what we pay the community-based organizations that do so much of this work. We are currently working with a variety of um, individuals across the county to evaluate some near-term rate increases and some changes in the structures of how we manage those different rate tiers to be able to address provider concerns uh, and we feel like that's really essential at this point to being able to retain the providers that we have within the network. The, the patients and clients that they care for are complex and sick. Uh, there's a, a wide spectrum of different types of individuals and we need a rate structure and a rate that reflects the difficult work that they all do. Uh, for ODR, I'm on the, th the third box, the first blue box. Um, we will need additional administrative and programmatic infrastructure uh, at some point if we're uh, going to be able to increase the rate of expansion within ODR housing to be able to increase the amount of number of individuals that are diverted from the jail. The current staffing structure within ODR is able to accommodate the current volume, but if we want that volume to go up, additional uh, support uh, staff would be needed. On the fourth box, uh, there's a variety of expansions that are needed within the justice system to be able to expand justice partner staffing so that they, our justice partners and the courts can manage the caseload that would be anticipated with any ODR expansion and expansion of diversion. And then the last thing uh, is about acute and subacute beds. Uh, DHS ODR, um, we, we operate a very small number of uh, subacute and acute beds, but it is an important part 
of the portfolio for the select individuals that do require that high intensity level of service. Uh, we have a sufficient number for the FIS program until fiscal year 26-27, but we'll be continuously evaluating what portion of FIS clients really require those subacute beds. And it still remains to be seen within ODR housing for those individuals that are not DMH clients, so not conserved, uh, not, not AOT, but for those that are diverted to a locked bed setting, uh, how that process works, whether it's a successful model, and based on the success rate that we have with that potential model may need to obtain additional funding to be able to further roll, roll out subacute beds. Now turn it over to Cherie. Thank you. Um, so today I'm going to talk about the beds that are funded with dollars that are administered by the Homeless Initiative. And um, the numbers presented today that I have here on the slides that I'm doing do not include what was approved by the board last week in the 24-25 uh, funding recommendations board letter. So those will be added for our next presentation. Um, this slide shows the DHS housing beds that are funded with HI funding. Um, DHS, as Dr. Galley um, indicated, has a number of funding streams, and we are one of them. Um, HI is funding about 84% of DHS's um, housing for health stabilization beds, about 50% of the recuperative care beds, and about 76% of the supportive services for permanent supportive housing. This slide shows the 550 um, DPH housing beds that are funded with HI funding. Um, the beds of, on these slides are a subset of the beds that um, Dr. Sai presented. And um, HI is a funding about 45% of SAPSI's Recovery Bridge housing beds and are very excited to um, be seeing the expansion of the, that bed type. Starting with this slide, we're moving into housing beds with partners who are not present for this bed report. So these are DPSS housing beds. They're actually rental subsidies for general relief participants who are experiencing homelessness or at risk of becoming homeless and who are pursuing SSI benefits. Um, we are um, supporting 567 of those rental subsidy slots. Um, we recently approved an increase that will go into place um, this fiscal year and that will bring another 115 rental subsidy slots and your board um, just approved an additional investment in this program that will go into effect in 24-25. These are the HI-funded beds that are administered by LASA. These include um, interim housing beds and permanent housing in the form of time-limited subsidies. Um, there are just over 4,000 existing interim housing beds, 130 winter shelter beds, and 175 motel vouchers for the augmented winter shelter program. Um, you can see the, um, uh, the number where it says funded in development. That should actually say 386 augmented winter shelter beds. Those numbers should be added together, and they should be all AWS. This is a reflection because this report is through December. There's a reflection of the beds that were activated for the last um, event that we had, um, the last storm. This slide includes beds that the county funds through the cities for cities, um, councils of government, and continuums of care. This slide shows that 540 interim housing beds are being funded through our local partners and 86 time-limited subsidy slots. There are 110 interim housing beds in development with our city and COG and COC partners. 
And the county is making the most of the unprecedented opportunity presented by the state's home key program to quickly bring interim and permanent supportive housing um, online in our county. Since our last bed report, over 500 interim beds have been brought online through home key as well as one additional permanent supportive housing site. Um, an additional um, uh, seven home key permanent supportive housing sites from home key round one and two are expected to come online in 2024. And we have been awarded eight new home key three sites to bring an additional um, 562 units of interim and permanent housing into our system. Um, in total, the county has been awarded funding for 32 home key projects accounting for more than 3,000 beds and units. This slide shows the total amount of active and known pipeline beds for December 2023, the population served for each housing type, as well as a variety of funding sources that support each housing type. And then just to wrap it up, this slide shows a comparison between our bed report data from May 2023 to the current bed report, which provides data through the end of December 2023. Um, as you can see from um, the previous slide, interim housing beds that were in the pipeline have come online. This is mostly within Project Home Key. Um, over 500 new beds have come online and loss of interim housing and winter shelter beds. An additional 3,000 permanent housing resources have come online since the last report with the largest increases connected to DHS and LASA. Um, and we saw the number of new um, DHS um, permanent supportive housing um, uh, efforts that came online that were supported with um, ICMS and supportive services. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is John Franklin Sierra. I'm filling in for Judge Armstead for JCOD's part of this presentation. Um, so we're excited to present you just a bit more information on beds that haven't been discussed in the previous bed presentations, um, starting with um, JCOD-funded beds. Um, we have about 1,000 JCOD-funded beds in our portfolio, um, all either interim housing or, um, and then we have about a little over 200 permanent housing beds. Um, the bulk of these are beds that JCOD has directly contracted for, although some, as Dr. Galley mentioned, are also are, are administered through um, our partner departments like DHS and DMH. Um, all of them, though, are for individuals here who are either presently or recently have been involved in the justice system, um, sometimes on a, on a condition of diversion, um, also potentially just for reentry individuals who've reentered the community after incarceration, um, whether pretrial or having completed a sentence um, and are need, in need of immediate housing. Um, and what I'll also share is we've gathered some information from a couple other partner to partners who also serve system impacted individuals who have housing needs from time to time, starting with probation. Um, they, they oversee a, a, a portfolio of a little over 500 um, housing beds as well, all for adults who are on AB 109 probation supervision. Um, small, small number of licensed residential care facilities, but the bulk are um, interim supportive housing. And we've also included some information from our partner DCFS um, on housing beds that they uh, contract for for their adult clients. Um, these are all current or former foster or probation youth, most, mostly who are TAY um, and who are in need of housing, um, interim housing. And so they have a little over 700 beds in their portfolio as well. 
Uh, and then the last slide I'll share, um, this is a very cool project JCOT has embarked on. Um, it, we're developing an app, uh, an application that we're calling LA County Care Connect. This goes all the way back to um, when Judge Armstead was the executive director in the ATI office and CEO. Um, she came into the office and, and you know, had just remembered when she was a judge how frustrating it was sometimes to try to find beds and, and other non-bed services as well um, for, for individuals in her courtroom, um, you know, knowing sometimes if, if we were more successful in finding those beds quickly, that could help secure somebody's release with the consent of a judge. Um, and, you know, she gave examples like we have hotels.com. I can open an app and click a button and reserve a hotel room. Like, is it possible to get anywhere near that same level of, of ease of access with some of our bed network? It's ambitious, obviously easier said than done, but we've you know taken some cool first steps here um, at, with the help of um, the chief information office within CEO, uh, very instrumental help, I should say. Um, we did an RFI, we did an RFP, and now in September of last year, actually contracted with a vendor to develop this application. And so on the bottom, you can see the timeline. We're currently most um, about two thirds of the way through the actual development of the application. Um, the goal is to have a beta version that we have launched in March that'll have a small internal test group to do user testing, integration testing, so forth, uh, with the goal of going live, um, which we're still knock on wood, on target for um, uh, on May 31st for the application. Uh, this, will, this app will help you know, support initial screening for different client needs. Um, it'll allow different users and system navigators to search for available services and beds. Um, it, in some circumstances, will allow individuals to view information about the availability of services and beds, in fact, if that information is available. Um, and it can help generate something called closed loop referrals to these beds and services. Think of that as a referral that you can you know, press a button in the app and actually track the progress of that referral all the way to a provider if that service provider is connected in order to, to receive those kinds of referrals in the app. So one of the things we talked about is you can also be a unconnected provider where your information is just available in the app and with some information on how an individual trying to get access to services could, could pursue trying to get access to that resource through um, through a phone number or some other referral, or it supports the possibility of providers being connected and being able to actually receive referrals through the application itself. Um, and so we're really excited about this as the Justice Care and Opportunities Department. I mean, our, our primary focusing use case is really the, the justice-involved individuals that we serve, um, primarily those who are who are not quite at the level of clinical acuity as those served by the, the health departments. Um, but as you can see, we've branded the app Care Connect, not Justice Care Connect, and it's because I think we think, you know, this could potentially be a useful resource for other, other vulnerable populations in the county and individuals who are trying to navigate them to county services too. And so while we're starting with our our portfolio of services and providers is a focusing use case. We um, have been working really closely with CIO and other partners to set this up to be something that could potentially be useful in other contexts as well. So with that, thank you for your time. Does that complete your presentation? All right. Supervisor Barger, we'll turn it to you. Thank you, I'm just gonna follow up with what you just said, just because for my own point of clarification with Dr. Galley, is there an overlap between the JCOD beds and the ODR beds at all? Not at all? No. They're two separate, distinguishable yes. criteria to access? Yes, they're, they're totally separately managed programs, separate 
separate process and they're not, they're counted separately on the slides. Got it, okay, thank you. And then Dr. Wong, you mentioned competing state and federal priorities <clears throat> as barriers to scaling up beds. Um, we recognize that there are, that we are required to implement legislated state and federal initiatives, um, something that this board has debated. Um, but are there local initiatives or projects that you feel are in the way of, the, of your focus on beds? I don't, I don't know if I would say they're in the way necessarily, but I think they do produce certain challenges just because there is competition oftentimes for the same bed for different populations. And I think that if we could clarify or we could collaborate together to, you know, then have an approach to uh, how to utilize the beds, like have it go to the highest need or, or, you know, maybe the most difficult to place, that would help at the local level. Okay, because I know that capacity in the community is one of our priorities, correct? Yes, um, definitely. <laughs> and, and I think maybe this is a, an issue that's more at the local level, and that would be, you know, for communities to accept certain facilities to be, you know, in their community. I think yeah. a lot of times we try to use an equity tool. We look at where the need is, but then when we get to the community, there's nobody who wants to let that facility in. Yeah, um, very true. What about co-disorder beds? Because I know that there is a definite need for the mental health, but also those that are substance abusers. Is that a carved out? set of beds or is it no longer like it was 20 years ago where you had to have a specialized unit for co-disorder? Typically they're not carved out unless it's a very severe substance use disorder uh, where maybe that is the primary focus. But most of our facility, or I'd say all of our facilities are very used to taking folks who have serious mental illness and some kind of substance use disorder. Yeah, and I think that, you know, on the substance use side, we're looking to build up our workforce capabilities to better serve people with co-occurring mental health conditions. And we've had conversations with uh, DMH about doing the same on substance use services within mental health. So I think we're going to see increasingly integrated uh, settings where people can receive services for both, um, although it does take a fair amount of workforce investment. I think where we find more of a conflict is at the, you know, before you get to that level of acuity, at like at more at the outpatient level of service. Okay. And if we could do a better job integrating at outpatient level, we can then save people from graduating to higher acuity. So how do we do that? Since you just identified it as a need. We have um, a co-op pilot project now where we are looking at providers who hold both DMH and SAPSI contracts and then seeing how we can build up their capacity to be able to serve both populations better. I think there is technical training that is required, like clinical training, documentation, things like that. But part of it too is a culture shift. I think, you know, mental health has been used to looking at things a certain way. SAPSI has been used to looking at things, or substance use community has been used to looking at things a certain way. And what we're doing is bringing those partners who already work in the same space together. Okay, um, you know, I know the, the IMD waiver seems to be <clears throat> the flavor of the month. Um, and I know that the focus on 16 or more beds is a problem. Does DMH currently pay for beds and facilities that have a capacity greater than 16 at this moment? And um, if so, what, what is our cost, do you know? 
Uh, I don't know what our exact cost is, but we do track that, and I could get that number back to you. But I can think of even lower level acuity places that still are subject to the IMD exclusion. Like Los Encinas. Um, no, like even um, the boarding care that's on the, on the campus of Metro State Hospital or Topanga West up in the valley, they're technically boarding cares, but because they do which what we consider best practice, providing mental health services on site, then they are subject to IMD exclusion because they do that and they're over 16 beds and they can't claim for those services to Medi-Cal. Because I know this last week in talking to um, Secretary Becerra, um, I know that Supervisor Mitchell brought up the IMD waiver and we were talking about even looking at a demonstration project because you made a point, Dr. Wong, that I think gets lost on so many people from a financial, but also from just from even a treatment uh, a standpoint. You, you know, I know of an individual that was 5150 like five times in a month and a half. What is the cost to 5150 someone in four different hospitals, financial, and then what does this do to them in terms of being service resistant? Yeah. Because uh, at, at some point, um, they are going to figure out how to game it and, and either avoid 5150 or get 5150 to then be turned around and out again. And so I have to believe that given the fact that, so as much as you brought up MLK and what's going on on <laughs> campus there with the two 16 or bed, yeah, across the street. And, and I know that on all of you's campus, which is now in, in Cher Horvath's district, we've got the five units. I have to wonder if we could, because I know the state has to sanction it or give the okay to enter into some sort of demonstration, if we could quantify the cost and then put together a demonstration project that is county specific to our operations and even place on that, look at the average length of stay, because I know that's a concern of the advocates, something that, that Secretary Bethesda brought up as it relates to the pushback that is gonna happen. But even put an, a length of stay with a review, kind of like um, the Reese, what they do with the Reese hearings, you know, making sure that you're not um, just hospitalizing someone, because that's, the, I think, the fear. I have to wonder if there's not an opportunity for us to look at um, some sort of exception. Maybe don't call it a waiver, call it a demonstration project. Um, because to me, we're working around something that clearly everyone knows needs to be fixed. And by working around it, we're spending more money, but more importantly, I think we're doing a disservice to our, our clients and the patients that we're serving. Um, so I think it's an opportunity to look at that, especially when you look at, um, Dr. Gall, you know, your Homes for Health is, that you all put together, that's, everyone's talking about that ba back in D.C. Um, as a model. Mm -hmm. um, but that came organically up, but we kind of put it together, and I'm sure that's going to be a model somewhere. Um, and even, I think, was mentioned in the speak, did Secretary Becerra, when he was talking, talk about being able to use money for the housing component, of health money, for the housing component, because he believes that is part of health. Medicaid dollars. Medicaid dollars. I'm sorry, <laughs> Medicaid dollars. So I guess my point is, is that sometimes I think we need to think out of the box, um, because as a county of 10 million, uh, I think we do are in a unique position and in unique, not in a good way, um, to show why um, the way, why we need some sort of relief. And it's not financial alone; it's also for the care of our patients. And then my last, that was, that was more of a statement and I'm going on my soapbox. Um, but on this one, to Dr. Wong Galley, what progress is being made in securing the 500 beds for the P3, P4 populations? 
is it online? Is it on, on, um, online to be completed in five years? Yes, I think is. you thought it was. Yeah, it's it's um, actually we're a little bit ahead of schedule. Okay, I'll let Dr. Hong, the acting director of ODR, answer that. Okay. Hi. Um, yes, we, you know we believe to be online. I think the issue has really been the subacute beds and the statewide sort of shortage in that capacity. And we've been working closely with DMH to sort of identify providers to expand the capacity really for the whole county and really working together to prioritize which population should land in the beds. Um, and so we're working really hard to, and we have a couple start points um, to, to, that we're moving on actively to bring some subacute beds online in the coming year. So. Great, those are my questions. I just wanna thank each and every one of you because I know that each and every one of you plays a really vital role in you know what we're doing to address those that are unhoused, to address those that are coming out of um, incarceration, and you, you're really putting together something that I think is going to um, help generations to come. So thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Mitchell. <clears throat> thank you, Madam Chair, uh, and I want to echo my colleagues' thanks. Um, uh, we've been waiting for this presentation. I, I know that it took uh, a while for you all to not only work collaboratively, and it's it's. I think both of our set matters today represent really unprecedented collaboration between departments. Um, and that's going to be critical for us to be successful in both um, housing our unhoused and the work that you all are doing in terms of um, bringing these beds online. So I really want to acknowledge um, how um, obvious that is, you know, to me, uh, your collaborative work um, and how important it is. So I'm glad that we um, have gotten here where we can see this presentation and begin to dissect it. I'm clear that we can't succeed unless we as a board and the general public fully understand the extent of our existing county resources, that we efficiently use those resources, as members have said previously, and that we have a clear strategy on how we close the gap between what we have and what we need, um, and that you all continue to really work seamlessly together. Um, I, I'm hoping that in the future, for our future presentations, you'll be able to present the slides to our clusters ahead of time, because I realize every time I see them, I have new questions. So well, we got them Friday, I've got one set of questions, Then, as I heard you present today, now I've got another set of questions. So I'm gonna try to combine and not go too long. But if we could get them in clusters so we could have a little more time to dissect the data, I think that would certainly be helpful for me. L let me start with my list that came up as I listened to you in real time. Um, Supervisor Barker mentioned that we saw Secretary Becerra at NACO, and I, I thought he must be talking to the other counties in the room because he kept talking about, I need your help. We've got to validate that Medicaid dollars are being appropriately used for housing. I was like, we do that, and everybody else doesn't do that? What's wrong with the rest of the country? I wish we had this slide that showed um, the beds and the different categories, because I think that validates how appropriate it is for Medicaid dollars given um, as the slide where you list the who meets the criteria for the various beds. So I pulled it out. So next time we see him, I'm going to show him the, our slide to validate that we're doing as he said. <clears throat> Dr. Wong, the B, the B, SIP 6. Hmm. I thought about the fact that we have expedited our care court rollout. I thought about the fact that some folks expressed concern regarding our protracted implementation of SB 43, but both of those need beds. And so now we're going to experience a delay in getting state funding for some beds. So with the B 
BSIP 6 funding, because I'm not familiar specifically with that siloed funding, impact our ability to provide beds in these two programs specifically, CARE Court or SB 43? CARE Court we're going to have mostly taken care of with BHBH, that's Behavioral Health Bridge Housing Funds. Okay. We think we'll be fine for CARE Court with that. Okay. I think for these other beds though, especially when we're talking about the acute and subacutes, or you know specifically subacutes where we have a, a very particular pain point um, that will be impacted by the delay of uh, round six of BHSIP. So and we have a hundred million that will you know for the entire state. We're anticipating that about thirty three will go to Los Angeles for like what we call BHSIP six A. Mm -hmm. It's six B that's being delayed until next year. <clears throat> and will SB are those SB forty three type beds? Yes, they are. They can serve the SB43 population. Okay. I see one of your colleagues wanting to comment as well. No, I was just going to comment. I mean, for SB43, the benefit is also beds even outside of what are considered LPS or the locked beds. Yes. Right? Because if we have more of that capacity, then we can ensure okay. um, flow through. Got it. I, I, I mean, to, to get to the point of what I'm really trying to clarify, what my gut was telling me, and I wanted to validate it, is that we've got new state mandates, and we now are being told that some state funding will be delayed. And I wanted to know if, they were gonna, if that state funding was going to serve a different population or this population that these new state mandates have brought to bear on us. It will definitely be, you know, relevant to SB 43. Well, then I'm glad that we delayed our implementation since the money has been delayed. Mm. Um, in looking at the charts with the dollar amounts, the, 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 the daily fee per bed, I was struck at how low they were, particularly when we talk about board and care. And so I wondered if, if those were just from that funding source and providers are stacking funding, um, or if those are real daily rates. And I, and I noticed it both, um, Cherie, in your chart, as well as Jaycott, are those real daily rates for those beds? Um, I, I will partially answer and, and add, ask others to join in. Um, often what is happening with the board and care beds is the county is paying a supplemental service sort of cost um, and the um, client, the, the base is covered through SSI. Okay. Oh, so it is, it is stacked. That is not the only reimbursement that provider is receiving for that bed. Some some clients are their entire stay is being paid through um, the county funding. They may not have SSI or it may not be in place yet. Got it. So it spans. Okay, and JCOD similarly. That's similar, yeah. It depends on the bed, but um, at least from JCOD's interim housing portfolio, a lot of that is the whole rate. Um, it just depends on the amount, the level of supportive services provided on site, right? Um, Got it. It's it's very minimal. The rates tend to be lower right. um, for. Permanent housing, for example, in JCOD's portfolio, it's a it's considered a rental subsidy, and so um, the individual is expected to also contribute um, through their employment income to it, and by the end of the program, to fully graduate to taking over the rent. Got it. <clears throat> do, do do you all have a sense of the gap or the delta between the existing number of beds available, you know, by type, or that you've expanded, and the actual need for that type of bed? And, and do we know in real time if a bed by certain type is available? 
We um, actually engaged with HMA to do a bed forecasting uh, project. And you actually, you all should be able to get that report by the end of this week to see what the forecasts are gonna be. Okay. And you know, at the level of acute beds, we are actually somewhat okay, okay. at this time. Okay. It's the subacutes where we have a huge gap. Okay. And I think that's where, you know, we're really gonna have to put a lot of resources okay. right now. Because I think for us, seeing these charts, these numbers, just kind of, well, it looks impressive. We're adding beds, but I need to kind of know. We are adding a lot of beds nominated. more than ever, but right. but we, but we need, need to know the need. So great right, now. so so in future presentations, how can you roll this upcoming report into that? So in one place we can see these are the beds we're, we've onlined, and this is our need. So we can just continue to see the progress we're making and begin to see areas where we're doing okay and areas where we need to redirect energy or resources. I think we could just take the forecasting models and then put what the actual numbers and the forecasting model are on a graph so that you could just have a very easy visual of what the gap looks like. Great, Dr. Galley. Sure, so for uh, Housing for Health, we would defer to the county's homelessness initiative as they do all of the bed projections based on the homelessness counts. Mm -hmm. But for ODR, uh, we have rough estimates of the number of beds that are needed by bed type for the interim and permanent supportive housing beds in order to accommodate the individuals that are thought to be able to be diverted with serious mental illness from jail. And that would be an addition of 4,000 total interim housing beds on top of the 1,000 that currently exists. Mm -hmm. And then an additional 3,000 permanent supportive housing beds would be needed uh, to be able to carry us as of 2027 and an additional 1,000 uh, ERC beds. So that's a total of 8,000 beds. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, to keep that going for permanent supportive housing, we, need we would need to either continue to increase the permanent supportive housing beds, right. or depending on how many of those clients end up um, being repeat clients versus right. unique clients, mm -hmm. potentially at some point we would see a steady state happen far in the future. It also depends on what the housing retention rates I would say there's a big margin of error around those numbers, so uh, they are rounded for, for a really good reason. It depends on what the court uh, and the clinical personnel deem to be divertibility. Mm -hmm. It depends on what the housing retention rates are, though we have very good housing retention rates right now in both ODR and Housing for Health. Uh, it depends on how the mental health population in the jail changes. We've seen it go up over time, and if that continues to happen, obviously those numbers won't plan out. But it's just a, a general ballpark to give you. It would be 4,000 additional interim housing beds, 3,000 additional permanent supportive housing beds, and 1,000 additional ERC beds. Based on need. Got it, okay. Just real quick on JCOD. I mean, we sit in an interesting position. I mean, I, obviously JCOD serves individuals with a history of justice involvement, but so does everybody else here right. at the table, right? And right. so um, I think, you know, it depends on, I think what some of the driving need factors are and, you know, some of our other, some of our other colleagues up here might be better positioned to project housing needs, you know, based on individual substance use needs or mental health needs who also happens to be justice involved, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then for individuals without significant clinical needs, many of them are currently also served by the housing, Homeless Initiative funded bed network through loss or other partners today. Um, and so I, I, it's hard for, to give a projection or at least for JCOD, um, our client population in particular, just wanted to make that note and then um, also note that, yeah, we, 
we do understand that the percentage of individuals in the jail who are experiencing homelessness at the time of entry into the jail mm -hmm. is much, much higher than the general population. And so it does continue to be you know, a need that we need to look at. Mm -hmm. And we do have um, a report that goes through uh, a gap analysis for all of our services, including outpatient slots as well as beds. Um, and then our service and bed availability tool, which is available now to anyone with internet, um, has bed availability information on there. Thank you. I, I just, you know, wanted to just have some kind of context as we look at these slides with numbers, just to make sure that, that as a board member, I'm clear um, that I have an ability to understand and know, um, have full faith that you all are tracking what our need is compared to what we're building, so I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> you know, we often hear that there are kind of clogs or bottlenecks in the system. For example, you know, what do we need to do in order to make sure that there's a true, fully functional continuum of care? So we know that, for example, that people who no longer need a locked bed are moved into community-level settings. Are, are there clogs or bottlenecks in your system that I need to be aware of as a board member and understand? There, there are definitely certain pain points in our system that it, where things get really clogged. And I think one of those first clogs is the step downs from acute to subacute. Yes. I'd mentioned we have such a shortage of right. subacute beds, so right. that is huge. But then also subacute to ERS. And ERS is enriched residential services, so it's boarding care, but with the intensive mental health services built in, rather than ERC, which is um, enriched residential care, where you would have the boarding care, but then they're connected to a provider outside. So ERS is where we have another pain point. And I think also the length of time in interim housing for us is so dependent on having adequate permanent supportive housing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people get stuck at that place as so there's well. there's no place to move to. Yes, especially for more complex populations. So if we have somebody who is heavily justice involved or undocumented or other specialty populations, that is also where things get clogged for permanent supportive housing because many of those facilities or sites don't accept certain populations. And then I think in terms of service areas, I know usually we speak in terms of supervisorial districts mm -hmm. here, but in terms of service areas, service areas three, which is San Gabriel Valley, five, uh, which is the west side, and eight, have a particular shortage in a lot of these housing facilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The bottlenecks that Oh. oh, go ahead, Dr. Gallagher. I just wanted to highlight one also that was highlighted before in the previous presentation again, which is that transition from interim housing to permanent supportive housing. And that's the biggest bottleneck that we experience in Housing for Health. The length of stay in interim housing uh, historically has often been nine months to a year in interim housing while people are awaiting permanent supportive housing and it consistently at least exceeds six months. That's a lot of time that people are spending in interim housing trying to wait for an appropriate permanent supportive housing site. And if we could move that flow through, then there would be more interim housing beds available to be able to remove people from the street. Uh, there's some other bottlenecks on the ODR side that I touched on briefly in terms of the rates and the yep. court capacity uh, administrative um, uh, aspect, and then what Dr. Hong mentioned about the, the challenge of building up the, even the small number of subacute beds that we need, but really the biggest thing that we experience on a daily basis is that shortage of permanent supportive housing. Mm -hmm. Two more quick questions, Madam Chair. 
<clears throat> um, as we talk about the clogs and what, what we need, if we're going to successfully, you know, close men's central jail, what types of beds do we need to create and fund? Is it more enriched residential services and care beds based on the population that's there now and that, that we know over time has been there? What beds must we build out? I think it depends on the population you're talking about within the people coming out of the jail. Because certainly with people experiencing serious and persistent mental illness, at ERS level is very important to have. But I think there are a lot of people who don't have a very serious mental illness where permanent supportive housing is going to make the biggest difference. So it kind of takes us back to the continuum and being able to have a flexible and responsive housing pool mm -hmm. so that we can meet people where the need is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For the ODR piece um, in our role uh, on shift of populations out of jail, the biggest category is the interim housing to permanent supportive housing continuum. That's the 90% or more of the patients that we divert with serious mental illness from the jail require that level of care, much smaller on the subacute, some on the ERC, uh, and I'll defer to DPH and JCOD for the other populations. Yeah, I mean, for substance use, recovery bridge housing, and really any kind of recovery-oriented housing where people with substance use disorders feel like they're in a setting that can facilitate the recovery, that would be very helpful because it decompresses the need for residentials. Um, but I agree with Dr. Wong in terms of, um, you know, varied service capacity is incredibly important um, to address the varied needs of individuals who are going to be coming from Men's Central Jail. So the category you just mentioned, where do I see this on the chart? What, what does that fall into in terms of the way you all care, care, categorize the bids on the chart? The recovery bridge housing would be on the right on the SAPC slide in the blue. Okay. Under the interim housing. Got it. Thank you. Last, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm thinking about the passage, the potential passage of Prop One. My assumption is that my assumption is that will have positive impact on the availability of beds. And so I'm curious. So a, you can tell me if I'm wrong or right on that. And do we have a sense of how many new facilities that we need to actually build versus how many facility structures already exist? that just need operational dollars? I, I think that's like the million dollar question, or I guess uh, today, the billion dollar right, question. Right, right. Uh. <laughs> because when we look at cost of beds, like let's say even at a subacute level for the MHRCs, mental health rehabilitation centers, you're looking at about $500 a day, you know, for somebody to stay at that high level, but you're looking at a million dollars per bed to build. So if we can find a way to increase capacity for existing providers, like by giving them a patch or an incentive or ability to hire more staff to take the higher acuity population, that is sort of like the lower hanging fruit while we build up in other ways as well. And would that, if we do that, would that meet the projected need that the report will show? It will meet the projected need if the population is stagnant. Right. My fear is that with the increase in dollars that will give us more facility dollars, we have a decrease also in funding for outpatient services, homeless outreach, crisis response, which could put more people into the homelessness system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And Prop 1 will give us additional resources for more beds, yes? On one side, yes, and on the other side, it presents the challenge of diverting some of our service dollars to housing only without services. Okay, and I think my big takeaway, because I heard everybody say permanent supportive housing at least 15 times, so I'm clear that that really has to continue to be on um, our front burner to, to alleviate the clogs, the bottleneck, to really create a true continuum of care to meet, to, ha to have an, an end destination point, I think, as people filter through the, the yes. varied beds that are available. Necessary for all of our LA County residents, but it's a little bit more complex when you're talking about people with serious mental illness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where we need um, to kind of undo the bottlenecks at other points as right, well. Right, to make room. Thank you, Madam Chair. Appreciate it. Supervisor Solis. Wow, well, there's been a lot of good discussion, a lot of questions that have already been asked. Um, I just want to go back to something <clears throat> that was said earlier about staffing. Uh, and I think on one of the slides that uh, ODR and Housing for Health capacity uh, on, on the slide, it says expand DHS ODR administrative programmatic staffing to accelerate growth. Seems to me that's a thing for all of you. <laughs> you know, so that's what I'm taking away from this today. That in order for us to really build out beds and, and the people who are going to assist providing service to those individuals, we don't have that going forward. We kind of know what the numbers are in terms of who we need to treat um, and what we need in terms of bed. But that's, to me, for me, that's the trillion-dollar question. <laughs> like, how do we get there? Because we're all competing for those providers. And one example that's talked about always is the IMD, those facilities. If you have to have different providers for every different 16 units here and there. I mean, we're driving ourselves crazy. That does not make sense, and it is a compelling argument, I think, for the administration in Washington to think about uh, reconfiguring that for us. And, it, and it's true, the cost is phenomenal. It's not worth it. We're actually hurting ourselves, and they're helping us do it. Um, and they have, we have to point that out to them. So I think, uh, I think we're correct, uh, Supervisor Barger, in giving them that, that financial information. But I'm also... Um, concerned about some of the things that the board has passed already. A while back, Supervisor Hahn and I um, put forward a motion to create 500 uh, pilot beds uh, to create uh, care for settings. And this was individuals with severe mental health issues uh, as opposed to languishing in the jails. So I wanted to get a sense of where we are because my understanding is that a report came back and it was somewhat disheartening for me to learn that 30 acute beds and 100 subacute beds, that DHS and ODR were planning to add only five acute beds, have come online. So um, can any of you respond, Dr. Galley? Hi. Um, yes, so we've been, we've been working to try to bring those online, and we face the sort of challenges of, in particular in the subacute realm, of um, being able to to bring those beds online because of the shortages that we have statewide. We have been able to, um, and we're in the kind of final stages of contracting for five acute beds that are new, and that's what you saw in the pipeline. And we're in conversations with a number of other vendors and providers to um, be able to bring uh, beds online. 
One of the benefits that we have that we're taking advantage of is there's state money available for capital investment to bring online fist um, or felony incumbent mm -hmm. into stand trial beds. So we have a couple of vendors, you know, very interested in working with us to get access to those capital funds to be able to accelerate, right, their ability to bring on beds in the subacute and acute spheres, mostly in the subacute is our conversations currently. So we do anticipate that accelerating in the, in the coming years. Um, and we've been working, as I said earlier, in collaboration with DMH to try to access more of these opportunities in the community. Um, and it's just, I think, uh, a timing issue right now, and I, we're hopeful that we'll uh, quickly begin to accelerate this and bring these online. So Dr. Wong, you want to respond, and what's the time frame? What are we looking at? Sure, well, um, DMH, just this past May to December, was able to bring on 118 additional acute beds, and we have another 180 coming this year. So I think that looks promising. But I think one of the very important things that we've learned with our um, other departments is the, it's, it's essential to collaborate so that we're not competing for the same beds and it doesn't become this bidding war. And I think that DHS has been a wonderful partner with us in taking a look at how do we approach it together? How do we leverage what we have to offer to um, get the, the beds that we need for our client population? So that's the uh, operative word there, not competing. Yeah. Because you should be, that's where we get in trouble here. We're not meeting our goals. So. And we share so many clients. You right. Know? Somebody who's DHS client today is going to be a DMH one tomorrow or vice versa. Right, right. Um, one question I had also was with respect to uh, JCOD. And I wanted to ask about the uh, Care Connect app that's online. I wanted to know. Uh, for, provider, for providers, as an example, who have questions about information shared in the app, will uh, they be triaged to their respective department or will operations remain centralized with your team? How does that work? Uh, so, and just to clarify, the app's not live yet, but we're hoping to be live by the end of May. Um, I, it, it depends on the providers that are included in the app at the beginning and whether they're connected providers or not. If they're what I would call unconnected providers, then we hope there's at least information if someone searches for providers and the, an unconnected provider shows up in the search, that listing will include information on how that individual could go about trying to get access to those services through another means. If they're a connected provider, what that essentially means is that we've worked out a way to build in the referral process and whatever workflows are necessary to facilitate that into the app. That takes time. There's, there's a lot of work that goes into doing that and it's why it won't necessarily make sense for all of the providers to be connected providers. Um, but you know, over time is something we can work on and it depends on are they a provider that is, it, it's a good fit um, to be a connected provider. And our departments as well, I would assume, right. Um, and just one last uh, question. With respect to uh, providing services out in, uh, you know, the unincorporated areas and even incorporated cities, uh, what are our plans to expand? Because we do have some cities that are receptive to the kinds of things that we're doing and others that are not. And sometimes I feel that it's a, kind of a one-off. And I just heard the other day that a city that we'd been trying to work with on getting uh, beds for interim, for interim housing was just totally a no. And then all of a sudden I hear that they're open to uh, providing board and care with one of our providers who provides services on Skid Row. So I kind of feel like maybe there's things happening out there and we're not, uh, or at least I wasn't, aware, I wasn't aware of it, 
but are you getting any of that information and how do how do we better then coordinate what is happening out there so I think when we're um you know, dealing on a local level, it gets kind of complex. For instance, I know you've mentioned unincorporated areas, but some of the smaller cities, their mayors change every year. So, you know, you may reach an agreement with one mayor and then it changes the next year when you get your funding in place. I think one of the things we really have to do is engage our communities. We found, like for instance, um, when the Covina Clinic was being put in, the city of Covina was not happy about that. But what we did was we made a big effort to engage law enforcement and the faith community. Mm -hmm. And we found that when we did those two, we were able to bring them in more, get to see what we're actually about, and win them over and establish a good relationship. So I think that for some areas, we can do those things, look at who the key stakeholders are in those areas, and really have a concerted effort to work with them. Um, in some areas, I think it will remain a real uphill battle. And I'm, I'm just hopeful that we can really look at how we can expand that, because I hate to see everything concentrated uh, in some places and more, and I say that because I also represent the city of LA. But out in the San Gabriel Valley and unincorporated areas, the need is there as well. And trying to get to that, I think, is where I'd like to see us go. Uh, one last question I have is I know this is maybe more, Sherry, you, Turdorov, you actually kind of talked about this, but the funding that goes um, to, the, to the COGS and uh, the number there, what was it? What slide is that? I think I saw like 500 or something that was provided. I'd like to know where those are. I'd like to know which cities are actually coming through or, or if they're an unincorporated because I think that helps me and I think it helps you know, our argument to go out and say, hey, come on, wait a minute. Oh, here it is. It's uh, DPH and it's actually SAPC beds funded by the Homeless Initiative. So you say, I guess here current existing is 550. Sounds good, not enough, but where? Um, we can provide you with the locations for those. Okay. Thank you very much for your presentation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you uh, for your presentation. I know um, initially when we were coming into this, there was uh, a previous presentation about beds and it didn't include the um, substance use and mental health piece. So we started that it was this was going to be a follow-up to that meeting. And since that time, there were so many questions that we wanted to have a comprehensive presentation, but it's clear to me that this is perhaps not the best way to digest all of this information. We have to figure out how to have some of these conversations in the context of maybe our, um, maybe our declaration of emergency or whatever the specific topics are, because it's a, a lot of beds um, and the number, it's impressive to see how many we're bringing online, that's important. And we also know that we, uh, we need different kinds of beds for different kinds of things. And if we're not clear about that, it just kind of people glaze over, maybe including me. Um, we found, um, we, we also, in addition to the beds, fund outreach workers and social workers who encounter people who need these beds. And so um, while we're thinking about beds, I think we also need to think about how we streamline access to those folks as well. So we're getting people into them. Um, uh, and moving forward, like I said, I hope we align uh, presentations um, 
whether it's emergency declaration or understanding um, investments in these beds like Measure H so we understand the implication of the dollars that we're spending. And to that end, I want to echo Supervisor Mitchell on the B6 funding. I, I think it's um, noteworthy that we were encouraged, maybe, um, to accelerate standing up care court to accelerate implementation of SB 43, perhaps even chastised for not implementing it sooner, and yet the very funding that we'll rely on to implement it is delayed. I think um, I'm glad that we're taking our time to do it right and make sure we have the resources we need to do it right. Um, a couple of questions. I heard, I thought the Care Connect app was going live in March, but I just heard you say May. So... The beta version in March and uh, full, fully live in May, uh, end of May. So what will, what will we see in March and then the, what will we see in May? Help me understand those two stages. Absolutely. So in March, it'll be a, a, basically a test version of the app. It may include some real provider data, but probably not the full set. And really, that's for testing the functionality, um, seeing if things are broken, right? Whenever you build a new application, we have to kind of stick a whole bunch of people on it to test it and try to break it. And so that's what March is all about. Um, and so we want to do that before we launch at the end of May. Um, so hopefully nothing's broken by the time uh, it launches in May. And so May will be the, uh, May 31st is what we're aiming for is the, the formal launch of the app to the public. And I know the app is only as good as the information that you'll have. So I plan to um, introduce a motion at our meeting on February 27th to direct all relevant county departments to be engaged with you and participate in that effort. So there's no question about who's involved and who's participating and what everyone's role is in making sure that app is a success. So thank you very much. Um, I, uh, Dr. Wong, I heard you say that HMA, the HMA, um, report will be coming out. I thought it was tomorrow, um, but so given that it's so soon, can you just give us like a high level of what we can expect to see in that report um, for the mental health bed continuum gap analysis? Sure. Um, well, I will start with one of the things that uh, surprised me a little bit about this was, you know, something that Dr. Galley had touched on and that is the reality that a lot of these are an estimate because there are so many unknowns that go into the number. So they will give you a range. And one range I questioned, I don't remember what category it was, the range was 36 to 620. I said, how could you have a range that big? But they pointed out to me, well, this is out of how many tens of thousands. So when they say 36 to 620, it's not like you know an absolute number. But I think that there are some categories where it's very specific. And then when you get into those areas that a lot more um, variables come into play, like average length of stay, you know, how quickly things turn over, then those numbers are not as solid. But what it did point to was that we do have the highest need for subacute beds at this time. Um, we also have a good number of ERS beds that are needed. And um, permanent supportive housing was also a huge need. But you know, the difference for us though with interim housing, we have some need in interim housing too, but for mental health clients, a lot of times the very short-term interim housing is not enough to get somebody into permanent supportive. So that's where our population differs a little bit. 
that's helpful. Um, I would also offer too, to your previous point about the cities and the mayors changing, just make sure the city manager is involved in your conversation and there will be continuity, um, having had Thank experience you. with that. Um, uh, for SAPSI, I know uh, we have launched the Reaching the 95% initiative, um, but for the time being, how is the, the initiative integrated into providing access to substance use services for individuals throughout the bed continuum of care? Yeah, um, the R95 initiative is incorporated into both our payment reform uh, approach as well as into all of our provider meetings. So we've already been meeting with agencies about how they can um, lower barriers to admission, uh, rethink how they're discharging in, um, 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 clients. Um, and in terms of the broader R95 initiative, in terms of other partners, county departments, managed care plans, um, we're working with the uh, departments and the plans around designing ways for them to prioritize, uh, focus on their members with SUD uh, and connecting them with resources uh, in order for them to do so. Those include Recover LA, the Service of Bed Availability Tool, our call center. And did I see correctly that we're only funding 15 sobering center beds in the entire county? Um, so SAPSI has 15 sobering center beds now live at the MLK Behavioral Health Center. Uh -huh. um, there were 16 that are in development uh, that are from a BHSIP funded community-based uh, SUD agency that was awarded through the state. And then um, I believe DHS also operates some, some sobering center beds. So we have um, a sobering center, the Murphy Sobering Center in Skid Row that has, oh geez, but, uh, 50 beds, <laughs> thank you, um, that uh, sort of are more, we're sort of changing the name from just straight sobering to more sort of harm reduction sort of focus beds for, for individuals to come in and, and recover and recuperate. And then um, and in the Crocker uh, site that we are actively working, there'll be additional beds there. So I, those are numbers that I think need to greatly change. And so um, I'll be interested to see in future presentations how you are making progress on those beds in particular. Clearly there's a need for them. And if there are barriers to getting them stood up, we need to know that as the board so we can give you whatever tools you need to, to expand more. Are you seeing that there's difficulty in expanding them? Is that why? The greatest challenge actually for us at the MLKBHC is low numbers. Um, and so I think that this is a situation where there is a difference in terms of the need and the utilization. And one of the things that we're doing about that is um, to get it um, uh, designated a f uh, first responder drop-off site to try to increase those numbers. But a lot of this also has to do with broader community outreach um, around uh, substance use and the fact that, you know, we don't want people to hit rock bottom until they think they're ready for treatment, right? We can offer services before that. Okay. I, I know that we have um, some centers in my district that are not contracted with the county, but they provide that number of beds maybe even at one location. And so um, there is a need. So figuring out how we connect people to those beds um, or what the barrier is for the ones that we do have, um, I think it will also be interesting to me. And then um, for HI, um, I think I saw on slide 20 um, that the project home key permanent supportive housing bed rates are 15 to $20 per day, is that right? 
generally what you're seeing there is the county's cost, which is um, for the supportive services. So for example, for um, uh, on, the, on a permanent supportive housing project, home key project, um, it's the supportive services, not the rental subsidy or other operating costs associated with the building because they are, have largely sought to bring federal subsidies into the projects. So 15 to $20 a day covers all of the services that people will per receive? Per client, per client. Like that's, that basically covers the, um, the ICMS rate um, for the on-site supportive services for an on-site service provider. Um, and then um, a subset of clients, um, there's um, historically been some contribution toward the SENS services and the um, mental health services. Is that full cost recovery? Um, the, the, so the cost, the rate for, let's say right now, the rate for ICMS is $450 per client per month. So that's, if you can sort of do the math there, that's where you're getting those numbers from. Okay. Yeah. Just, it we seems are, low, but. We are, ICMS is one of the areas that we have done the cost analysis on that's underway um, and that we will be looking at rate adjustments. Okay, I know that they're, you're braiding funds, funding streams to get to numbers, so, but when I saw that number, it sort of stood out, like, what can you do for 15 to $20 a day per person, um, especially as it relates to services, so um, that's helpful context. Um, those are a few of my questions. I know that there was a lot that we covered and there will be more that we um, dig into as we have these presentations moving forward. We'll try to make them more manageable both in uh, intervals and then in terms of the content so that way we can keep track of which beds are what. But thank you all for this very comprehensive presentation. Executive officer, please call the members of the public who have signed up to speak on this item. Will the following individuals please come forward and staff will assist you. Ambrose Brooks, Arnold Sachs, Aceo Roblero, Bambi Salcido, Brian Jose, Chris Carlin, Christina Orozco, Daniel Garcia, Donald Harlan, Marta Chavez, Relio Gonzalez, and Vanessa Perez, please come forward. As a final reminder for participants on the telephone, if you would like to address item set matter two, if you have not already done so, please press one then zero now to be placed in the speaking queue. Moderator, when we have the first remote speaker, please. Our first participant is Hector Ramirez. You may begin. Uh, thank you, commissioners. My name is, uh, thank you, Board of Supervisors. My name is Hector Ramirez. I am a consumer with the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health. Um, Right now, it feels like LA County DMH has way too many competing priorities that I, I personally know are resulting in harm to some of the current consumers uh, in the communities. Uh, and it's having a definite impact on a lot of the work that all of you are trying to do in some efforts like the, uh, like the housing. Um, on October 21st of last year, there was a mass shooting in Maine where 18 uh, people were shot. Uh, this was a shooting that targeted deaf people here in Los Angeles County, where we have a large deaf and hard of hearing community, we couldn't even access support services from the Department of Mental Health because the department doesn't have, uh, currently have any, any services, nor does it provide accommodations for deaf and hard of hearing people. Last year, I emailed the director to inform her of how the department is failing to adopt policies and issues directed to ensure that LA County DMH services are ADA compliant Thank you. Your so that it can provide expired. services uh, speaker, for please. people. And we haven't heard Thank back you. from the director. Your time Thank has you. expired. 
And our next participant is Fernando Martinez. You may begin. Yes, uh, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, uh, I just want to say that there is a segment of the population that is not covered uh, with what you're proposing. Um, I'm an engineer and I've worked in projects for uh, uh, San Manuel uh, missions and uh, NASA and uh, Lockheed Martin, and I'm facing eviction and I'm about to be homeless. But uh, the, the, the matter is that uh, uh, we need to uh, focus on not having people uh, needing the, the services that you are proposing. We need to people housed. We need to have people housed. Uh, and uh, if they are in a financial uh, burden, we need to be able to keep them there so that they do not have to have access to um, to the services that you're uh, uh, designing. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. And, uh, Madam Chair, there are no other remote speakers in queue to address the board. Thank you. We'll go in person. Go right ahead. Hi, my name is Daniel Garcia, and I... I heard, I heard something that it was not okay. You, you are going to be sued by millions of people in, uh, that are, that are in, 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 the, in the city of California. Especially, especially who are not, who, who are going to be, uh, who are going to be, uh, having issues with, you should, uh, do they go away elevators from from the from the from the solution problem? You might have elevators for for those housing unit. You're going to be sued. You're going to be sued. I can't see you. you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Um, my name is Vanessa Perez. I'm the mother of Joseph Perez. Um, he's in that ODR program as well. <clears throat> I want to say that it's a good program and it's great and all, but there needs to be more follow-up on uh, when there's change their meds and uh, the psychiatrist having a follow-up with them. Yesterday, I was able to see my son and um, they just switched his meds. I think it was three days before, and within an hour of his, me visiting him on a four-hour pass, he was nodded out. Um, it concerned me. I had no idea what was going on. But nonetheless, like, I went to the house where he's at, and uh, they told me he was under different meds. So it's concerning knowing that he's on these different meds, and I don't, I'm not able to see him. And to see him totally in a different stage, um, set of mind, a mindset, it's concerning. So if there is more follow-up with psychiatrists on after they give them the meds, it would be great. Absolutely. And uh, we do have our constituent assistance team up in the corner if you'd like to speak with a member of our staff about your experience and how we can have better communication with you. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Go right ahead. Am I going to be able to come back every two weeks and talk? Like, I might repeat myself a little bit, but I'm trying not to. Like, I have a lot to say. So is a person allowed to come back every two weeks, like, and, and talk? Yes, you absolutely can. As, so long as you're on topic on our items, absolutely, or in general public comment. Okay. 
All right. Um, so uh, mental health is two words. There's no definition for it. Um, you can ask the Queen of England. You can ask British people. Um, two words doesn't have a definition. So there's really, you would have to ask the person who says it what they mean. Now for doctors, or I guess for politicians, it's a subject maybe, so like maybe you guys can talk about it with each other, but you're, you're not able to talk about it with what's called a layman, which is somebody that's not an expert. So, um, okay, so like the word, you guys are using the word bed. The word bed means bad or abide. So it's bad because you have to go back to it at the end of the day where it is. You have to go where it is. So but really everyone's abiding by your decisions. So you guys are. Thank you. Thank you very much. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Yes, thank you. Um, have you talked about Learned and Orchard? Do you know what they are? They're the programs that have everybody's health, uh, health, their health uh, on, in, on, on, on computer, your health care through your whole lifetime. All you need to do is pull it up on a computer, and then you go to a doctor, and they'll per, they'll, describe, they'll prescribe the wrong uh, ca uh, care for you. Because it's really all about affordable care. That's what Obama got into. Barack Obama, the president of the United States before Donald Trump, that was one of his premier items on his agenda to get involved with affordable care for low Can income. Can you focus on the bed presentation people. today? This is... This is exactly what this is about, ma'am, because it's about bullshit. It's That's about your second warning. versus homeless. You're so full of crap, you need a fucking... Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. There are no more speakers, Madam Chair. All right, then this report is received and filed. Hearing no objection, that will be the order. The Chief Executive Officer now requests that the closed session item be continued to February 27th, 2024. Moved by Supervisor Mitchell, seconded by Supervisor Barger. That will be the order. And we'll now hear from members of the public wishing to address the board on general public comment. For members of the public on the telephone, please press 1 then 0 now to comment on these items. Executive officer, please call the members of the public who have signed up to speak on these items. Will the following individuals uh, please come forward and staff will assist you. Fajima. Bedran, Benjamin Rishwan, Dr. Stuart Busi, Dr. Maureen McCall, Dr. Katabian, Christina Brown, Dr. Julie Wuxie, Arnold Sachs, Chris Carlin, Portia Turner, Sky Wang, Gary Peronot, Daniel Garcia, Manuel Polanco, Michael Pitkin, Brian Jose, Bambi Salcedo, Gina Torres, Daniela Rosario, Jenny Lara, Marcelia Fuentes, Rocio Garcia Beltran, Joanna Rodriguez, Ivan Valdez, B. Cure, and Vanessa Perez. Please come forward and staff will assist you. Moderating, will we have the first remote speaker, please? Our first participant is T. Carter. You may begin. Hi, hi, can you hear me? I'm, call, I'm calling for public comment and also for item number one. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. And regarding item number one, when the board speaks about homelessness, I've reported before that the Stewart Hotel is being paid by LASA and they have not had an inspection in eight years. In eight years, they have not had an inspection 
and it looks horrible when you go through there. They get paid over $200 a night. So that's one issue. I stated that, and no one has done anything about that over the two months, three months I've reported that. Um, another issue is it was there, the board approved a statue for Mr. Ruben Salazar. The board of supervisors approved a statue for Ruben Salazar and stated of all his contributions that he's done with the, um, throughout the city. But there's also an African-American male named Frederick Madison Roberts. And Frederick, Frederick, Frederick Madison Roberts was, was the first African-American assemblyman Thank you. Your time has expired. Office. And also he owns, he, he owns his own newspaper. Our next participant is Mario Presents. You may begin. La organización de Palmdale Freedom Coalition quiere saber qué están haciendo para mejorar la salud positiva de mental de los empleados del condado. El jueves pasado, la especialista Heather Hughes cayó a su muerte en Los Ángeles. Acciones vejatorias de supervisores y un trabajo hostil empujaron a esta señora a brincar del edificio con 18 niveles. Saltó con la chamarra de la oficina de salud pública puesta y el médico forense asignó el número 20240245 al caso. En el 2021, el Unión de Departamento mandó letra a Bárbara Ferrer de los problemas en la Oficina de Salud Pública. Hoy tenemos una mujer aplastada en el piso y quiero el Consejo investigue con todo el poder de la oficina. Esta tragedia es tu obligación y cae en tus pies. I would like to request that you do pay attention to the mental health and everything that we are going through. We have some issues that need to be addressed. We are currently facing some people that are, are on the floor and we need to address this emergency issue. Specialist Heather Hughes plummeted to her death from the top of the 18th story public health building in downtown Los so Angeles. Sorry. Heather was harassed and bullied by management. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, my trans translator wasn't translating correctly. Okay, if you'd like to translate, that's you have 36 seconds left. Thank you. I'd, I'd like the opportunity to translate. The Palmdale Freedom Coalition would like to know what you're doing for the positive mental health of county employees. On Thursday, environmental specialist Heather Hughes plummeted to her death from the top of the 18-story public health building in downtown Los Angeles. Heather was harassed and bullied by management. She cited a hostile workplace environment, wrote a note, put on her public health jacket, and committed suicide. In 2021, the union sent a cease and desist letter to Ferrer and top executives about retaliatory workplace policies. Here we are in 2024 with a dead county employee and case number 2024 Thank you. Your time has expired. Office. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is M. Watton. You may begin. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Hello. Yes. Okay. The residents of the Antelope Valley are living in and suffering from an environmental crisis of epic proportions and potentially EPA Superfund site scale. Shredded raw garbage and toxic waste is being dumped on hundreds of acres and in 12-foot-tall windrows up to a half a mile long with hundreds of rows next to each other on some sites, adding up to literally entire sections of land and miles upon miles of raw, dumped garbage. Nothing has been done to stop private companies from trucking in hazardous waste from the city of Los Angeles that is misidentified as mulch, where it is spread immediately next to residential properties, state parks, including the California Poppy Reserve and the Arthur P. Ridley Desert Woodland, and private conservation easements. 
I would ask the supervisors to turn their attention to resolving this crisis. I have submitted more information in a document today. Thank you. Thank you. And I believe we have your contact information so we can have somebody follow up with you directly on this issue. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Paul Hennessy. You may begin. Hi, I'm uh, calling um, to urge the board to um, mandate uh, respirators in healthcare as well as pushback against the uh, asinine uh, one-day COVID isolation policy. COVID's been contagious for 10 days. Um, so this one-day isolation policy is going to be very dangerous for the people of Los Angeles. Um, apart from that, I urge the board to look into ways um, we can invest in clean indoor air, um, enforced congregate settings, places like schools, public transit, what have you. Um, these are all very important, especially today you're talking about homelessness and mental health. Um, COVID can cause both of those, uh, lead to those, lead to uh, mental health issues as well as um, issues with, uh, you know, medical debt, paying bills, being able to work. It ultimately leads to homelessness. Please invest in these. Um, please keep masks in healthcare. Please uh, uh, fight back against um, these idiotic policies. Thank you. Your time has nowhere. expired. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Our next participant is Fernando Martinez. You may begin. Uh, yes, uh, good afternoon. I am speaking because um, I am facing uh, eviction right now. I'm an engineer and I have worked in many projects for decades, uh, including Seminole Band of Indians and uh, NASA and Lawrence Livermore. And I was at the brink of being at the sidewalk homeless. And I know that you have been speaking about uh, housing. Uh, the most important part of housing is controlling rent and uh, uh, preventing evictions. Uh, uh, I want to help you as much as I can. Uh, you do not know me, but uh, I'm going to be present uh, from now on, given the circumstances. Uh, the COVID uh, pandemic uh, caused havoc in my life. Thank you. Your time has uh, expired. I take... Next speaker, please. Next participant is Mel, Bell Mel Bailey. You may begin. Yes, hi. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for the time. Um, just a couple of quick things. I wanted to ask about if the Board of Supervisors can take some type of assessment or look into the county facilities for those uh, county employees and for those constituents that visit them to ensure that the asbestos count is at a non-lethal level and a non-harming level. And then the second thing is I just wanted to wish everybody a happy Black History and African American Heritage Month. All right. Good afternoon. Peace. Thank you. You too. Next speaker, please. Next participant is Hector Ramirez. You may begin. I'm so sorry to hear about that that, that loss of that employee uh, that died of suicide. I just want to recognize that. Um, you know, one of the things that I realized uh, being both a consumer of DMH and DHS is that DHS has 
a better grasp of my experience on providing disability accommodations and language access. And I know that every department functions differently, but I think I would like to recommend that that be a topic of exploration for this uh, board supervisors to look at how to really unify uh, some of the best practices and the departments that are better able to implement them so that they can be shared across the other departments and folks are not being overburdened by reinventing the wheel on things that are already being done correctly otherwise. Uh, but in, for this case, I'm particularly asking for disability services in general for all county departments. Thank you and so sorry for, for the loss of the county. Thank you. Next speaker, please. And Good our afternoon. next uh, participant is Heather De Go ahead. Heather Detweiler, you may begin. Hi, um, I just wanted to reiterate Paul Hennessy's comments from earlier about homelessness and COVID precautions mitigations because um, COVID causes a lot of things, um, but mental health issues are definitely a part of that. And um, that's, you know, science shows that. And also homelessness. Um, I myself am facing, uh, I owe money from the pandemic and I may be facing eviction. And um, just like the earlier caller. So if we could address the pandemic and keep health, uh, masks and healthcare and um, clean our air and also um, push back on this one day isolation, because like Paul said, it takes 10 days at least to not be um, contagious with COVID. That would be great and it would have prevent homelessness and mental health issues. Thank you. Thank you. Moderator, are there any other speakers on the phone? Madam Chair, there are no other remote speakers in queue to address the board. Thank you. We'll now go in person. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, members of the board, and specifically I hope to speak with Supervisor Catherine Barger. Um, our family participated in a lead-free homes program through LACDA. Lead abatement was improperly performed at our home, and I'm asking for your help to navigate a solution as we are at an impasse with LACDA. After 10 days of relocation and given lab clearance to safely return home on a Friday evening, we immediately saw lead dust throughout our home. On Saturday, our instincts told us our home was not safe, so we left. On Monday, LACDA inspector came to our house and blamed our concerns on the Santa Ana winds that weekend. Still, I insisted LACDA retest, and he reluctantly agreed. The results of the retest were off the charts. Additionally, the lab technician noticed our site was a visual fail. The 10 days of work on our home is the point of impact. So, um, sir, if you'd like to receive assistance from our constituent assistance team up in the corner, we can connect you with staff there. Please, uh, before we go to our next speaker, I just want to advise the room that we will lose quorum of the board uh, at 445. So we will take public comment until 445. Um, go ahead to our next speaker. Hi, um, I'd like to specifically direct this to Supervisor Barger. Um, as my husband just mentioned, we um, had lead abatement done by Lead Free Homes and LACDA, LACDA. It was done improperly. We've been living for four months now without a heater. Um, they refuse at this point to finish the lead abatement work. It was done improperly. It was lead dust all over our home. We've incurred all kinds of costs, and we don't know who to turn to at this point. 
Um, yes. So Michelle Vega, my assistant chief deputy is right there. We're gonna get your information and then we will follow up with you. Where do you live? Pasadena. Pasadena? Yes, nine one one. Altadena, Pasadena? Pasadena. All right, we'll follow up with you. Thank you. I promise. Thank you so much. Next speaker, please. Uh, uh, members of the board, uh, I'm speaking on general comment and CS1. I'm Dr. Stuart Bussey, family doctor, uh, many years and president of the Union of American Physicians and Dentists. I've watched with frustration and dismay for over 20 years as the County of Los Angeles has denied Megaflex plan to our new uh, doctors while allowing thousands of employees, judges, attorneys, yourself, to enjoy this benefit. Make no mistake, our doctors are the linchpins of the county health system. And uh, they're leaving the county in droves because of this benefit inequity. For too long, doctors have quietly taken one for the team. The state pepper law ruined their pension possibilities and crippled recruitment and retention. And denying Megaflex to our doctors will be doing the same damage to recruitment and retention as, Mega, as uh, Pepper did. Uh, the, Buck the Buck Report allows our members the right to this powerful tool. And the county has enough resources to make this happen. So let's- Thank you. Your time's expired. Next speaker. Uh, to the board, thank you for hearing me today. My name is Dr. Katabian. I'm an anesthesiologist at LA General. I'm here for general comment and CS1 regarding the inclusion of county physicians into the Megaflex benefits plan. We've had significant issues hiring and retaining anesthesiologists throughout the county. Wait times for EGDs and colonoscopies with anesthesia are greater than six months. I am ashamed to say that we are failing our patients in our community. I am failing. Patients are dying because of preventable illness because of these delays of care. We have been begging for more anesthesia days to provide care for these patients. Unfortunately, we do not have the staff. To put it bluntly, we need more anesthesiologists. Our challenges with hiring are due to the significant pay disparity between the county and the community. My hourly rate is almost 50% less than the hospital one mile down the road where I work at. The union and myself strongly believe we will not be able to match the, county, the salary of the community through the negotiations. We believe Megaflex will help us recruit and retain physicians so we can provide care to the patients that desperately need us. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon. Gary Pednault. Um, I'm a uh, board member of UAPD, a psychiatrist in LA County at the Women's Jail. Since I was here last, nothing has changed. Uh, well, maybe one thing has changed, but we heard earlier, mental illness isn't going away. Crimes related to mental illness are not going away. They gave the jail people, uh, the line staff, a f that were they a 14.5% bonus for a total of 20%. This has not been enough to reduce the vacancies, which are 70%. Supervisors who de get Megaflex, there are no vacancies. We need your help to end the vacancies. We have a pool of residents, fellows, uh, trainees here. They're familiar with our patients, enthusiastic to meet the challenges ahead, and dedicated to serve the clients of LA County. We need one thing. H-E-L-P, help. Help us end this contract over two years. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. I'm Dr. Boucher, psychiatrist at DMH, 18 years of service. The county's physician shortage problem is a disease that involves two body parts, recruitment and retention. Both need to be treated. DHS's position that interested physician candidates would not see the Megaflex package if it was thrown at them is short-sighted. 
The reality is the current generation of graduating physicians are savvy and scrutinize benefits. As for retention, a supervisor psychiatrist said it perfectly when she said to me that Megaflex is the golden handcuffs for retention. Point two, if you want the mediated bargaining currently to be successful, make certain your team presents real numbers. Stop the unrealistic, inflated cost numbers that only prohibits progress. For example, the county costs the Megaflex as though every employee has two or more dependents buying the most expensive medical plan. That is simply never going to happen. And lastly, I don't want to hear proposals of unfair payout caps as a condition to allow them to Megaflex. What I mean is, for example, something that... Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker, please. Yes, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Arnold Sachs. I started coming to these meetings in 2008. The budget for the county was $18 billion. The last budget for the county, $44 billion. Give or take a couple of pennies. MLK Hospital has been taken out of the county system. So you talk about building beds, but MLK Hospital is not part of the county system anymore. So you've lost how many beds at MLK Hospital? You don't care? Isn't that your district? Shouldn't you care about that, Miss Mitchell? Um, nobody adjourned in memory of the three soldiers who died in Jordan in an attack, uh, in a drone attack. They were African Americans. Don't you care about African Americans, Miss Mitchell? I'm wondering what the hell's going on. Barack Obama's legacy has been ruined. So has Rosa Parks. You know why? Because this is the only place in the whole country that ever had three an African American. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Your time has expired. That's your final warning. Okay, the Go reason ahead, we're Sid. not getting anywhere is because homelessness is not a word. It's just the letter M. You have to have two consonants to make an English word. Less and ness are suffixes. So you knock off the prefix and the suffix of words to get what the word is. And that's a case where ness can go after less, okay? So an H is not a real letter, okay? Um, so that's why, and so homelessness is a term from politics. So politicians can talk about it with other politicians, but Americans cannot talk about homelessness. So that's the main problem, okay? Um, let's see. Uh, okay, fairness or equality. Okay, so the... Uh, the LASA has five people that like do something for the Weingart Center, and that's where they tell homeless people to go to. Those people are not allowed to bring a legal knife in there. Well, everyone in Los Angeles can have a knife shorter than two inches or two inches, but they can't. So that's not equal. Also, they can't cook. They can't bring in food. They don't have, uh, you know, a microwave or a refrigerator, which means no American Thank should. Thank you. Your time has expired. Next speaker. Hi. Maybe then you guys see it. And I went to... Add on to the, to the conversation that we have in the in number six on the inventor, short-term short inventor. And the mission, the mission element, the mission element, I want to see the amendment for, for you that are accessible for, for people with disabilities. So far, so far, and not qualified for um for for being accessible for people with disability. So so what I'm saying to you, please make sure that the amendment cannot be for 
people with disabilities as well. And I want to, and I want to give my book to Hilda Solis because I made my book. By Thank you. Your time has expired. You can give the book to our staff and it will get to Supervisor Solis. Go ahead, next speaker. Um, greetings, Board of Supervisors. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and address you. My name is Bambi Salcedo, and I am the president and the CEO of the Transatinal Coalition. I'm here before you, and we are here before you uh, through conversations that we're having with several of your offices uh, for all of us to work together to institute a trans wellness and equity fund. As we know, members of the transgender nonconforming and intersex community has been neglected here in our county for many, many years. And so we are in a pivotal moment. We are in a moment to where we all can make history together. Uh, especially now that with all of the attacks that are happening against the LGBTQ community, specifically targeting the trans community, um, I'm asking for all of us to work together to ensure that members of our community and the livelihood of our communities are addressed and supported and uplifted the way we need. I know that we can do it. We can pivot together. So please, let's do this together. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Queen Victoria Ortega. And I just got to say, uh, I'm so pleased to be here. And we all together are redefining the American dream. As a trans woman, I would rather focus on our similarities and our differences. To have five women be the board of supervisors for this county is what America is about. I've had the pleasure of starting a trans health clinic at St. John's Well Child and Family Center to now being the chief visioning officer at the Trans Empowerment Center in West Hollywood and living in Boyle Heights for all 44 years of my life. I wouldn't be able to do that if we weren't able to work together. And one of those reasons why is because of the strength of the trans and non-binary community. And nothing is accomplished, as you might know, being talked over, promoted over as women, that we need resources invested into our communities. So I'm here to stand in support of the Trans uh, Wellness and Equity Fund. We need that to be a reality in the county for us to continue to redefine the American dream today. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hola, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Urias. Trans Coalition. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Urias from Trans Coalition. La financiación de programas para la comunidad trans es vital de importancia para nuestra sociedad actual. Estos programas no nos brindan solamente apoyo y recursos necesarios para que las personas trans, sino que también que promueven la igualdad, la inclusión y el respeto de la comunidad. The financing of programs for community, for trans community, is vital and it's important for our society. These types of programs provide us support and resources needed for, for trans people. And it also provides equality and inclusion in respect to our community. Al invertir en estos programas para la comunidad trans, estamos reconociendo y valorando la diversidad en congruencia con la defensa de los derechos humanos reconocidos y promovidos en este condado. If we invest in these programs for trans people, then we are now valuing our diversity and also at the same time defending the rights, the human rights to be recognized and provide in this county. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Mi nombre es Joana Rodriguez Diaz y pertenezco a Transco Latina Coalition. My name is Joana Rodriguez Diaz and I belong to the Trans Coalition, Trans Latina Coalition. Para mí es de verdad importancia que brinden fondos porque al menos yo he recibido mucho apoyo de esta organización. Soy sobreviviente de violencia doméstica 
y ellas me han brindado el apoyo suficiente para poder salir adelante, cuando en una organización normal a una mujer trans le es muy difícil recibir este tipo de apoyo. It is important for me to have funds and to have support because this organization has helped me. It has delivered me from also having domestic violence. Organizations like this are important for them to continue to be financed. Otherwise, other organizations wouldn't have helped me like they have. Y en múltiples áreas, porque hay muchas compañeras que se les dificulta la búsqueda de trabajo. Entonces, al asignar fondos, eso es de verdad importancia porque van a hacer una integración integral a la sociedad. And in, in different areas, because it isn't that easy for us to have funds or to find jobs or employment in these areas. Y en múltiples áreas. Muchas gracias. And in various areas. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Good afternoon, board. Uh, Byron Jose speaking on close uh, matters and general public comment. Um, I live in SD2 and I'm part of the Trans Latina Coalition. Transgender expansive and intersex communities deserve love and care. Since its inception and throughout the years, the county continues to uh, fund ways to criminalize our communities, uh, whether it is our $43 billion budget. Out of this $43 billion budget, we're asking for $7 million to establish a TGI Oneness and Equity Fund to ensure the better coordination and care for our communities. Um, again, that is like less than 1% of your budget. Uh, the county spends $50 million on the Men's Center Jail, ways to criminalize and, and, and um, criminalized and harm our communities. So uh, transgender, expansive, intersex youth, young people, elders should not have to end up in jail for us to be able to have access to housing or should not end up in jail to have access to healthcare. So this is the way for the counties to truly invest in us. And you know, I know we've been working with your office. Uh, so Lise and Han had to go, so we're gonna lose quorum. So yet again, the county is going to motion or or signal right to including TGI communities, but we're gonna be left behind. Uh, the, the sheriff's office locked the doors because they said that you were going to close matters. So I don't know if there's the new executive. Uh Next speaker, please. Hello, I am a Latina transgender woman working for the Trans Latina Coalition. I ask for your support today for the immigration legal services that we have as a sanctuary city that holds over 80% of Latino population. Many of those folks are trans. Right now we have one lawyer working with over 100 cases and many more transgender people are waiting to be helped. We need to support uh, the idea of being a sanctuary city for the immigration population here in the United States. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Yes, my name is Alberta Franklin. I'm the anti-hate case manager for the Trans Latino Coalition. I'm going to address this to my uh, Holly Mitchell. I'm a part. I'm a constituent of yours in the second district. I live in uh, Koreatown. California has some of the most progressive laws in the county and the country for protecting TGI people. Still, unfortunately, lack of awareness and competency is common and has contributed to continued discrimination, homelessness, and violence against TGI people in Los Angeles County and across the country. Again, here in Los Angeles County and across the United States, resources are needed. We need you to start up our equity wellness fund, please. The $7 million, small in the budget, but big in our hearts. Thank you so very much, all of you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello. Hello. Um, my name is Lisa Marie Ceballos. I'm one of the program coordinators of the Trans Latino Coalition. 
And I would like to urge you guys to really invest in our trans community. As a program coordinator at, for the city of West, for the Trans Latina Coalition that works with the city of West Hollywood, I have seen the bigger need of our community, right? Without house, housing, critical services that can change and improve our quality of life, I urge you to please um, think about us and think about investing in our lives and well-beings to we can continue thriving and being able to meet our goals and be integrated into community. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Alma Marmolejo y soy parte de la Coalición Translatina como um, case manager del de programa de antiviolencia. Hello, good afternoon. My, my name is Alma Marbolejo, and I am part of the Latina Coalition, and I am part of the case management team. Eh, gracias por la oportunidad de escucharnos, y realmente estamos aquí para exhortar a las autoridades eh, locales, eh, estatales y federales para que se unan a nosotros y poder acceder a más fondos para el bienestar de nuestra comunidad transgénero. And thank you very much for having me today. I'm here today to address the local, state, and federal authority to invest in us and fund so that we, our trans people, can have some funds for us. Ya que como hemos sido una de las comunidades más, más vulneradas, específicamente la comunidad transgénero, eh, necesitamos seguir apoyando a las personas que vienen a nuestra organización eh, en, con diferentes servicios, como servicios de vivienda, eh, servicios de salud mental y cualquier otro eh, recurso que necesiten las personas, eh, ya que pasamos por diferentes dificultades en el diario vivir. And since we are considered vulnerable, the transgender community is vulnerable. We need the support as we also provide these different services for our community. We provide housing, mental health, and just different resources that are provided and needed in our community. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Isabella Chavez. I am representing Union Trans GNC. Um, I just want to share my personal experience of being a person who has experienced the resources and support and community that has come from organizations like Translatina as well as Union. I, it really has truthfully saved my life. I really needed to have these services. I needed to have this community in order for me to feel like I had a place. Um, I, I think about other individuals who maybe don't feel like they have that um, because of their mental health, but also because of the fact that there are so few places that folks can go. And so I just really want to like emotionally plea for you all to like consider how individuals themselves need places like Translatina, like Union, in order to, to find a, a, a brighter a brighter future and something. So just an emotional plea for you all to consider um, investing and, and, and helping our community. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Hola, muy buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Bea Roxy. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Bea Roxy. Uh, quiero decirles que yo estoy acá como una persona que está soportando a la organización Translatina Coalition porque fui víctima hace un año de un asalto en mi propio pequeño negocio. And I am here to let you all know that I'm in support for Trans Latina Coalition. I am, I am a victim or a few years back of an assault in my small business. 
y recurría a pedirles ayudas a esa organización y la verdad es que conté con muchísimo apoyo de ellos, tanto como para mi vivienda y para mi comida. Y es por eso que considero que es muy importante la inversión en estas organizaciones que a nuestra comunidad trans nos ayudan y nos soportan mucho en diferentes formas. And I ask that you help because in these types of organizations I went and I cried for help and they helped me out with food, housing. It is extremely important that we fund these types of organizations as with our trans community they assist and help us and support us do it all. Como seres humanos, creo que tenemos y debemos de contar con el mismo derecho sin importar nuestro género, porque somos seres humanos y también contribuimos a este gran país que es Estados Unidos. And as human beings, I believe we have the right to all equal rights as gender, no, no importance of gender, and we are here and we support our state of the United States. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Terry and I am Navajo. I am the program coordinator of the Reentry Program with Translatino Coalition that provides direct services and case management supportive services to those who identify as TGI population. And this is part of our successful reentry from incarceration to society. At Translatino Coalition, myself and the entire organization, we are asking for your full support in investing $7 million towards the trans quality of life, which that means that we as professionals, we are navigating and providing linkages for TGI population who are in need of housing placement and also as well as other services such as medical referrals. And the most important thing is being able to provide direct services for those and again, this is about investing in the quality of life for trans lives. Thank you for your full support. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, everyone. My name is Kate Gonzalez. I am here in representation of Union Trans GNC in collaboration with Trans Latina Coalition. As you've heard, a lot of our um, past representatives here that have spoken about their personal experiences as trans people. Um, so we're asking you and encourage you to please think about, you know, their life's experiences as, as um, we go through transitioning, we face a lot of difficulties in life. And if you guys um, invest in trans resources, we will be able to help many more than what we are already doing. But having your help will be so much more successful. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Inoue. I'm the manager of policy and community engagement at the Trans Latino Coalition. Um, I am here today to advocate for my um, trans brothers, sisters, and siblings. Uh, I have been with the organization for over a year now, and it's been, it's been up and down. Um, Advocacy work to me means stepping up when other people need it. I'm not trans, um, I'm gay, and I constantly see the LG and the Bs exclude trans and non-binary communities. So I wanna encourage you all to really listen and experience the 
um, beautiful stories that my community is telling you all today. Um, we want to establish a fund here at the county because trans people need resources. It's not only important, but it's life-saving. The Trans Lefty Now Coalition has done wonders, and we want to use that as a model for everyone here. So thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hola, buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Frida Fierro. Soy una chica trans y soy trabajadora de la coalición Tralatina. Estoy aquí, a, estoy aquí para pedir a la Junta de Supervisoras del Condado de Los Ángeles que tome medidas urgentes para abordar la crisis que enfrenta nuestra comunidad trans, género expansivo e intersexual, TGI. Good afternoon, my name is Frida Ferros. I am a trans woman and I work with the Latina Community Coalition, the Trans Latina Community Coalition. I'm here to call on the Board of Supervisors to take urgent action to address the crisis facing trans, expansive gender and intersex TGI communities. Las personas TGI están siendo atacadas a niveles sociales, estatales y nacionales. Este año hemos visto un alarmante aumento en los asesinatos de personas trans y no binarias. TGI people are being attacked at local, state and national levels. The, this year we have seen an alarming increase in murders of trans and non-binary people. La falta de vivienda afecta especialmente a, la, a las personas TGI y en el condado de Los Ángeles el acceso a refugio es un desafío crítico. Además, casi un tercio de las personas TGI vive en la pobreza debido a la discriminación laboral. Homelessness affects especially for TGI people, and in Los Angeles County, access to shelter is a critical challenge. In addition, almost a third of TGI people live in poverty due to the local labor discrimination. Por eso estamos aquí para pedir de su apoyo y nos apoyen con lo que estamos pidiendo. Gracias. Y que tengan buenas noches. This is why we're here to ask for your support and to support us in what we're asking for. Thank you and have a good evening. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, y'all. Hi, uh, my name is B. Curiel. Um, I'm a trans, non-binary social worker working currently at the Trans Latino Coalition. Um, I currently provide cultural transformation training for organizations um, providing interim housing resources. And it brings me joy to say that the trainings have been a hit. Uh, I've worked with organizations like Chila, Young Women's Freedom Center, Esperanza Immigrants Rights Project, 211 California, LA Care, City District 10, uh, to provide training and capacity building, technical assistance to help them improve their services for our community. I invite you all to learn more about our community, learn about the services that we have built for ourselves, come visit us and learn about the different trans-led organizations like the Unique Women's Coalition, the Connie Norman Center, the trans Latino Coalition, Etc. Our trans leaders are building for our communities in the future. And with your support, we can continue creating the change and impact that has already been monumental in our communities here at LA County. Uh, thank you so much, and we hope we can celebrate. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Silvio Hooper. I work with the Trans Latino Coalition, and I'm a resident of District 2. I moved here close to six months ago from Texas because um, I wanted some an easier time transitioning, accessing surgeries, hormones, and resources. And it's also been quite difficult here um, because the organizations that provide those resources don't have funding. And I can speak for my partner, who is a trans woman who's been living in LA her whole life. She's facing discrimination at work every day, harassment, um, nothing's done about it. And she goes to places like the Trans Latina Coalition and they're the ones able to provide for her, able to provide her find better job opportunities. 
They're able to help us access hormones, legal name changes, employment, housing, and it's essential that y'all fund these resources because it's the only thing that we have. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker. Wait, let's, let's wait. To, go ahead. Your mic's working now. I'm Miss Loretta Lorraine. A lot of y'all know me. I keep it real in 100. I am the mother of all those children. Now, y'all pull out your checks. Let's start signing because you heard what those people are saying coming from their heart. Those organizations are here, and in no, in no point what you listening is real. We want to keep the transgender community living and alive to get to be my age. I'm 82, and I am proud to be here and to be here speaking for all my community. Now let's sign those checks. Let's get them going, ladies. God bless you all. God bless you. Next speaker, please. We have just a couple more speakers. Please go ahead. Hello, I'm speaking on set matter one and two, CS1 and general public comment. That is three minutes, please. Uh, my name is Joaquin Beltran. I'm running for Congress to represent our communities in Southeast Los Angeles and Long Beach. Mi nombre es Joaquin Beltran. Estoy corriendo para el Congreso. Um, a vote for me is a vote for jobs, not bombs. A vote for health care and housing. A vote for justice and peace, not jokers and politicians who are harming our economy, our health, our future. Um, today, I am calling on the Board of Supervisors to call for a permanent ceasefire and also to affirm the International Court of Justices preliminary findings that Israel is committing genocide against the Palestinian people. Four months ago, you passed a resolution unequivocally, unequivocally supporting Israel. 35,000 Palestinians have died, half children, and there's been nothing from this board. The following thing I want to talk about is LA County residents Thank you. facing evictions. Your time evictions. has expired. Thank I, you. I, it's only one minute for general public comment on public hearing days, um, so we don't have other agenda items, so you only get one minute today. Okay. Thank you. Next speaker. Yo creo en el Condado de Los Ángeles y en la Junta Supervisora. I believe in Los Angeles County and the Board of Supervisors. Estoy consciente de que tenemos temas importantes y delicados como temas relacionados a la vivienda, recientemente situación de las personas sin hogar. Sigo muy cerca del trabajo de este... I am aware that we have important and sensitive issues such as housing issues and recent homeless situations. I follow the work of this body closely. Mi nombre es Manuel Polanco, soy abogado y licenciado en ciencias políticas venezolano. My name is Manuel Polanco, I'm an attorney with a degree in political science from Venezuela. Vengo a hablar no solamente por mi persona, sino por los casi 800,000 venezolanos que están en los Estados Unidos, y no solamente por ellos, sino por los inmigrantes hispanos o los grupos en vulneración. He visto muchas injusticias. Y no es por la falta de voluntad de los organismos públicos, sino por la aplicabilidad de las políticas públicas y muchas veces de las organizaciones sin fines de lucro o las organizaciones en apoyo de inmigrantes, homeless y organizaciones raciales. I come to speak not only for myself, but for nearly 800,000 Venezuelans who are in the United States, and not only for them, but also for the immigrants, Hispanics, or vulnerable groups. I have seen many injustices, and it is because of the lack of effort of the public agencies, but for the applicability of public policies, and many times of the nonprofit organizations or organizations that support immigrant, racial, and homelessness. Los Angeles is a condado that could be a whole country, with a diversity and a fusion of cultures. We can use this as a strength and not as a weakness. It's about education, opportunities, and information. 
y, y lucha antidrogas. Los Angeles County, that could be a whole entire country with a diversity and a fusion of cultures. We can use this as a strength and not a weakness. It's about education, opportunities, and trainings, and a fight against drugs. I am here not for us for something. I am here for proposed solution for this LA County. I know I am not the best speaking English, but I would love to offer opportunities in LA. Thank Let's you very much. Thank you. Your time has expired. Thank you for being here. Um, two things. I heard that some people had trouble. Uh, I heard in the comment that people had trouble accessing the auditorium. That shouldn't be happening. Everybody should be able to access the auditorium to speak. So I'll follow up with that person. Um, I also uh, want to acknowledge, um, it's my understanding per state law, we cannot create a fund for any one demographic to just access public dollars, but we can fund public programs or services for people. Um, so for clarity that, um, that's uh, where we're at at the county, just making sure, I know everybody has left the room, but for those who watch the tape, that is the answer. Um, with that, uh, we conclude today's meeting. The next regular meeting of the board will be held on Tuesday, February 27th, 2024 at 9.30 a.m. We are adjourned. Madam Chair, before oh. you adjourn, I just wanted to say, since I represent the newly minted New Orleans Court in the Second District, I wanted to wish everybody today a laissez-les-bon temps roule. <laughs> Happy Beautiful. Fat Tuesday. Let the good times roll. Rock in the purple. I That's like right. it. That's right. I'm in it. And Thank now you, we Chair. are adjourned.